Tony broke her fast under the permission tree that grew in the terrace garden, watching her dragons chase each other about the apex of the great pyramid where the huge bronze harpy once stood. Marina had a score of lesser pyramids, but none stood even of a soul. From here, she could see the whole city, the narrow, twisty alleys and wide brick streets, the temples and granaries, hovers and feasts, rudders and baths, gardens and fountains, the great red circles of the fighting pits, and beyond the walls was the pewter sea, the winding Shkasadan, the dry brown hills burnt orchards and blackened fields. Happier in the garden than it sometimes felt like a god living atop the highest mountain in the world. Do all gods feel so lonely? Some must surely. Sunday he had told her of the Lord of Harmony, worshipped by the peaceful people of Nath. He was uh, the only true God, her little scribe said, the God who always was and always would be, who made the moon and stars and the hearth and all the creatures that were upon them. Poor Lord of Amun. Then he pitied him. I must be terrible to be alone for all time, attended by hordes of butterfly women you could make or unmake at a word. Viserys had seven gods at least, though Viserys had told her that some septons said the seven were only aspects of a single god, seven facets of a single crystal. That was just confusing. The red priests believed in two gods she had heard, but two who were eternally at war. Then he liked that even less. She would not want to be eternally at war. Listen, they served her duck, eggs, and dog sausage, and half a cup of sweetened wine mixed with the juice of a lime. The only drew flies, but the scented candle drove them off. The flies were not so troublesome up here as they were in the rest of her city. She had found something else she liked about the pyramid. I must remember to do something about the flies, then he said. Are there many flies on Nath, Miss Day? On Nath, there are butterflies. The scribe responded in the common tongue. More wine? No, I must hold court soon. Then he had grown very fond of Miss Day. The little scribe with big, golden eyes was wise beyond her, eye, her years. She is brave as well. She had to be, to survive the life she is lived. One day he hoped to see. Is a five-blood eyes of Nath. Missandei said the peaceful people made music instead of war. They did not kill, not even animals. They ate only fruit and never flesh. The butterfly spirits, sacred to their lord of harmony, protected their eyes against those who would do them harm. Many conquerors had sailed on Nath to build their swords, only to sicken and die. The butterflies do not have them when the slave ships came right in, though. I am going to take you home one day, Miss Day. Then he promised, if I had made the same promise to Jorah, would he still have sold me? I swear it. 
This one is content to say with you, your grace, Nath will be there always. You are good to this to me, and you to me. Then he took the girl by the hand. Come, have me dress. She kept Miss Day bathed her while he was laying out her clothes. Today she wore a robe of purple samite and a silver sash, and on her head the tree had a dragon crown, the Germanian brotherhood had given her in cost. Her slippers were silver as well. With her heels so high that she was always afraid she was about to topple over, when she was dressed, Miss Day brought her a polished silver glass so she could see how she looked, then stared at herself in silence. Is this the face of a conqueror? So far as she could tell, she still looked like a little girl. No one was calling her than it is the conqueror yet, but perhaps they would. Ekon the Conqueror had won Westeros with three dragons, but she had taken Marine with sewer rats and wooden cocks. cock in less than a day. Poor Groleo. He still grieved for his ship, she knew. If a war galley could ram another ship, why not a gate? That had been Earth thought. When she commanded the captains to so drive their ships ashore, they must have become her battering rams, and swarms of free men had torn their hulls apart to build mantles, turtles, catapults, and ladders. The sea sword had given each ram a baby name, and it had been the mainmast of Miraxis. Formerly Josso's prank that had broken the eastern gate. Josso's cock, they called it. The fighting had fragged the bitter and bloody for most of a day, and well, into the night before the wood began to splinter, and Marx's iron figure had a laughing jester's face came crashing throughout. Then he had wanted to lead the attack herself, but to a man her captains said that would be madness, and her captains never agreed on anything. Instead, she remained in the rear, sitting atop a silver and a long shirt of mail. She heard the city fall from half a league away, though when the defenders' shouts of defiance changed to cries of fear. Her dragons had roared as one in that moment, filling the night with flame. The slaves are rising, she knew at once. My sewer rats have gnawed half their chains. When the last resistance had been crushed by the unsolid and the sack and run its curse, then he entered her city. The dead were heaped so hard before the broken gate that it took a freed man near an hour to make a path for her silver. Jasso's cock and the great wooden turtle that had protected it, covered with horse hides, they abandoned within. She rode past burned buildings and broken windows, throughout brick streets where the gutters were choked with stiff and swollen dead. During days, it the blood stained hands to her as she went by and called her mother. In the plaza before the great pyramid, the Mirinese and Advid forlorn. The great masses had looked anything but great in the morning light. Stripped of their jewels and their fingers to cars, they were con- 
same table. A herd of old men with shriveled bows and spotted skin and young men with ridiculous hair. The women were either soft and fleshy or as dry as old sticks, their face being streaked by tears. I want your leaders. Then it's all done them. Give them up and the rest of you shall be spared. How many? One old woman had asked Sobi. How many must you have to spare us? 163, she answered. She had them near the two wooden posts around the plaza, each man pointing at the next. The anger was fires and hot inside her when she gave the command. It may her feel like an avenging dragon, but later when she passed the men dying on the posts, when she heard they moaned and smelled the bowls and wood, then he put the glass aside, frowning. It was just, it was, uh, I did it for the children. Her audience chamber was on the level below, and it could in high ceiling from room with walls of purple marble. It was a chilly place for all its grandeur. There, there had been a throne there, a fantastic thing of carved and gilded wood in the shape of a savage harpy. She had taken one long look and commanded it to be broken up for firewood. I will not sit in the RP's lap, she told them. Instead, she sat upon a simple ebony bench. It served though she had heard the marines muttering that it did not benefit a queen. Befit a queen. Her brood riders were waiting for her, silver bells tinkled in the old braids, and they wore the gold and jewels of dead men. Marine had been rich beyond imagining. Even her cells would seem sated. At least for now, across the room, Grey Worm wore the plain uniform of the Ansariad, his spiked bronze cap beneath one arm. Lisa, at least, she could really rely on, or so she hoped, and Brown Ben, Pam as well, started Ben with his grey white hair and watered face, so beloved of her dragons, and the Hario beside him glittering in gold. The Hario and Ben Plum, grey warm, eerie, jiki, misandee, as she looked at them, Danny found herself wondering whether which of them would betray her next. The dragon has three heads. There are two men in the world who I can trust. If I can find them, I will not be alone then. We will be free against the world, like Hagen and his sisters. Was the night as quiet as it seemed? Then he asked. It seemed that it was your grace, said Brown Bampton. She was pleased. Marine had been sacked savagely as the new fallen cities always were, but Danny was determined that should and now that the city was hers. She had decreed that murders were to be and that looters were to lose a hand and rapists their manhood. Height killers swung from the walls and then suddenly had filled a basket with bloody hands and soft red worms. But Marianne was calm again. But for how long? A fly buzzed her head. Danny waved it off, irritated, but it returned almost at once. There are too many flies in this city. 
Bathroom gave a bark of laughter. There were flies in my ear this morning. I swallowed one of them. Flies are the dead man's revenge, Darius smiled and stroked the center prong of his beard. Corpses breathe maggots and maggots breed flies. We will read ourselves of the corpses then, starting with those in the plaza below. Great one, will you see to it? The queen commands, these ones obey. Best spring sucks as well as shoals warm, round bank concealed. Well, fast arrive those ones falling off those poles in bits and pieces and crawling with. He knows, so do I. Don't you remember the horror she had felt when she had seen the plaza of punishment in Estabor? I made a horror just as great. But great, but surely they deserved it. Arch justice is still justice. justice. Your Grace, said Miss Day. Giscari entered the honored dead in crypts below their manses. If you would boil the bones clean and return them to the kin, it would be a kindness. The widows will curse me all the same. Let it be done. Danny beckoned to the Hario. How many seek audience uh, this morning? Two have presented themselves to bask in your radiance. The Hario had pondered himself a whole new wardrobe in Marine, and too much it he had readied his trident beard and curly hair a deep rich purple. It made his eyes look almost purple too, as if he were some lost valerian. They arrived in the night on the Indigo Star, a trading galley out of Garth. The Arya had plundered himself a whole new wardrobe in Marine, and to match it he had red-eyed his trident beard and curly hair deep rich wobber. It made his eyes look almost purple too, as if he were most some lost Valyrian. They arrived in the night on the Indigo Star, a trading galley out of court. A slave, you mean, Danny frowned. Who are they? The star's master and one who claims to speak for Astable. I will see the envoy first. He proved to be a pale, ferret-faced man with ropes of pearls and spun gold hanging heavy about his neck. Your worship, he cried, my name is Gahel. I bring greetings to the mother of dragons from King Cleon of Astabor, Cleon the Great. Then he stiffened, I left a council to rule Astabor, a healer, a scholar, and a priest. Your worship, those thy roads betrayed your trust. It was revealed that they were scheming to restore the good masters to power and the people to chains. Great Cleon exposed their plots and hacked their heads up with a cleaver, and the grateful folk of Astapor have crowned him for his valor. Noble Gahil, said Missandei, in the dialect of Astapor, is this the same Cleon once owned by Grasdan Mohulor? Her voice was guileless. Yet the custom plainly made the envoy anxious. The same, he admitted, a great man. 
Listen to the end closer to Danny. He was a butcher in Grasdan's kitchen. The girl whispered in her ear. It was said he could slaughter a big, a pig faster than any man in Astapor. I've given Astapor a butcher king. Danny felt ill, but she knew she must not let him voice it. I will pray that King Theon rules well and wisely. What would he have of me? Gare rubbed his mouth. Perhaps we should speak more privately, your grace. I have no secrets from my captains and commanders. As you wish, great Cleon bids me declare his devolution to the mother of dragons. Your enemies are his enemies, he says, and chief among them are the wise masters of Yunkai. He proposes a pact between Astapor and Mirini against the Yunkai. I swore no harm would come to Yunkai if they released their slaves, said Danny. These Yunkish thugs cannot be trusted, your worship. Even now, they plot against you. New leaves have been raised and can be seen drilling outside the city walls, where ships are being built. Envoys have been sent to new gears and volunteers in the west to make alliances and hire sellswords. They have even dispatched riders to Vias to truck to bring a Kalasar down upon you. Great Cleon bid me tell you not to be afraid. Astapor remembers. Astapor will not forsake you. To prove his faith, Great Cleon offers to seal your alliance with a marriage. A marriage to me? The elf smiled. His teeth were brown and rotten. Great Cleon will give you many strong sons. Tony found herself bereft of words. But little Miss Sunday came to her rescue. Did his first wife give him sons? The envoy looked at her unhappily. Great Clown has three daughters by his first wife. Two of his newer wives are with child, but he means to put all of them aside if the mother of dragons will consent to wed him. How noble of him, said Danny. I will consider all you have said, my lord. She gave others that Gahel be given chambers of all the night, somewhere lower in the pyramid. On my victorious turn to dross with my hands, she thought, whatever I do, I make his death an horror. When word of what had befallen as the reached the streets, as it surely would, tens of thousands of newly freed Marinia's slaves would doubtless decide to follow her when she went west, for fear of what awaited them if they stayed. Yet it might well be that horse would await them on the march. Even if she emptied every granary in the city and left Mirin to starve, how could she feed so many? The way before, it was a fraught with hardship, bloodshed, and danger. Sergio had warned her of that. He'd warned her of so many things. He'd... no. I will not think of Jorah moment. Let him keep a little longer. I shall say, yes, trader captain, she announced. Perhaps he would have some better tidings that proved to be a fallen hope. The master of the Indigo Star was Carthine, so he wept a cow 
views when asked about Astapor. The city bleeds. Dead men rot, unburied in the streets, each pyramid is an armed camp, and the markets have neither food nor leaves, nor slaves for sale, and the poor children, king cleavers, thugs, have sized the heavy art born boy in Astabo to make new and solid for the trade, though it will be years before they are trained. The thing that surprised Danny most was how unsurprised she was. She found herself remembering Herohi, the Lazarian girl she had once tried to protect, and what had happened to her. It will be the same in Marini. In Marine, once I march, she thought, the slaves from the fighting pits bred and trained to slaughter were already proving themselves unruly, unruly and quarrelsome. They seemed to think they owned the city now and every man and woman in it. Two of them had been among the eight shed hanged. There is no more I can do, she told herself. What do you want of me, Captain? Slaves, he said. My holds are foods bursting with ivory, ambergris, zorze, hides, and other fine goods. I would trade them here for slaves to sell in these and volantes. We have no slaves for sale, said Danny. My queen, the area stepped forward. The riverside is full of marines. Begin leave to be allowed to sell themselves to this guardian. They are thicker than the flies. Then he was shocked. They want to be slaves. The ones who come are well-spoken and gently born, sweet queen. Such slaves are prized. In the free cities they will be tutors, scribes, bad slaves, even healers and priests. They will sleep in soft baths, eat rich foods, and duel in manses. Here they have lost all and live in fear and squalor. I see. Perhaps it was not so shocking if these tales of Astapo were true. Then he thought a moment, any man who wishes to sell himself into slavery may do so. Or woman, she raised a hand, but they may not sell their children, nor a man his wife. In Astapo, the city took a tenth part of the prince, the price each time as they changed hands, Miss Day told her. We'll do the same, Danny decided. Walls were worn with gold as much as swords, a tenth part in gold or silver coin or ivory. Mirin has no need of saffron, clothes or dorset hides. It shall be done as you command, glorious queen. Said the Ario, my stone crows will collect your tenth. If the stone crows saw to the collections, at least half the gold would somehow go astray, Danny knew. But the second sons were just as bad, and the unsullied were as unlettered as they were incorruptible. Records must be kept, she said. Seek among the free men for men who can read, write, and do sums. His business done, the captain of the Indigo saw bowed and took his deal. Then he shifted uncomfortably on the bony, bony bench. She, drew, she dreaded what must come next. Yes, 
Yet, she knew she had put it off too long already. Yunkai and Estebo threats of war marriage proposal. The march was looming over all. I need my knights. I need their swords and I need their counsel. Yet the thought of seeing Germont again made her feel as if she had swallowed a spoonful of flies. Angry, agitated, sick, she could almost feel them buzzing round her belly. And the blood of the dragon, I must be strong. I must have fire in my eyes when I face them, not tears. Tell well was to bring my knights. Danny commanded before she could change her mind. My good knights. Strong bellows was puffing from the climb when he marched them throughout the doors. One meaty hand wrapped tight around each man's arm. Sebastian walked with his head held out, but Sergio stared at the marble floor as he approached. The one is proud, the other guilty. The old man had shaved off his white beard. He looked ten years younger without it, but her balding beard looked older than he had. They halted before the bench. Strongbell was stepped back and stood with his arms across, across his scared chest. Sergio cleared his throat. Khaleesi. She had missed his voice so much, but she had to be stern. Be quiet. I will tell. You well to speak, she stood, when I sent you down into the cellars. Part of me hoped I'd seen the last of you. It seemed a fitting and for liars. To drown in Zaver's filth. I thought the gods would deal with you, but instead you returned to me. My gallant knights always serves an informant and a turn clock. My brother would have hanged you both. Viserys would have anyway. She did not know what Rega would have done. I will admit you have win me the city. Sajora's mouth tightened. When won't use this city with serious rats? Be quiet, she said again, though there was truth to what he said. While Joseph's clock and the other rams were battering the city gates and her archers were firing flights of flaming arrows over the walls, Danny had sent two hundred men along the river under cover of darkness to fire the hulks in the arbor. But that was only the eye their true purpose. As the flaming ships drew the eyes of the defenders on the walls, a few half-mad swimmers found the sewer mass and pried loose a rusted iron grating. Sir Joris, Sir Barristan, strong bellows and twenty brave fools dipped beneath the brown water and dark brick tunnel, a mixed force of seals, wars, unsullied and freed men. Danny had told them to choose only men who had no families and preferably no sense of smell. He had been lucky as well as brave. It had been a moon's turn since the last good rain and the sewers were only tight. Tight. The oil cloth they'd wrapped around their torches kept them dry, so they had light. A few of the freed men were fighting it off the huge ruts until strong bills caught one and beat it in two. 
One man was killed by a great pale lizard that reared up out of the dark water to drag him off by the leg. But when next ripples were spied, Sergiora butchered the beast with his blade. They took some wrong turnings, but once they found the surface, strong bellwoods led them to the nearest fighting pit where they surprised a few guards and struck the chains off the staves. Within an hour of the fighting, they see Marini had risen. You help win the city, she repeated stubbornly, and you have served me well in the past. Sir Barristan saved me from the Titan's bastard and from the sorrowful man in court. Sergio saved me from the prisoner in Vesta um, truck and again from Drogo's bold riders after my son and stars had died. So many people wanted her that sometimes she lost count. And yet you lied, deceived me, betrayed me. She turned to Sir Barristan. You protected my father for many years, both beside my brother on Trident, but you abandoned his areas in exile and bent your knee to the Zurper instead. Why? And tell it true. Some truths are hard to hear. Robert was a, a good knight, chivalrous, brave. He spared my life in the lives of many others. Prince Vizarius was only a boy, it would have been years before he was fit to rule, and forgive me, my queen, but you asked for truth. Even as a child, your brother Vizarius often seemed to be his father's son, in ways that Eager never did. His father's son? Then frowned. What does that mean? The old knight did not blink. Your father is called the Mad King in Westeros. Has no one ever told you? Viserys did, the Mad King, the Zupa called him that, the Zupa and his dogs. The Mad King, it was a lie. Why ask for truth? Sebastian said softly, if you close your ears, ears to it. He hesitated, then continued, I told you before that I used a false name so the Lancers would not know that I joined you. That was less than half of it, your grace. The truth is, I wanted to watch you for a time before pledging you my sword, to make certain that you were not uh, my father's daughter. If she was not a father's daughter, who was she? Mad, he finished, but I see no taint in you. Taint? Then he bristled. I'm no master to quote history at you, your grace. Swords have been my life, not books. But every child knows that the Targaryens have always danced too close to madness. Your father was not the first. King Jaehaerys once told me that madness and greatness are two sides of the same coin. Every time a new Targaryen is born, he said the gods toss the coin in the air and the world holds its breath to see how it will land. Jaehaerys, this old man knew my grandfather. The thought gave her pause. Most of what she knew of Westeros had come from her brother and the rest from Ser Jorah. Ser Barristan would have forgotten more than the two of them had ever known. This man can tell me what I came from, so I am a coin in the hands of some god. Is that what you are saying, sir? No, Ser Barristan replied. You are the true born here of Westeros. 
to the end of my days, I shall remain your faithful knight, should you find me worthy to be as forward again. If not, I am content to serve strong Belwars as his squire. What if I decide you are only worthy to be my fool? Then he asked scornfully, O oh, fair my cook, I would be honoured, your grace, sell me sad with uh, quite dignity. I can bake apples and boy beef as well as any man, and I have ever roasted many a duck over a campfire. I hope you like uh, them greasy, with tart skin and bloody bones that made her smile. I'd have to be mad to eat such fare. Ben Plum, come give Sir Barson your last word. But what beard would not take it? I flung my sword at her face feet and have not touched one since. Only from the end of my queen will I accept his sword again, as you wish. Then he took the sword from Bromvan and offered it healed first. The old man took it reverently. Now kneel, she told him, and swear it to my service. He went to one knee and laid the blade before her as he said words. Then he scarcely heard them. He was the easy one, she thought. The other will be harder. When Sir Barstian was done, the third to Dora, she turned to Dora moment. And now you, sir, tell me the truth. The big man's neck was red. Whether from anger or shame, she did not know. I have tried to tell you through. Half a hundred times, I told you Arslan was more than he seemed. I warned you that Zaro and Piat Pri were not to be trusted. I warned you. You warned me against everyone except yourself. His insolence angered her. He should be humble. He should beg for my forgiveness. Trust no one but your moment, you said. And all the time you were the spider's creature. I am no man's creature. I took the eunuch school, yes. I learned some cheapers. Cheapers. And wrote some letters, but that was all. All? You spied on me and sold me to my enemies. For a time, he said it grudgingly. I stopped. When? When did you stop? I made one report from Cal, but. From Karth? Then he had been hoping it had ended much earlier. What did you write from Karth? That you were my man now? That you want more more of their schemes? Sergio could not meet her eyes. When Wardrobe died, you asked me to go with you to E.T. and the Jade Sea. Was that your wish or Robert's? That was to protect you, he insisted, to keep you away from them. I knew what snakes they were. Snakes? And what are you, sir? Something unspeakable occurred to her. You told them I was carrying Drogo's child. Kalisi. Do not think to deny it, sir. Sir Baristan said sharply, I was there when the eunuch told the council and Robert decreed that her grace and her child must die. You were there, sir, sir. There was even talk that you might do the deed for pardon. A lie, Sir Dora's face darkened. I would never, Daenerys. It was me who stopped you from drinking the wine. Yes, and how was it you knew the wine was poisoned? I I but suspected. The caravan brought a letter from Varys. He warned me there would be attempts. 
He wanted to watch the yes, but no armed. He went to his knees. I had not told that someone else would have. You know that. I know you betrayed me. She touched her body where her son Rego had perished. I know a poisoner tried to kill my son because of you. That's what I know. No. No. He shook his head. I never meant. Forgive me. You have to forgive me. Have to. It was too late. It should have begun to begin to beg him forgiveness. She could not pardon him as she intended. She had dragged the wine cellar behind her horse until there was nothing left of him. Didn't the man who brought him deserve the same? This is Jora, my fire's bear, the right arm that never failed me. I would be dead without him, but I can't forgive you, she said. I can't. You forgave the old man. He lied to me about his name. You sold my secrets to the man who killed my father and stole my brother's phone. I protect you. I fought for you. I killed for you. Kiss me, she thought, betrayed me. I went down into the sewers like a rat for you. It might have been kinder if you'd died there. Then he said nothing. There was nothing to say. Daenerys, he said, I loved you. And there it was. Three treasons we you know, once for blood, once for gold, once for love. The gods do nothing without a purpose, they say. You did not die in battles, so it must be they still have some use for you. But I don't. I will not have your, you near me. You are banished, sir. Go back to your master in King's Landing and collect your pardon, if you can. Or to Astapor, no doubt the butcher king needs knights. No, it is for her. Daenerys, please hear me. She slapped his hand away. Do not ever presume to touch me again or to speak my name. You have until dawn to collect your things and leave this city. If you are found in green past break of day, I will have strong bells twist your head off. I will believe that. She turned her back on him, her skirts swirling. I cannot bear, bear to see his face. Remove this lie from my sight, she commanded. I must not weep. I must not. If I weep, I will forgive him. Strong there was, seized the Sargera by the arm and dragged him out. When Danny glanced back, the knight was walking as if drunk, stumbling and slow. She looked away until she heard the doors open and close. Then she sank back onto the ebony bench. He is Ganda, my father and my mother, my brothers. The Sir William Dari Drogo, who was my son and stars, his son who died inside me, and now Sir Jorah. The Queen has a good heart. The Ariuper threw out his deep purple whiskers, but that one is more dangerous than all the Osnacks and mirrors of wood up in one. His strong hands caressed the heels of his matched blades, those wanton golden women. You need to, you need not even say the word. My radiance only give the tiniest taunt, and your diaries shall fetch you back his ugly head. Give him be. The scales are balanced now. Let him go home. Then pictures are moving amongst old gnarled oaks and tall pines past flowing thorn bushes, grey stones bearded with moss, and little creeks running icy down. Don't sleep, he sighed.
She saw him entering a hole built of huge logs where dogs slept by the heart and the smell of meat and meat hung thick in the smoky air. We are done for now, she told her captains. It was all she could not do, run back up the wide marble stairs. Erie helped her slip from her curts, clothes and into more comfortable garb. Baggy woolen breeches had loose felt tunic painted rocky vest. You are trembling, Khaleesi, the girl said as she knelt to lace up Danny's Sanders uncle, Danny Light. Bring me the book I was reading last night. She went to lose herself in the woods in other times and other places. The fat leather bound volume was full of songs and stories from the Seven Kingdoms. Children's stories, if truth be told, too simple and fanciful to be true history. All the heroes were tall and handsome, and you could tell the traders by their shifty eyes. Yet she loved them all the same. Last night she had been reading of the three princesses in the Red Tower, looked away by the king for the crime of being beautiful. When her and May brought the book, then he had no trouble finding the page where she had left off, but it was no good. She found herself reading the same passage off a dozen times. Sir Dora gave me this book as a bride's gift, the day I wed Caldrogo. But Ariel is right. I shouldn't have banished him. I should have kept him, or I should have killed him. She played at being a queen, yet sometimes she still felt like a scared little girl. Is is always said what adult I was. Was he truly mad? She closed the book. She could still recall Sardra if she wished, or send Ario to kill him. Then he fell from choice out onto the terrace. She found Rega asleep beside the pool, a green and bronze colour basking in the sun. Dragon was perched up atop the pyramid in the place where the huge bronze harpy had stood before she had commanded it to be pulled down. He spread his wings and roared when he spotted her. There was no sign of Viserion, but when she went to the parapet and uh, scanned the horizon, she saw pale wings in the far distance, sweeping above the river. He is hunting. They grow bolder every day. It is still made anxious when they flew too far away. One day one of them may not return, she thought. Your grace, she turned to find Sebastian behind her. What more would you have of me, sir? I spared you. I took you into my service. Now give me some peace. Forgive me, your grace. It was only now that you know who I am. The old man hesitated. An idol of the king's guard is in the king's presence day and night. For that reason, our vows require us to protect his secrets as we would his life. But your father's secrets by rights belong to you now, along with his throne, and I thought perhaps you might have questions for me. Questions? She had a hundred questions, a thousand, ten thousand. Why couldn't she think of one? Was my father truly mad? She blurted out. Why do I ask that? Viserys said this talk of madness was a ploy of the usurpers. Viserys was a child, and the queen sheltered him as much as he, she could. Your, fa your father always had a little madness in him, I know, believe. 
yet he was charming and generous as well, so his lapses were forgiveness. His reign began with such promise, but as the years passed, the lapses grew more frequent until... Then it stopped him. Do I want to hear this now? Sir Bristol considered a moment. Perhaps not, not now. Not now, she agreed. One day, one day you must tell me all the good and the bad. There is some good to be said of my father, surely? There is, your grace, of him, and those who came before him, your grandfather, Jairus, and his brother, their father, Aegon, your mother, and Rhaegar, him most of all. I wish I could have known him. Her voice was wistful. I wish he could have known you. The whole night said, when you are ready, I will tell you all. Then kissed him on the cheek and sent him on his way. That night her handmaids brought her lamb with a salad of raisins and carrots soaked in wine and a hot flaky bread dripping with honey. She could hit none of it. Did Rigor ever grow so weary? She wondered. Did Egan after his conquest? Later, when the time came for sleep, then took Erie into bad weather for the first time since the ship. But even as she shuddered in release and wood her fingers throughout her and made the thick black hair, she pretended it was a drug holding her, only somehow his face kept turning into Darius. If I want the Ario, I need only say so. She lay with Iris' legs entangled in her own. His eyes looked almost purple today. Then his dreams were dark the night. And she woke three times for up remember nightmares. After the third time, she was too restless to return to sleep. Moonlight streamed throughout the slanting window, sibling the marble floors. A cool breeze was blowing throughout the open terrace doors. He raised up suddenly beside her. Her lips slightly parted, one dark brown nipple peeping out of all the sleeping silks. For a moment, Zanny was tempted by the war struggle she wanted, or perhaps the Ariel, not eerie. The maid was sweet and less careful, but all her kisses tasted of duty. She rose, leaving Eerie asleep in the moonlight. Jiki and Miss Day slept in their own beds. Danny slipped on robe and padded barefoot across the marble floor out onto the terrace. The air was chilly, but she liked the feel of grass between her toes and the sound of the leaves whispering to one another. Wind ripples chased each other across the surface of the little bathroom pool and made the moon's reflection dance and shimmer. She leaned against a low brick parapet to look down upon the city. Marie was sleeping too, lost in dreams of kinder days, perhaps. Night covered the streets like a back blanket, hiding the corpses and the grey rats that came up from the sewers to feast on them. The swarms of stinking flies. The sun torches glimmered red and yellow where her sentries wove their rounds, and here and there she saw the faint glow of lanterns bobbing down an alley. Perhaps one was a soldier, leading his oar slowly toward the gate. Farewell, old bear, farewell, betrayer. She was the nervous stoneborn, the unburned, Khaleesi and queen, mother of dragons, the year of warlocks, breaker of chains, and there was no one in the world that she could trust. Your grace, 
Is the student at her elbow, wrapped in a bedrobe of wooden sandals on her feet. I woke and saw that you were gone. Did you sleep well? What are you looking at? My city, said Danny. I was looking for a house with a red door, but by night uh, all the doors are back. A red door? Mr. Day was puzzled. What house is this? No house. It does not matter. Danny took the younger girl by the hand. Never lie to me, Mr. Day. Never betray me. I never would, Mr. Day promised. Look, down comes. Dawn comes. The sky had turned a cobalt blue from the horizon to the zenith, and behind the line of low hills to the east, a glow could be seen, pale gold and oyster pink. Then he held Mr. Day's hand as they watched the sun come up. All the grey bricks became red and yellow and blue and green and orange. The scarlet sands of the fighting pits transformed them into bleeding sores before her eyes, as where the golden jump of the temple of the graces blazed bright and bronze stars winked along the walls where the light of the rising sun touched the spikes on the arms of the unsettled. On the terrace, a few flies stirred sluggishly. A bird began to chirp in the Paris month three, and then two more. Penny cooked her head to her this song, but it was not long before the sounds of the waking city drowned them out, the sounds of my city. That morning she summoned her captains and commanders to the garden. The raider then descended to the other's chamber. Again, the conqueror both fire and blood uh, to a serious part of the world, yet them fierce property and justice. But all I have brought to Davis Bay is death and ruin. I have been more called than queen, smashing and pondering and then moving on. There is nothing to stay for. Said Brown Bentham, You grace, this Davis brought their doom on themselves, said Ariana Harris. You have brought freedom as well, Miss Day pointed out. Freedom to stop? asked Danny sharply. Freedom to die? Am I a dragon or a harpy? Am I a mad? Do I have the taint? A dragon, said Bryson, sad with certainty. Marine is not Westeros, your grace, but how can I rule seven kingdoms if I cannot rule a single city? He had no answer to that, then he turned away from them. To gaze out over the city once again, my children need time to heal and learn, my dragons need time to grow and test their wings, and I need the same. I will not let this city go the way of Astabor. I will not let the army of Yunkai chain up those I feed all over again. She turned back to look at their faces. I will not march. What will you do? Then Khaleesi asked Rakaro. Stay, she said. Rule and be a queen. The king sat at the head of the table, a stack of cushions under his arms, singing each signing each document as it was presented to him. Only a few more, your grace, Sir Kevin Lannister assured him. This is a bill of tender against Lord Edmund Tully, stripping him of Riverun and all its lands and incomes for rebellion against his lawful king. This is a similar tender against his uncle, Sir Brindon Tully, the Blackfish. Tommy signed them 
one after the other, dipping the keel carefully and writing his name in a broad childish hand. Jim watched from the food of the table, thinking of all those lads who aspired to a seat on the king's small council. They came bloody well have mine. If this was power, why did it taste like tedium? He did not feel especially powerful watching Tom and Deep his quill in the ink pot again. He felt bored and sore. Every muscle in his body itched, and his ribs and shoulders were bruised from the battering they'd gotten, courtesy of Sir Adam Marbrand. Just thinking of it made him wince. The king sat at the head of the table, a stack of cushions under his arms, singing, signing each document as it was presented to him. Only a few more, your grace, Sir Kevin Lannister assured him. This is a bill of attainder against our Admiral Tully, stripping him of Riveran and all his lands and incomes for rebelling against his lawful king. This is a similar attainder against his uncle, Sir Brindon Tully, the Blackfish. Thomas signed them one after the other, keeping the care carefully and writing his name in a broad childish hand. Jane watched from the food of the table, thinking of all those lords who aspired to sit on the king's small council. They can beauty well have mine. If this was power, why did it taste like tedium? He did not feel especially powerful, watching Tom and Deepy's quill in the import again. He felt bored and sore. Every muscle in his body aged, and his ribs and shoulders were breathed from the battering they'd gotten courtesy of Sir Adam Marbrand. Just thinking of it made him wince. He could only hope the man would keep his mouth shut. James had known Marbrand since he was a boy, serving as a page at Castle Rock. He trusted him as much as he trusted anyone, enough to ask him to take up shields and turn his words. He had wanted to know if he could fight with his left hand, and now I do. The knowledge was more painful than the beating that Sir Adam had given him, and the beating was so bad he could hardly dress himself this morning. If they had been fighting in earnest, James would have died two dozen deaths. It seemed so simple, changing hands. It wasn't. It wasn't. Every instinct he had was wrong, he had to think about everything, where once he had just moved. And while he was thinking, my brother was thumping him. His left hand couldn't even seem to hold on hold properly. Sir Adam had disarmed him twice, sending his blade spinning. This grants sad lands, incomes, and castle to Sir Hammon Frey and his late wife, Lady Jenna. Sir Kevin presented another sheaf of parchment uh, to the king. Tom and Dipta and signed. This is a decree of legitimacy for a natural son of Lord Rose Bottom of the Dreadfort, and these names Lord Bottom, your garden of the north. Tom Dipta signed. Dipta signed. This grants Sir Rolf Spicer title to the castle of Castamere and raises him to the rank of lord. 
coming school with his name. I should have gone to serve in pain, Jane reflected. The king's justice was not a friend as Marvin was, and might well have bid him beauty. Without a tongue, he was not like the worst of it afterward. All it would take would be one chance remark by Sir Adam in his cups, and the whole court would soon know how useless he had become, the commander of the king's guard. It was a cruel jade that, though not quite so cruel as the gift his father had sent him. This is your royal pattern, followed Gowen Westring, his lady wife, and his daughter Jane, welcoming them back into the king's peace, Sir Kevin said, This is a pardon for Lord John's breaker of Stone Edge. This is a pardon of Lord Once. This for Lord Good Book. This for Lord Mouton of Maidenpool. James pushed himself to his feet. You seem to have. These matters well in hand, Uncle. I shall leave his grace to you, as you wish. Sir Kevin rose as well. Jamie, you should go to your father. This breach between you is his doing. Nor will he mend it by sending me mocking gifts, telling him that if you can pray him away from the tyrants long enough. His uncle looked distressed. The gift was a heartfelt. We thought that it might encourage you to grow a new hand. James turned to Domin, though he had Jaffrey's golden curls and green eyes. The new king shared little as with his late brother. He inclined to plumpness. His face was pink and round, and he even liked to read. He is still shy of nine. This son of mine, the boy, is not the man. It would be seven years before Tom was ruling in his own right. Until then, the real would remain firmly in the hands of his old grandfather. Sire, he asked, do I have your leave to go? As you like, Sir Uncle. Tommen looked back to Sir Kevin. Can I seal them now, great uncle? Pressing his royal seal into the hot box was his favorite part of being king so far. James strolled from the council chamber. Outside door, he found Sir Marine Trant standing stiff at guard in white scale armor and snowy clock. If this one should learn how feeble I am or Kittleback or bound should he of it remain here until his grace is long, he said, then escort him back to my hangers. Trant inclined his head. As you say, my lord. The outer ward was crowded and noisy that morning. Jane made for the stables, where a large group of men were saddling their horses. Still shanks, he called. Are you off then? As soon as my lady is mounted, said Seal Shanks Walton, my lord of Walton expects us. Here she is now. A groom led a fine grey mare out the stable door. On her back was mounted a skinny old-eyed girl wrapped in a big clock. Grey it was like the dress beneath it and trimmed with a white satin. The clasp that pinned it to her breast was wrought in the shape of a wolf's head with slit to the opalizes. The girl's long brown hair blew wild in the wind. She had a pretty face, he thought, but her eyes were sad and weary. When she was him, when she saw him, she inclined her head, Sir James. She had, she said in thin, anxious voice, You are kind to see me off. 
James studied her closely. You know me, da? She bit her lip. You may not recall, my lord, as I was a little then, but I had to honor to meet you at Winterfell when King Robert came to visit my father, Lord Adder. She lowered her big brown eyes and mumbled, I'm Arya Stark. James had never paid much attention to Arya Stark, but it seems to him that this girl was older. I understand you are to be married. I am too well, Lord Bolton's son, Ramsay. He used to be as known, but his grace has made him a Bolton. They say he's very brave. I am so happy. Then why do you sound so frightened? I wish you joy, my lady. James turned back to see Shanks. You have the coin you were promised. Ah, oh, yeah, and we have shared it out. You have my thanks. The Northman grinned. Alice always pays his debts. Always, said James. With a last glance at the girl, he wondered if there was much resemblance. Not that it mattered. The real Arya Sark was buried in some unmarked grave in Flea Bottom in all likelihood. With her brothers, her daughter, and both parents, who would dare name this one a fraud? Good spirit. He told the steel shanks. Nage raised his pierce banner and the northman formed a column as red as the fur clocks and trot out the castle gate. Finger on the grey mare looked small and forlorn in their midst. A few of the horses still shielded away from the dark. Splotch on the art packed ground well, the art had drunk life's fluid of the step boy Gregor. The game had killed so clumsily. The sight of it made James angry all over again. He had told his Kingsguard to keep the crowd out of the way, but that officer Boris had let himself be distracted by the duel. The few boy himself shared some of the blame, to be sure, did that Darnishman as well. And the clicking muscle wall. The bow that took the boy's arm off had been mischanced, but that second cut. Well, Gregory is a pain. Well, Gregory is paying for it now. Grandmaster Paisal was tending to the man's wounds, but the holes hurrying from the master chamber suggested that the healing was not going as well as it might. The flesh mortifies and wounds a whose puss. Paisal. Uh, told the council. Mm. Paisel told the council. Even maggots uh, will not touch such uh, fullness. His convulsions are so violent that I have had to gag him to prevent him from biting off uh, his tongue. I have cut away so much tissue as I dare and treated the rot with boiling wine and bread mold to no avail. The veins in his arm are turning black. When I leached him and the leeches died, my lords, I must know what malignant substance Prince Oberyn used on his spear. Let us detain these other Dornishment until they are more forthcoming. Lord Tywin had refused him. There will be trouble enough with some spear over Prince Oberyn's death. I do not mean to make matters worse 
Urs by holding and his companions captive. Then I fear Sir Gregor might die. Undoubtedly. I swore as much in the latter I said to Prince Doron with his brother's body, but it must be seen to be the sword of the king's justice that slays him, not a poisoned despair. Heal him. Grandmaster Pysel blinked here in dismay. My lord, heal him, Lord Tywin said again, vexed. You are aware that Lord Varys has sent fishermen into the waters around Dragonstone Bay. Report that only a chicken force uh, remains uh, to defend the island. The Disney are gone from the bay, and the great part of Lost is uh, strength with them. Well and good, announced Paisel. Let's send it in Lee's eyesight. We are well rid of the man and his ambitions. Do you turn into another fool when Tyron shaved your beard? This is Tennis Baratheon. The man will fight to the bitter and then some. If he is gone, it can only mean he intends to resume the war. Most likely he will end at Storm's hand and try and rouse the Storm Lords. If so, he's finished. But a bolder man might roll the dice for dawn. If he should win some spear to his cause, he might prolong this war for years. So we will not offend the Martels any farther. For any reason, the Dornish men are free to go, and you will hear Sir Gregor. And so the mountains screamed day and night, Lord Tywin and Sir Kudukau, even the stranger, it would seem. As Jane climbed the winding steps of White Sword Tower, he could hear Sir Boris snoring, in his cell, Sir Balan's door was shut as well. He had the king tonight and would sleep all day. Aside from Blount's snores, the tower was very quiet. That suited James well enough. I ought to rest myself. Last night, after his dance with Sir Adam, he'd been too sore to sleep. When he stepped into his bedchamber, he found his sister waiting for him. She stood beside the open window, looking over the curtain walls and out to sea. The bay winds were around her, flattening her groan against her body in a way that quickened Jane's pulse. It was wide that groan, like the engines on the wall and the drop wires on his bed. Swears on tiny emeralds brightened the hands of her white sleeves and spoiled down her bodies. Larger emeralds were set in the golden spider web that bound her golden ear. The girl was, was cut low to bare her shoulders and the tops of her breasts. She is so beautiful. He wanted nothing more than to care to take care in her arms. To take her in arms, Cersei, he closed the door softly. Why are you here? Where else could I go? When she turned to him, there were tears in her eyes. Fathers made it clear that I am no longer wanted on the council. Jane, won't you talk to him? Jane took off his cloak and hung it from a peg on the wall. I told to Rod. 
I win every day? Must you be so stubborn? All he wants is uh, to force me from the King's Guard and send me back to Castle Rock. That need not be so terrible. He is sending me back to Castle Rock as well. He wants me far away, so he'll have a free and with Taman. Taman is my son, not his. Taman is the king. He is a boy, a frightened little boy who saw his brother murdered at his own wedding. And now they are telling him that he must marry. The girl is twice his age and twice a widow. He is himself into a chair, trying to ignore the age of Bruce's muscles. The tyres are insisting. I see no arm in it. Tom's been lonely since Marcella went to door. He likes having Marjorie and the ladies about let them wed. He is your son. He is my seed. He's never called me father, no more than Jeffrey Habitat. You warned me a thousand times never to show any undue interest in them. To keep them safe, you as well. How would he have looked if my brother had played the father to the king's children? Even Robert might have grown suspicious. Well, he's beyond suspicion now. Robert's death still left a bitter bitter taste in Jane's mouth. It should have been me who killed him, not Cersei. I only wished he had died at in hands. When I still had two of them, if I let Kingslaying become a habit, as he liked to say, I could have taken you as my wife for all the world to see. I am not ashamed of loving you, only of the things I've done to hide it. That boy at Winterfell, did I tell you to throw him out of the window? Out the window? If you had gone hunting as I begged you, nothing would have happened. But no, you had to help me. You could not wait until we returned to the city. I waited long enough. I hated watching Robert stumble to your bed every night, always wondering if maybe that this night he decided to claim his rights as husband. Jim suddenly remembered something else that troubled him about Winterfell. At Riverham, Colin Stark seemed convinced that I'd sent some food to Pat to slit her son's throat. Had I given him a dagger? That, he said scornfully, Tyrion, Tyrion asked me about that. There was a dagger. The scars on Lady Catelyn's hand were real enough. She showed them to me. Did you? Oh, don't be absurd. Cersei closed the window. Yes, I hoped that the boy would die. So did you. Even Robert thought that would have been for the best. We kill our horses when they break a leg and our dogs when they go blind. But we are too weak to give the same mercy to crippled children. He told me he was blind himself at the time from drink. Robert? James had guarded the king long enough to know that Robert Baratheon said such things in his caps that he would have denied angrily the next day. Were you alone when Robert said this? You don't think he said it to Ned Stark, I hope. Of course, we were alone. As uh, us and the children, Cersei removed her 
Aeronet and dropped it over her bad post. Then she called her golden curse. Perhaps Marcella sent this man with the dagger. Do you think so? I was meant as Marguerite, but she'd got right to the heart of it. James saw at once, not Marcella, Geoffrey. So she frowned. Geoffrey had no lover for Rob Stark, but the younger boy was nothing to him. He was only a child himself. A child angry for a pet on the head from that such such you let him believe was his father. He had an uncomfortable thought. Tyrion almost died because of uh, this booty dagger. If uh, he knew the whole thing was Joffrey's work, that might be why. I don't care why, Cersei said. He can take his reasons down to hell with him. If you had seen how Joff died, he fought, James. He fought for every breath, but it was as uh, if some malignant spirit had its hands about his fourth. He had such terror in his eyes. When he was leader, he ran to me. When he was scared of her, then I would protect him. But that night, there was nothing I could do. Tyrion murdered him in front of me, and there was nothing I could do. Sassy sank to her knees before his chair and took James' good hand between both of hers. Joff is dead, and Marcella is dawn. in dawn. Thummond's. All I have left, you mustn't let father take him from me, Jane, please. Lord Tywin has not asked for my approval. I can talk to him, but he will not listen. He will you agree to leave the King's Guard? I'm not leaving the King's Guard. His sister fought back tears. Jane, you are my shining knight. You cannot abandon me when I need uh, you most. He stopped. He uh, is stealing my son, sending me away, and unless you stop him, father is going to force me to wed again. James should not have been surprised, but it was. The words were a blow to his gut, other than any that Sir Adam Marbrand had dealt him. Who? Does it matter? Some lord of other. Someone father thinks he needs. I don't care. I will not have another husband. You are the only man I want in my bed ever again. Then tell him that. She pulled her hands away. You are talking madness again. Would you have us ripped apart as mother did that time? She killed us plain. Tamil will lose the throne. Marcella had her marriage. I want to be your wife. We belong to each other. But I can never be. Jane. We are brother and sister. The Tarkarians, we are not the Tarkarians. Quiet, he said, scornfully. So loud, you wake my sworn brothers. We can't have that now, can we? People might learn that you had come to see me. Jim, she sobbed. Don't you think I want it as much as you do? It makes no matter who they wed me to. I want you at my side. I want you in my bed. I want you inside me. Nothing has changed, changed between us. Let me prove it to you. She pushed up his tunic and began to fumble with the laces of his breeches. Jamie felt himself responding. No, he said. Not here. They had never done it in White Sword Tower, much less in Lord Commander's chambers. So I say, this is not the place. You took me in the soft. 
This is not different. Different. She drew out his cock and bent her head over it. Jane pushed away with the stump of his right hand. No, not here, I said. He forced himself to stand. For instant, he could see confusion in bright green eyes and fear as well. Then rage replaced it. Sassy gathered herself together, got to her feet, straightened her skirts. Was it your hand they hacked off in Arenal or your manhood? As she shook her head, her hair tumbled around her bare white shoulders. I was a fool to come, you lacked the courage to avenge Geoffrey. Why would I think that you'd protect them? Tell me, if the imp had killed all three of your children, would that have made, made you wrath? Tyrion is not going to harm Tommen or Marcella. I am still not certain he killed Joffrey. Her mouth twisted in anger. How can you say that? After all these threats. Threats mean nothing. He swears he did not do it. Oh, he swears. Is that it? And dwarves don't lie. Is that what you think? Not to me. No more than you would. You're, you great golden fool. He's lied to you a thousand times, and so have I. She bowed up her hair again and scooped up the hairnet from the bad post where she'd hung it. Think what you will. The little monster is in a black cell, and soon Sir Ian will have his head off. Perhaps you'd like it for a keepsake. She glanced at the pillow. He can watch over you as you sleep alone in that cold white bed until his eyes rot out that is. You had best go, Cersei. You are making me angry. Oh, an angry cripple. How terrifying, she laughed. A pity Lord Tywin Lannister never had a son. I could have been the heir he wanted, but I licked the cock. And speaking of such, best tuck yours away, brother. It looks rather sad and small, hanging from your breeches like that. When she was gone, James took her advice, fumbling one-handed at his laces. He felt bone deep age in his phantom fingers. I lost a hand, a father, a son, a sister, and a lover. And soon enough I will lose a brother, and yet they keep telling me how Lannister won this war. Tim done. He's a clock and went downstairs, where he found Sir Boris Blount having a cup of wine in the common room. When you are done with your drink, tell Sir Loras I'm ready to see her. Sir Boris was too much of a coward to do much more than glower. You are ready to see who? Just tell Loras. Aye. Sir Boris drained his cup. Aye, Lord Commander. He took his own good time about it, thought, or else the night of flowers proved a heart offense. Several hours had passed by the time they arrived, the slim, handsome youth and the big, ugly maid. Jame was sitting alone in the round room, leafing heedly throughout the white book. Lord Commander Sellers said, You wish to see the maid of thought? 
start. I did, Jim waved them close with his left hand, as you commanded, my lord, and the lad tensed. I it might be it happen as she says, sir, that it was Stannis, I cannot be certain. Very tells me that the castellan of Sam's hand perished strangely as well, said Jim. Sir Courtney Penrose said Brian sadly, a good man, a stubborn man. One day he stood square in the way of the King of Dragonstone. The next day he leaped from a tower. James stood, Sir Lars, we will talk more of his latter. Later you may leave Brian with me. The wench looked as ugly and awkward as ever. He sighed when Tyrell left them. Someone had dressed her in woman's clothing again, but this dress fit much better than that idea's pink rug the god had made her wear. Blue is a good color on you, my lady, James served. It goes well with your eyes. She does have astonishing eyes. Brian glanced down at herself, flustered. Septodonies padded out the bodies to give her that shape. They said, she said, you sent her to me. She lingered by the door, as if she meant to flee at any second. You look different, he managed a uh, half smile. More mint on the ribs and fewer lies in my hair, that's all. The stumps the same. Close the door and come here. She did as he beat her. The white clock is new, but I'm sure I'll soil it soon enough. That wasn't. It was about to say that it becomes you. She came closer, hesitant. Jane, did you mean what you told Sir Lawrence about, about King Renly and the Shadow? James shrugged. I would have killed Renly myself if we've bad met in battle. What do I care who kept his fort? You said I had honor. I'm the bloody Kingslayer, remember? When I say you have honor, that's like a vouchsafing your maidenhood. He leaned back and looked up at her. Still, Shanks is on his way back north. To, da, to, deliver, to deliver Arya Stark to Roosevelt. You gave her to him, she cried, dismayed. You swore an oath to Lady Kathleen. The swore at my throat, but never mind, Lady Kathleen's death. That I could not give her back, her daughters, even if I had them. And the girl may my father sent with the steel shanks was not Arya Stark. Not Arya Stark, you heard me. While our father found some skinny northern girl, more or less the same age with more or less the same coloring. He dressed her up in white and grey, gave her a silver wolf to pin her cloak, and sent her off to wet buttons bastard. He lifted his thumb to point at her. I wanted to tell you that before you went galloping off to rescue her, to rescue her and got yourself killed for no good purpose. You're not off bad with a sword, but you are not good enough to take on two hundred men by yourself. Bian shook her head when Lord Bolton learns that your father paid him with false coin. Oh, he knows. Lannister's lie, remember? It makes no matter. 
this girl serves his purpose just as well. Who is going to say that uh, she isn't Arya Stark? Everyone the girl was close to his dad except for her sister, who has disappeared. Why would you tell me all this if it's true? You are betraying your father's secrets. He had no secrets, he thought. I no longer have a father. I pay my debt, like every girl little line. I did promise that he stalked her daughters, and one of them is still alive. My brother may know where she is, but so he isn't saying. Cersei is convinced that Sansa helped him murder Geoffrey. The wench mouthed, got stubborn. I will not believe that gentle girl a poisoner. Lady Kathleen said that she had a loving heart. It was your brother. There was a trial, Sir said. Two trials, actually. Wards and swords both failed him. A bloody mess. Did you watch from your window? Myself faces the sea. I hear the shouting, though. Prince Oberyn of Dawn is dead, Sir Gregor Clegane lies dying, and Tyrion stands commanded before the eyes of gods and men. They are keeping him in a black cell till they kill him. Brian looked at him. You do not believe he did it? Jane gave her a hard smile. See, wench, we know each other too well. Tyrion wanted to be me since he took his first step. But he'd never follow me in the in King's Lane. Sansa Sakil Joffrey. My brother's kept silent to protect her. He gets these fits of gallantry from time to time. The last one cost him a nose. This time it will mean his head. No, Brian said it was not my lady's daughter. It could not have been her. That's the stubborn, stupid wench that I remember. She reddened. My name is Brianna Tart, James said. I have a gift for you. I ran down the Lord Commander's chair and brought it out, wrapped it in folds of crimson velvet. Brianna approached, as if the bundle was like to bite her, reached out a user freckled hand and flipped back a fold of cloth. Rabbits glimmered in the light. She picked the her treasure up gingerly, curled her fingers around the leather grip, and slowly slid the sword free of its scabbard. Blue and black ripples shone. A finger, a reflected light, ran right along the edge. Is this Valyrian seal? I have never seen such colors. Nor I. There was time that I would have given my right hand to wield a sword like that. Now it appears I have so the blade is wasted on me. Take it. Before she could think to refuse, he went on. A sword so fine must bear a name. It would please me if you would call this one Oathkeeper. One more thing. The blade comes with a price. Her face darkened. I told you, I will never serve. Such fool creatures as us, yes, I recall. Hear me out, Brian. Both of us swore hosts concerning Sansa Stark. Cersei means to see that the girl is found and killed wherever she has gone to ground. Brian's homely face twisted in fury. 
If you believe that, I would harm my lady's daughter for sword doom. Just listen. He snapped, angered by her assumption. I want you to find Sansa first and get her somewhere safe. How else are the two of you are going to make good our stupid vows to your precious dad, Lady Kathleen? The wench blinked. I, I thought. I know what you thought. Suddenly Jane was sick of the sight of her. She blessed uh, like a bloody sheep when Ned Stark died. His great sword was given to the king's justice, he told her. But my father felt that such a fine blade was hosted on a mere, a mere headsman. He gave Celine a new sword and had eyes melted down and reforged. That was enough metal for two new blades. You're holding one, so you'll be defending Ned Stark's daughter with Ned Stark's own steel, if that makes any difference uh, to you. Sir, I, I owe you an Apollo. He, vuol dire apologize, ma apologize vuol dire scusa, è parola metà. He cut her off. Take the bloody sword and go, before I change my mind. There's a bay mare in the stables, as homely as you are, but somewhat better trained. Chase after station, search for Sansa. Or ride home to your isle of sapphires. It's not to me. I don't want to look at you anymore. Jane, Kingslayer, he reminded her. Best use that sword to clean the wax out of your ears, wench. We are done. Suddenly, she persisted. Jeffrey was your... Was your... My king. Leave it at that. You say Sansa killing him. Why protect her? Because Joff was no more to me than a squirt of sea in Cersei camp. And because he deserved to die. I've made the kings and unmade them. Sansa Stark is my last chance for honor. James smiled thinly. Besides, kings theirs should band together. Are you ever going to go? <laughs> A big hand wrapped tight around Oathkeeper. I will, and I will find the girl and keep her safe, for her lady mother's sake and for yours. She bowed stiffly, wild and went. James sat alone at the table while the shadows crept across the room. As dusk began to settle, to settle, he lit a candle and opened the white book to his own page. Kill and ink he found in a drawer. Beneath the last line Sir Barristan had entered, he wrote in an awkward hand that might have done, done credit to a six-year-old being third his first letters by, by a master, defeated in the whispering wood by the young wolf, Rob Stark during the War of the Five Kings. Held captive at River Run and ransomed for a promise unfulfilled. Captured again by the brave companions and named at the war of Vargo Hortley, Captain, losing his ward hand to the blade of Zolo the Fat, returned safely to King's Landing by Brienne, the maid of Tart. When it was done, more than three quarters of the page still remained to be filled between the gold line 
on the crimson shield, on top and the black white shield at the bottom. Sergei ruled Eye Tower and began his history, and Sarbarison Selmy had continued it, but Rest James Lancer would need to write for himself. He could write whatever he chose, henceforth, wherever he chose. The wind was blowing wild from the east, so strongly heavy cage with rock whenever a gas a gas got it in his teeth. It curled along the wall, shivering off the ice, making John's clock flap against the bars. The sky was late grey, the sun no more than a faint patch of brightness behind the clouds. Across the Killian ground, he could see the glimmer of a thousand campfires burning, but their lights seemed small and powerless against such gloom and cold. A grim day. Jon Snow wrapped a glowed hands around the bars and held tight as the wind hammered at the cage once more. When he looked straight down past his feet, the ground was lost in shadow, as if you were being lowered into some bottomless pit. Well, that is a bottomless pit of sorts, he reflected, and when this day's work is done, my name will be shadowed forever. Pastor children were born from last and lies, man said. Their nature was wanton and treacherous. Once John had a man to prove them wrong, she showed his lord father that he could be as good and true a son as Rob. I made a botch of uh, that. Rob had become a hero king. If John was remembered at all, it would be as a turn clock, an oathbreaker, and a martyr. He was glad that Lord Edder was not allowed to see his shame. I should have stayed in that cave with Ygritte, if that was life beyond this one. He hoped to tell her that she would claw my face the way he did and curse me for a coward, but I'll tell her. All the same, he reflected his world hat, as Master Emmon had thought him. The abbot had become part of him, and he would need his fingers to be limber to have even half a chance of murdering a man's rider. They had pulled him out this morning after four days in the ice, locked up in cell five by five too low for him to stand, too fired for him to strength, out on his back. The stewards had long ago discovered that food and meat kept longer in the icy storerooms carved from the base of the wall, but prisoners did not, you will die in here, Lord Snow. Sir Allison had said just before he closed the heavy wooden door and John had believed it, but this morning they had come and pulled him out again and marched and marched him cramped and shivering back to the king's tower.
you stand before jolly Janice Lind once more. You will dine here, here last night, said Alice had said just before he closed the heavy wooden door, and John had believed it. But this morning they had come and pulled him out again, and marched him crumpled and shivering back to the king's tower to stand before jolly Janice Lind once more. That whole master says I cannot hang you. Slint declared he was written, got her bike, and even had the bloody go to show me the letter. He says you are not the not turn clock. Hamlet's lived too long, my lord, Sir Alistair assured him. His wits have gone dark as his eyes. I yes, then said, a blind man with a chain about his neck. Who does he think he is? Amon Targaryen, John thought, a king's son and a king's brother and a king who might have been, but uh, he said nothing. Still, Slyne said, I will not have it said that General Slyne to hang that man unjustly. I will not. I have decided to give you one last chance to prove you are as loyal as you claim, Lasno. One last chance to you do your duty. Yes, he stood. Mansoria wants to parley with you. Because he knows he has no chance now that Janice Lind has come, so he wants to talk. This king be on the wall, but the man is craven and will not come to us. No doubt he knows I'd again hide, hang him. Hang him by his feet from the top of the wall. On a rope two hundred feet long, but he will not come. He asks that we send an envoy to him. We're sending you, Lord Snow, Sir Alisal smiled. Me. John's voice was flat. Why me? You rolled with these wildings, said Thorn. Man's Rider knows you. He will be more inclined to trust you. That was so wrong, John might have laughed. You have got it backward. Man suspected me. Mm, man suspected me from the first. If I show up in his camp wearing a black cloak again and speaking for the night's watch, he'll know that I betrayed him. He asked for an envoy. We are sending one, said Slade. If you are too craven to face uh, this strong clock king, we can return you to your eyes, uh, Sal. This time, without uh, the furs, uh, I think. Yes, no need for that, my lord, said Sir Alizar. Lord Snow will do as we ask. He wants uh, to show us that he is no turn clock. He wants to prove himself loyal man of the Night's Watch. Thorne was much the more clever of the two. John realized his had his sink all over it. He was trapped, although he said in a quiet, curt voice, My lord, Thomas Lind reminded him, You address me. I go, my lord, but you are making a mistake, my lord. You are sending the wrong man, my lord. Just the sight of me is going to anger man's. My lord would have a better chance of reaching terms if he sent terms. Sir Alisa chuckled. Janice does not make terms with lawless savages, Lord Snow. No, he does not. We are not sending you to talk with man's writer. 
Mr. Edison said, "We are sending you to kill him." The wind whistled throughout the bars, and just now shivered. His leg was throbbing, and his head. He was not fit to kill a kitten, yet he was. The trap had teeth. With Master Eamon insisting on John's innocence, Lord Jonas had not dared to leave him in the ice to die. This was better. Our honor means no more than our lives, so long as the realm is safe. Going up and outside in the forest fangs, he must remember that. Whatever his demons or only tried and failed, the free folk would kill him. Even desertion was impossible. If he had been so inclined to Mel's, he was a proven liar and betrayer. When the cage jerked to a halt, John swung down onto the ground and rattled the long claw heeled to loosen the bastard blade in its scabbard. The gate was a few yards to his left. Still blocked by the splintered ruins of the turtle, the carcass of a mammoth riffening within. There were other corpses too, strewn amidst broken barrels, hardened feet and patches of burnt grass, all shadowed by the wall. John had no wish to linger here. He started walking toward the wilding camp, past the, vo- the, the body of a dead giant whose head had been crushed by stone. A room was pulling out bits of rain from the giant's shattered skull. He looked up as he walked by. Snow, it screamed at him. Snow, snow. Then it opened its wings and flew away. No sooner had he started out than a lone rider emerged from the widening camp and came toward him. He wondered if Mans was coming out to parley in no man's land. That might make it easier, though nothing will make it easy. But as the distance between them diminished, John saw that the old man was short and broad, with gold rings glinting on thick arms and white bears spreading out across his massive chest. Her turns boomed when they came together. Just know the crowd. I fear I will see the last of you. I never knew you feared anything, determined. That made the wedding green. Well said that. I see your clock is back, man's won't like that. If you have come to change sides again, best climb back on the wall of yours. They sent me to treat with the king beyond the wall. Treat? Tremont laughed. Now there's a word. Har, man's wants to talk. That's true enough. Can say he'd want to talk with you, though. I'm the one they've sent. I see that. Best come along then. You want to ride? I can walk. You fought as hard here. Turn turned his garron back toward the wadding camp. You and your brothers, I give you that. Two hundred dead and a dozen giants. Meg himself went in that gate of yours and never did come out. He died on the sword of a brave man named Donald Noye. Hiya. Some great lord was he, this Donald Noyer, one of your shiny knights in the sailor's more clothes, a blacksmith, he only had one arm. A one-armed smith slew Meg the Mighty. 
Her that must all be an fire to see. Man's will make a song of it. See if he don't. Tormund took a water skin off his saddle and pulled the cork. This will warm us some to Donald Noya and make the mighty. He took a swing and had ended it down to John. To Donald Noya and make the mighty. The skin was full of mad, but uh, amid uh, so potent that it made joy, John's eyes uh, water and sand, tendrils of fire snaking throughout his chest. After the ice saw and the cold ride down in the cage, the warmth was welcome. Tommen took the skin back and down, downed another swing. Then wiped his mouth, the magnet of then sword, just that he had the gate wide open. So all we needed to do was stroll throughout, singing. He was going to bring the wall, wall down. He broke down, barge and said, Honey said, Har, said Simon. Well, I never had much use for steer. When a man's got no beard, nor hair, nor ears, you can't get a good grip on him when you fight. He kept his horse at the slow walk so John could limp beside him. What happened to that leg? An arrow. One of Igrit, I think. That's a woman for you. One day she is kissing you. The next she is filling you with arrows. She's dead. Are you? Thurman gave a sad shake of the head, a waste. If I'd been ten years younger, I'd have stolen her myself. That hair that she had, while well, the hottest fires burn out quickest, he lifted the skin of mad to Ygritte, kissed by fire. He drank deep. To Ygritte, kissed by fire, John repeated when Thurman handed him back the skin. He drank ever, even deeper. Was it you killed her? My brother. John had never learned which one and hoped he never would. You bloody crowds. Tormund's tone was gruff, yet strangely gentle. That long spear stole me, daughter. Munda. Munda. Minister Autumn Apple. You know nothing, just now. You will have told him. I know that I am going to die, he thought. I know that much, at least. All men die. He could almost hear her say, and woman too, and every beast that flies or swims or runs. It's not the when or dying that matter. It's the how of it, just now. Easy for you to say, he thought back. You died brave in battle, storming in the castle of a fort. I'm going to die at ten o'clock in a killer. Nor would his death be quick, unless it came on the hand of Manus's sword. Soon they were among the tents. It was the usual wild day in camp, a sprawling jumble of cook fires and peace. Children and goats wandering freely, sheep bleeding among the streets, horses hides pegged up to dry. 
There was no plan not to hear no order, no defenses, but there were men and women and animals everywhere. Many ignored him, but for everyone who went about his business, there were ten who stopped to stare. Children squinting by the fires, old women in dog carts, cave dwellers with painted faces, riders with clothes and snakes and severed heads. Painted on their shields, all turned to have a look. John saw spear wives too, their long hair streaming in the piney wind that sighed between the trees. There were no true hills here, but men's riders white fur tent had been raised on a spot of white stony ground right on the edge of the trees. The king beyond the wall was waiting outside, his rocket red and black clock blowing in the wind. Harma Dogshad was with him, done so, back from a raid and pains along the wall, and the Vladimir six uh, skins uh, as well, attended uh, by his uh, shadow cat and two lean grey wolves. When they saw who the watch had sent, Harma turned her head and spat, and one of Vladimir's was bared its teeth and growled. You must be very brave or very stupid, Jon Snow, Nance Rider said, to come back to us wearing a black cloak. What else would a man of the night's watch wear? Kill him, he urged the armor. Send his body back up in the cage of the ears and tell them to send us someone else. I'll keep his out for my standards. A strong cock worse than a dog. I wonder you, he was a false. Vermeer's tone was uh, mild, but his shadow cat was staring at John hungrily throughout his littered grey eyes. I never did like uh, the smell of him. Put pull in your clothes, beastling. Someone the John's been swung down half his oars. The lads are here to hear. To her, you lay a paw on it. Might be I'll take me that shadow skin clock I've been waiting. Wanting. Thurman Crowlover. Harma sneered. You are a great sack of wind, old man. The skin changer was a grey faced, round shouldered, and bold. A mouse of a man with wolfing's eyes. Once a horse is broken to the saddle, any man can mount him, he said in a soft voice. Once a beast's been joined to a man, any skin changer can sleep inside and ride him. Aurel was withering inside his father's, so I took the eagle for my own. But the joining walks both ways work. Aurel lives inside me now. Why whispering how much he hates you, and I can soar above the wall and see with the eagle eyes. So we know, said the mouse, we know how few you are when you stopped the, the turtle. We know how many came from Eastwatch. We know how your supplies have dwindled. Peach oil arrows bears. Even your stair is gone, and that cage can only lift so many. We know, and now you know, we know. He opened the flap of the tent. Come inside, the rest of you. Wait here. What? 
Even me, said Sarnard. Particularly you, always. It was a warm within. A small fire burned beneath uh, the smoke holes and the brazier smoldered, smoldered near the pile of furs where Dalla lay, pale and sweating. Her sister was holding her hand. Val, John remembered. I was sorry when George fell, he told her. Val looked at him with pale grey eyes. He always climbed too fast. She was as fair as he'd remembered, slender, full-breasted, graceful even at rest, with a height sharp, cheekbones and a thick braid of honey-colored hair that fell to her waist. The last time is near, Mans explained. She and Val will stay. They know what I mean to say. John kept his face as still as ice, full enough to slay a man in his own tent under a truce. Must I murder him in front of his wife as their child is being born? He closed the fingers of his sword hand. Mass was not wearing armor, but his own sword was seated on his left hip, and there were other weapons in the tent. Daggers and dirks, a bow and a quiver of arrows, a bronze-headed spear lying beside that big black horn. Dance good in the breath, in his breath. A war horn, a bloody great war horn, yes, man said. The horn of winter that Ramon once blew to wake giants from the hearth. The horn was huge, eight feet long, the curve and so wide at the mouth that he could have put his arm inside up then to the elbow. If this came from an arrow, it was the biggest that ever lived. At first he thought the bands around it were bronze, but when he moved closer he realized that they were gold. All gold, more brown than yellow, and graven with runes. He grinned sad, you never found the horn. Did you think only crows could lie? I liked you well enough for bastards, but I never trusted you. A man needs to earn my trust. Trust. Don't face the him. If you have had the horn of German all along, why haven't you used it? Why bother building to and sending thans to kill us in our beds. If this on is all the songs say, why not just sound it and be done? It was Dalla who answered him, Dalla agreed with child, lying on her pile of furs beside the brazier. We free folk know things you millers have forgotten. Sometimes the short road is not the safest, John Snow. The Orned Lord once said that sorcery is a sword without a hilt. There is no safe way to grasp it. Let's run a hand along the curve of the great horn. No, man goes hunting with only one arrow in his quiver. He said, I had hoped that Steer and John 
who take your brothers uh, unawares and open the gate for us, drew your garrison away with feints and raids and secondary attacks. Bow and Marsh shall swallow that lure as I knew he would, but your band of cripples and orphans proved to be more stubborn than anticipated. Don't think you stopped us, though. The truth is, you are too few and we are too many. I could continue the attack here and still stand. Then, ten thousand men to cross the Bay of Seals on rafts and take his watch from the, the rear. I could storm the Shadow Tower, too. I know the protease as well as any man alive. I could send men and uh, mammoths to dig out the gates and the castles you've abandoned all of them at once. Why don't you, then? John could have drawn long them, but he wanted to hear what the wilding had to say. Blood, said Settlement's rider. I'd win in the end, yes, but you'd bleed me, and my people have bled enough. Your losses haven't been that heavy. Not at your hands, men studied John's face. You saw the face of the first man. You know what happened there. You know what we are facing. The others, they grow stronger as the days grow shorter and the nights colder. First they kill you, then they send your dead against you. The giants have not been able to stand against them, nor the Thames, the Ice River, lands the own foots. Nor you, nor me. There was anger in the admission and bitterness too deep for words. Raymond Redbert, Bail the Bard, Gender and Gorn, the Orn Lord, they all came south to conquer, but I've come with my tail between my legs to hide behind your wall. He touched the horn again. If I sound the horn of winter, the wall will fall. Also, the songs would have uh, me believe. There are those among my people who want nothing more. But once the wall is fallen, Dalla said, What will stop the others? As gave her friend's smile. It's a wise woman I found, a true queen. He turned back to John. Go back and tell them to open their gate and let us pass. If they do, I will give them the horn and the wall will stand until the end of days. Open the gate and let them pass. Easy to say, but what must follow? Giants camping. In the ruins of Winterfell, cannibals in the wood, chariots sweeping across the barrow lands, free folks stealing the daughters of shipwrights and silversmiths from White Harbor and Fishwives of the Stony Shore? Are you a true king? John asked suddenly. I've never had a crown on my head or set my arms on a blue deer throne. If that's what you're asking, Mans replied. My birth is as low as a man's can get. The septons I was married. My head we always I don't own any castles and my queen Whereas furs and amber, not silk and the sapphires, I am my own champion, my own fool, and my own harpist. You don't become king beyond the wall because your father was. 
the free folk won't follow a name, and they don't care which brother was born first. They follow fighters. When I left the shadow tower, there were five men making noises about how they might be the staff of kings. Termond was one, the Magnar another, the other three eyes knew. When they made it plain, they'd sooner fight than follow. You can kill your enemies, John said bluntly, but can you rule your friends? If we let your people pass, are you strong enough to make them keep the king's peace and obey the laws? Whose laws? Those of Winterfell and King's Landing? Mans laughed. When we win laws, we'll make our own. You can keep your king's justice too, and your king's taxes. I'm offering you the horn, not our freedom. We will not kneel to you. What if we refuse the offer? John had no doubt that they would. The old bear might uh, at least have listened, though he would have barked at the notion of letting thirty or forty thousand weddings lose on the seven kingdoms. But Alizar Thorne and Janus Lind would dismiss the notion out of hand. If you refuse, Miss Ryder said, Charmond Giant's Bane will sound the horn of winter three days hence at dawn. He could carry the message back to Castle Black and tell them of the horn, but if he left Mount Steel Lilar Janus and Sir Alice would size on this proof that he was a turn clock. A thousand thoughts flickered throughout John's head. If I can destroy the horn, smash it here and now. But before he could begin to think that through, he heard the low moan of some other horn made faint by Zan's high walls. Mansell heard it too. Frowning, he went to the door. To the region followed. The war horn was louder outside. Its call had stirred the wilding camp. Three horned foot men chugged past, carrying long spears. Horses were winning and snorting, giants roaring in the old tongue, and even the mammoths were restless. Outfighters on German told men something coming. Varmir sat cross legged on the half frozen ground. His wolves circled restlessly around him. A shadow swept over him, and John looked up to see the eagle's blue-gray wings coming from the east. When the dead walk wars and stakes and swords mean nothing, he remembered, you can't fight the dead, John Snow. No man knows that half so well as me. I'm as cold. East, the whites, the wits should be behind us. East, the skin changer repeated something. Scummy. The others, John asked. Man shook his head. The others never come when the sun is up. Chariots were rattling across the killing ground, jammed with riders waving spears. Our sharp nerd bone, the king groaned. Where the bloody hell do they think they are going? Queen. Get uh, those uh, fools uh, back uh, where they belong. Someone bring my horse, the mare, not the stallion. I want my armor too. Mans glanced suspiciously at the wall. Atop the icy parapets, the straw soldiers stood collecting arrows, but there was no sign of any other activity. 
Hammer, mount of your riders, Tormund, find your sons and give me a triple lion of spears. Aye, said Tormund, striding off. The mostly little skin changer closed his eyes and said, I see them. They are coming along the streams and game trails. Who? Men. Men on horses. Men in steel and men in black. Crowds. Men's made the world, of course. Of course. He turned on John. Did me, old brothers, think they'd catch me with my breeches down if they attacked while we were talking? If they planned an attack, they never told me about it. You did not believe it. Lord Janus liked the man to attack the Waldian camp. Besides, he was on the wrong side of the wall, and the gate was sealed with rubble. He had a different sort of treachery in mind. This can't be their work. If you are lying to me again, you won't be living here alive. Man's warned. His guards brought him his horse and armor. Elsewhere around the camp, John saw people running at cross purposes, some men forming up as if to storm. The wall while others slipped into the woods, women driving dog carts east, the mammals wandering west. He reached back over his shoulder and drew long claw. Just as a thin line of rangers emerged from the fringes of the wood three hundred yards away, they were black men, black half hands and black clocks. Half armored man drew his sword. You knew nothing of this, did you? he said to John coldly. Slow as a honey on a cold morning, the rangers swept down on the Waldian camp. Picking their way throughout plums of gorse and stands of trees over roots and rocks, while things flew to meet them, shouting war cries and waving clubs and bronze swords and axes made of flint, galloping headlong at their ancient enemies. A shout, a slash, and a fine ray of death. John had heard brothers saying of the free folks way of fighting. Believe what you will, John told the king beyond the wall, but I knew nothing of any attack. I must thunder the past before months, could reply, riding at the head of thirty riders. Her standard went before her, a dead dog impaled on a sparing blood at every stride. Mass watched as she smashed into the rangers. Might be you are telling it true, he said. Those look like East Watchmen, sailors on horses. Cutter Pike always had more guts than sense. He took the Lord of Bones at Long Barrow. He might have thought to do the same with me. If so, he's a fool. He doesn't have the man. He knows. The shout came. It was a scout bursting from the trees on a lettered horse. Man, there is more. They are all around us. Iron man, iron, a horse of iron man. Cursing men swung up into the southern. Baramir stay and see that no arm comes to Dala. The king beyond the wall pointed his sword at John and kept a few extra eyes on this crowd. 
if he runs a rip out his throat. Ah yeah, I'll do that. The skin changer was a head shorter than John, slumped and soft, but that shadow cat could this involve him with one paw. They are coming from the north too, Barmir told Mans. You best go. Mans turned his arm with its raven wings. His men were mounted up as well. Her old man snapped to me from wedge. Yet when he slammed his ears into the mirror and flew across the field, at Rangers, the man who raced to catch him lost all semblance of formation. John took a step toward the tent, thinking of the horn of winter, but the shadow cat blocked him, tail lashing. The beast's nostril flared. The beast's nostrils flared, as labor ran from his curved teeth. He smells my fear. He missed the ghost more than ever then. The two wolves were behind him, growling. Banners, he heard them murmur. I see golden banners. Oh, I'm a wolf lumbered by, trumpeting a half dozen bowmen in a wooden tower on its back. The king, no. That? The skin changer threw back his head and screamed. The sound was shocking. Your person, thick with agony, Vermeer fell, everything, and the cat was screaming too. And I died in the eastern sky against the wall of cloud, just saw the eagle burning. For a heartbeat, it flamed farther than a star, withered in red and gold and orange its wings beating wildly at the air as if it could fly from the pain. Either it flew and either and either still. The scream broke, well out of the tent, white-faced. What is it? What happened? Varamir's wolves were fighting each other and the shadow cat had raced off into the trees, but the man was still twisting on the ground. What's wrong with him? Bud demanded, horrified. Where is man's? There, John pointed. Gone to fight, the king led his wedge into a knot of rangers, his sword flashing. Gone? He can't be gone, not now, it started. The battle? He watched the rangers scatter before Arma's bloody dog's head. The raiders screamed and hacked and chased the man in black back into the trees. But there were more. Men coming from the wood, a column of a horse. Knights on a heavy horse, John so Arma had to regroup and wheel to me and them, but half of her men had raised the two far head. The birth. Val was shouting at him. Trumpets were blowing all around, loud and brazen. The Wadians had no trumpets, only war horns. They knew that as well as he did. The sound sent free folk running in confusion, some toward the fighting, others away. A mammoth was stamping throughout a flock of sheep that three men were trying to herd up west. The drums were beating as weddings run two form squares and lines, but they were too late, too disorganized, too slow. The enemy was emerging from the forest, from the east, the northeast, the north. Three great columns of heavy horse 
All the green teams see and bright whole circuit. Now the men of Eastwatch, those had been no more than a line of scouts. An army. The king, so was a confused, as confused as the wildings could rob after return, had the boy on the iron throne finally thus tilted himself. You best get back inside the tent, he told one. Across the field, one column had washed over Armadag shed, and then smashed into the flank of Torman's spearman, as he and, he and his sons desperately tried to turn them. The giants were climbing onto the mountains, uh, though, and the knights uh, on their bare horses did not like that um, at all. He could see how the cursors uh, and the stirs screamed and scattered at the sight of those lumbering mountains, but there was a fear on the wild inside as well. Hundreds of women and children rushing away from the battle, some of them thundering right under the hooves of caverns. He saw an old woman's dark cart peer into the path of three chariots to send them crashing into each other. God, Val whispered, God, why are they doing this? Go inside the tent and stay with Dalla. It's not safe out here. It would be a great deal safer inside, but she didn't need to hear that. I need to find the midwife, Val said. You're the midwife. I'll stay here until Mans comes back. He had lost sight of Mans, but now he found him again, cutting his way throughout a knot of mounted men. The mammoths had shattered the center column, but the other two were closing like pincers. On the eastern edge of the camp, some archers were losing fire arrows at the tents. He saw a mammoth back at night from his saddle and flying him forty feet with a freak of its trunk. But then streamed past women and children running from the battle, some the battle, some with the men arraying them long. A few of them gave John dark looks, but long claw was in his hand, and no one troubled him. Even Baromir fled, crawling off on his hands and knees. More and more men were peering from the trees, not only knights now, but Free riders and mounted bowmen and men at arms in jokes and uh, kitten hands. Dozens of men, hundreds of men, a blaze of banners flew above them. The wind was whipping them too wildly for John to see the sigils. But he glimpsed a seahorse, a field of birds, a ring of flowers. And yellow, so much yellow, yellow banners with a red device, whose arms were those east and north and northeast. He saw bands of wildings trying to stand and fight, but the attackers rolled right over them. The free folk seal had the numbers, but the attackers had sea armor and heavy horses. In the thickest part of the free, John saw men standing tall in his stirrups. His red and black cloak and raven wing that had made him easy to pick out. He had his sword raised and men were rallying to him when a wedge of knights smashed into them with the lance 
and sword and long axe. Mrs. Meyer went up on her hinder legs, kicking, and the spear took her throughout the breast. Then the steel tide washed over him. It's them, John thought. They are breaking. The Wadians were running through, throwing down their weapons on footmen and cave dwellers and tens in bronze scales. They were running. Mans was gone. Someone was uh, waving Armand's head on a pole. Terman's lines had broken. Only the giants on their mammoths were holding airy Iceland in a red steel sea. The fire was leaping from town to town. And some of the tall pines were going up as well, and throughout the smoke another wedge of armored riders came uh, on varied horses, floating above them, where largest banners, yet royal standards as big as sheets, a yellow one with long pointed tongues that showed a flaming heart, and another like a sheet of beaten gold, with a black stag prancing and rippling in the wind. Robert, John thought for one mad moment, remembering poor Owen, but when the trumpets blew again and the knights charged, the name they cried was Stannis, Stannis, Stannis. John turned away and went inside the tent. Outside the inn on Watered Gibbet, a woman's bones were twisting and rattling at every gust of wind. I know this inn. There hadn't been a gibbet outside the door when she had slept here with her sister Sansa under the watchful eye of September day, though. We don't want to go in, Arya decided suddenly. There might be ghosts. You know how long it's been since I had a cup of wine? Sansa swung down from the saddle. Besides, we need to learn who holds the rabbi ford. Stay with the horses if you want. It's no hair of my horse. What if they know you? Sander no longer troubled to hide his face. He no longer seemed to care who knew him. They might want to take you captive. But then tried. He loosened his long sword in its scabbard and pushed throughout the door. I would never have a better chance to escape. She could ride off on Craven and take stranger too. She chewed it early, then she led the horses to the stables and went in after him. They know him. The silence had told her that, but that wasn't the worst thing. She knew them too, not the skinny in cape, nor the woman, nor the field hands by the hearth, but the others, the soldiers. She knew the soldiers. Looking for your brother, Sandal? Oliver's hand was down the bodies of the girl on his lap, but now he's laid it out, looking for a cup of wine. In keep a flagon of bread, Cregan threw a handful of coppers on the floor. I don't want no trouble, sir. Then keep said, then don't call me, sir. His mouth twitched. Are you deaf? I ordered wine. As the man ran off, Gligan shouted after him, two cups. The girls are thirsty, too. There are only three hours of thought. Polyver gave her a fleeting glance, and the boy beside him never looked at her at all, but the third one gazed long and hard. 
He was a man of milding height and build, and a face so ordinary that it was hard to say how old he was. The tickler, the tickler and the polyver both. The boy was a squire, judging by his age and dress. He had a big white pimple on one side of his nose and some red ones on his forehead. Is this the last uh, Professor Gregor spoke of? He asked uh, the tickler. The one who peddled in the rushes and ran off? The tickler put a warning hand on the boy's arm and gave a short, sharp shake of his head. I read that uh, plain enough. The squire didn't, or else he didn't care. Sir said, his puppy brother tucked his tail between his legs when the battle got too warm at King's Landing. He said he ran off for whimpering. He gave the hound a stupid mocking grin. Clegan studied the boy and never said a word. Forever showed the girl off his lap and got to his feet. The lads drank, he saw. The man at arms was almost as tall as the hound, though not so heavily muscled. A spade-shaped beard covered his jaws and jaws, thick and black and neatly trimmed about his head. There was more bow than not. He can't hold his wine, is all. Then he shouldn't drink. The puppy doesn't scare. The boy began, till Tickler casually twisted his hair between thumb and forefinger. The words began came a squeal of pain. The innkeeper come scurrying back with two stone caps and a flagon on a pewter platter. Sander lifted the flagon to his mouth. Arya could see the muscles in his neck working as he could. When he slammed it back down on the table, half the wine was gone. Now you can pour best pick up those coppers too. It's the only coin you are like to see today. We'll pay when we are done drinking, said Polder. When you are done drinking, you'll tickle the innkeep to see where he keeps his gold, the way you always do. The innkeep suddenly remembered something in the kitchen. The locals were leaving too, and the girls were gone. Only sound in the common room was the faint crackling of the fire in the hearth. We should go to Ariane. If you're looking for Sir, you come too late, Polyver said. He was at Harunov, but now he's not. The Queen sent for him. He wore three blades on his belt, Aria saw, a long sword on his left hip, and on his right a dagger and a slimmer blade. Too long to be a dirk and too short to be a sword. King Geoffrey's dad, you know, he added, poisoned at his own wedding feast. Arya had father into the room. Geoffrey's dad. She could almost see him, with his blonde curls and his mean smile and his fat soft lips. Geoffrey's dad. She knew it out to make her happy, but somehow she still felt empty inside. Jeffrey was dead, but if Rob was dead too, what did it matter? So much for my brave brothers of the King's Guard that the hound gave us not of content. Who killed him? The imp, it's thought. Him and his little wife. What wife? I forgot. 
You have been hiding under a rock, the northern bird, Winterfell's daughter. We heard she killed the king with a spell and afterward changed into a wolf with big little wings like a bat and flew out our window. But she left the door behind us as he means to have his head. That's stupid, Arya thought. Sansa only knows songs, not spells, and she'd never marry him. The young sat on the bench closest to the door. His mouth twitched, but only the burn the side. She urged deep him in wildfire and cooked him, or tickled him till the moon turns black. He raised his wine cap and drained it straight away. It is one of them, Ariel thought when she saw that. She bit her lips so hard she tasted blood. He is just like they are. I should kill I should kill him when he sleeps. So Gregor took Arunan, Sander said. Didn't require much taking, said Polyver. The smells would fled as soon as they knew we were coming, all but a few. One of the gogs opened the postern gate for us to get back at Hoot for cutting off his food. He chuckled. We kept him to cook for us a couple wenches to warm our beds and put all the rest to the sword. All the rest, Arya blurted out while Sarah kept Hoot to pass the time. Sandor said, The blackfish is still in river, not for long, said Polyver. He's under siege. Old Free is going to hang at Winterly unless he yields the castle. The only real fighting's around the Riven Tree, Blackwoods and the Breakins. The Breakins are ours now. The hound poured a cup of wine for Arya and another for himself and drank it down while staring at the earth fire. The little bird flew away, did she? Well, bloody good for her. She's the sh shit on Im's head and flew off. They'll find her, said Polyvar, if it takes off the gold in Cassari Rock. A pretty girl, high here, said Thickler. Honey, sweet, he smacked his lips and smiled, and the curtails. The hound agreed, a proper little lady, not like uh, her bloody sister. They found her too, said Polyvar. The sister, she is a uh, Four buttons bastard high here. Arya sipped her wine so they could not see her mouth. She didn't understand what Polyver was taking, talking about. Sansa has no other sisters, and Duke again laughed aloud. What's so bloody funny? asked Polyver. The hound ever flicked an eye at Arya. If I wanted you to know, I'd have told you. Are there ships at Salpenza? Salpenza? How should I know? The traitors are back at a maiden pool high herd. Friendly, Tolly to the castle and looked the mountain in Tawasal. I haven't heard this about Southbounds. The tickler's been forward. Would you put to sea without a bidding farewell to your brother? It gave Arya chills to hear him ask a question. So would sooner you return to Arona with us, Sandor? I bet would or King's Landing. Bugger that, bugger him, bugger you. The tickler shrugged. Straight man reached a hand beyond his head, rubbed the back of his neck. Everything seemed to happen once down. Sandal lurched to his feet, Polver drew his long sword, and Tickler's hand whipped around in a blur, to send something silver flashing across the common room. 
and he hung out not being moving. The knife might have caught the apple of his foot. Instead, it only grazed his ribs and wound up quivering in the wall near the door. He left them, a laugh as cold and hollow as if it had come from the bottom of a deep well, I was hoping you'd do something stupid. His words slid from its cover just in time to knock aside Bolivar's first cut. I took a step backward as long steel sound began. The tickler came up the bench with a short sword in one hand and a dagger in the other. Even the chunky brown-haired squire was up, fumbling for his sword hilt. She snatched her wine cup off the table and threw it at his face. Her aim was better than it had been at the twins. The cup hit him right on his big white pimple and he went down hard on his tail. But it was grim. Follower was grim, methodical fighter, and he pressed Sander steadily backward, his heavy lungs were moving with brutal precision. His hands on cuts were stoppier, his parries rushed, his feet slow and clumsy. He is drunk, I realized with dismay. He drank too much, too fast, with no food in the belly, and Tickler was sliding round the wall to get behind him. She grabbed the second wine cap and flung it at him, but he was quicker than the square had been and ducked his eyes in time. The look he gave her then was cold with promise. Is that gold hidden in the village? She could hear him ask. The stupid squire was clutching the edge of a table and pulling himself to his knees. Arya could taste the beginnings of panicking back of her throat. Fear cuts deeper than swords. Fear cuts deeper. Sandor gave a grunt of pain. The burned side of his face ran red from temple to cheek, and the stub of his hair was gone. That seemed to make him angry. He drove back, followed with a furious attack, hammering at him with the behold beneath the long sword he had swept for in the hills. The beard a man gave way, but none of the cats so much as touched him. And then the tickler leaped over a bench, quick as a snake, and slashed at the back of the answer neck with the edge of his short sword. They are killing him. Arya had no more caps, but there was something better to throw. She drew the dagger. They rubbed off the giant archer and tried to fly it at the tickler the way he had done. It wasn't the same as throwing a rock or a clay buffle, though. The knife wobbled and hit him in the armor hilt first. He never had a fought it. He was too intent on Clegane. As he stabbed, Clegane twisted violently aside, winning himself of heartbeat respite, Will ran down his face and from the gash in his neck. Both of the mountains around came after him hard. Bolivar Iken at his head and shoulders, while the tigers darted into stab at back and valley. The evil stone flagon was still on the table. Harry grabbed it with two hands, but as, the, as she lifted it, someone grabbed her arm. The flagon slipped from her fingers and crashed to the floor. Wrenched around, she found herself nose to nose with the squire. You stupid, you forgot all about him. 
His big white pimple had burst, she saw. Are you the puppy's uh, puppy? He had his sword in his right hand and her arm in his left. But her own hands were free, so she jerked his knife from its sheath and seethered it again in his belly twisting. He wasn't wearing mail or even boiled leather, so it went riding. The same way Needle had when she killed the sable boy at King's Landing. The squire's eyes got big and he let go of her arm. Arya spun to the door spooned to the door and wrenched the tickler's knife from the wall. Oliver and the tickler had driven the hound into a corner behind the bench, and one of them had given him an ugly red gash on his upper tide to go with his other wounds. Sandra was leaning against the wall, bleeding and breathing noisily. He looked as though he could barely stand, let alone fight. Throw down the sword, and we'll take you back to Arnold, Oliver told him. So Gregor can finish me himself, the tickler said. Maybe he'll give you to me. If you want me, come get me. Santa pushed away from the wall and stood in half crouch behind the bench. His sword had crossed his body. You think we won't, said Oliver. You are drunk. Might be, said the young, but you are dead. He's put it out and caught the bench, driving it hard into Bolivar's shins. Somehow, the bearded man kept his feet, but the hound ducked under his wild slash and broke his own sword up in a vicious backhand cut. Blood spattered on the ceiling and was the blade caught in the middle of Bolivar's face, and when the hound branched it, loose off his head came with it. The tickler backed away. Arya could smell his fear. The short sword in his hand suddenly seemed almost to show against the long blade the hound was holding, and he wasn't armored either. The moon he moved swiftly light on his feet, never taking his eyes off Sandor again. It was uh, the easiest thing in the world for Arya to stop up behind him and stab him. Is there gold hidden in the village? She shouted as he drove the blade up throughout his back. Is that silver gems? She stabbed it twice more. Is that food? Where is Lord Beric? She was on top of him by then, still stabbing. Where did he go? How many men were with him? How many knights? How many bowmen? How many, how many, how many, how many, how many, how many is there gold in the village? Her hands were red and sticky when Sandra dragged her off him. Enough was all he said. He was bleeding like a buttered pig himself and dragging one leg when he walked. That's one more, I reminded him. The squire had pulled the knife out of his belly and was trying to stop blue with his hands. When the hound jumped up, him upright, he screamed and started to blubber like a baby. Mercy, he swept. Please, don't kill me, mother. Have mercy. Do I look like your bloody mother? The hound looked like nothing human. You killed this one too. He told Arya, prickled him in his bowels. That's the end of him. 
I'd be a long time dying, though. The boy didn't seem to hear him. I came for the girls. He whimpered. Make me a man, Polly said. Oh, God, please take me to a castle. A master, take me to a master. My father's got gold. It was only for the girls. Mercy, sir. He had give him a crack across the face that made him scream again. Don't call me, sir. He turned back to Aria. This one is yours, she wolf. You do it. She knew what he meant. Aria went to Polvern and knelt in his boot long enough to undo his war belt. Hanging beside his dagger was a slimmer blade, too long to be a duck, too short to be a man's sword, but it felt just right in her hand. You remember where the heart is? The hound asked. She nodded. The squire rolled his eyes, mercy. Middle slipped between his ribs and gave it to him. Good. Sander's voice was thick with pain. It is three were pouring here. Ergo must hold the ford as well as Arena. More of his pets could ride up any moment, and we've killed enough of the bloody buggers for one day. Where will we go? she asked. Sad pants. He put a big hand on her shoulder to keep from falling. Get some wine, she wolf, and take whatever coin they have as well. We'll need it. If there are ships at the sidepans, we can reach the bay by sea. His mouth twitched at her, as more blood ran down from where his heir had been. Maybe Lady Eliza will marry you to her little Robert. There's a match I'd like to see. He started to laugh. Then groaned instead. When the time came to leave, he needed Arya's help to get back up on Stranger. He had tied a strip of cloth about his neck and another round his tight, and taken the squire's clock off its back by the door. The clock was green, with a green arrow on a white band. When the hound with it up and pressed it to his ear, it soon turned red. Harry was afraid he would collapse the moment they sat out, but somehow he stayed in the saddle. They could not risk meeting or ever held the rabbi fort, so instead of following the king's road, they angled south by his throughout weedy fields, woods, and marshes. It was hours before they reached the banks of the trident. The river had returned meekly to its accustomed channel. Arya saw all its wet brown rage vanished with the rings. It's start too, she thought. Close by the water's edge, they found some willows rising from a jumble of weathered rocks. Together, the rocks and trees formed a sort of natural fort. But they could hide from both river and trail. Who will do? He hounds out. Whether the osiers and Gaithor's son did wood for a fire, when he dismounted, he had to cast himself on the three, limber to keep from falling. One the small beast, and one wants to find us. All they need to do is follow my blood, water and wood. But bring me that wine skin first. When he got the fire going, Sandor pooped. Papizam, in the flames, emptied off the wine skin into it and collapsed back against a just of moss-covered stones as if he 
squares the clock and cut it into strips. Those went into his arm as well. If I had more wine, I'd drink till I was that to the boat. Maybe I ought to send you back to that duty in for another skin or three. No, Arya said, he wouldn't, would he? If he does, I'll just leave him and drive off. Sandra laughed at the fear of her face. Face, I just wolf girl, a bloody just find me a stick about so long and not too big round and wash the mood of it. I hate the taste of mud. He didn't like the first two sticks she brought him. By the time she found one that sweeted him, the flames had scorched his dog's snout black all the way to the eyes. Inside, wine was boiling madly. Get the cup from my bedroll and give it a foo. He told her, be careful. You know damn thing over. I will send you back for more. Take the wine and pour it on my wounds. Think you can do that? Harry nodded. Then what are you waiting for? He growled. Her knuckles brushed the seal the first time she filled the cap, burning her so badly she got blisters. Arya had to bite her lip to keep from screaming. The hound used the stick for the same purpose, clamping it between his teeth as she purred. She did the gash in his attire the first, then the shallower cut on the back of his neck. Sandra coiled his right hand into a fist and beat against the ground when she did his leg. When it came to his neck, he beat the stick so hard it broke, and she had to find him a new one. She could see terror in his eyes. Turn your head. She triggered the wine down over the raw red flesh where his hair had been, and fingers of brown blood and red wine crept over his jaw. He did scream them, despite the stick. Then he passed out from the pain. Arya figured the rest out by, mass, by herself. She fished the stripes they made of the squire's clock out of the bottom of the end and used them to bind the cuts. When she came to his ear, she had to wrap up off his head to stop the bleeding. But then dusk was settling over the trident. She let the horse grease, then hobbled them for the night and made herself as comfortable as she could in a night between two rocks. The fire burned a while and died. Arya watched the moon throughout the branches overhead. Sacred imagine, she said softly, then Sir the sweetling, Sir Lean, Sir Marine, Queen Cersei. It made Elfie queer to leave out Bolivar and Tiquel, and Jeffrey too. She was glad he was dead, but she wished she could have been there to see him die, or maybe kill him herself. Bolivar said that Sansa killed him and the imp. Could that be true? The imp was a Lannister and Sansa. I wish I could change into a wolf and grow wings and fly away. If Sansa was gone too, there were no more stocks but her. 
There was a wall a thousand leagues away, but he was snow, and these different aunts and uncles the aunt wanted to sell her to. They weren't stocks either, they weren't wolves. Sandra moaned, and she rode on to her side to look at him. She had left his name out too, she realized. Why had she done that? She tried to think of Mika, but it was hard to remember what he'd looked like. She hadn't known him long. All he ever did was play as words with me, the hound. She whispered, and Vada Mogulis, maybe he'd be dead by morning. But when the pale dawn light came, Phil turned throughout the trees. It was him who woke her with the toe of his boot. She had dreamed she was a wolf again, chasing riderless horse up a hill with a pack yonder, but his foot brought her back just at as they were closing for the hill. The hound was still weak, every movement slow and clumsy. He slumped in the saddle and sweetened, and his hair began to bleed throughout the bandage. He needed all his strength just to keep from falling off stranger. Had the mountains been come hunting them, she doubted if he would even be able to lift his wall. Harry glanced over her shoulder, but there was nothing behind them but a crowd flitting from tree to tree. The only sound was the river. Long before noon, Sandra Clegan was reeling. There were hours and daylight still remaining when he called a halt. I need to rest, was all he said. This time, when he dismounted, he did fall. Instead of trying to get back up, he crawled weakly under a tree and leaned up against the trunk. Bloody hell, he cursed. Bloody hell. When he saw Aria staring at him, he said, I'd skin your life for a cup of wine, girl. She brought him water instead. He drank a little of it, complained that it tasted of mud and slid into noisy, fevered sleep. When she touched him, his skin was burning up. Arya sniffed at his bandages the way Master Lewin had done sometimes when treating her cut or scrape. His face had bled the worst, but it was the wound on his tight that smelled funny to her. She wondered how far this cell pens was and whether she could find it by herself. I wouldn't have to kill him if I just rode off and left him. He'd die all by himself. He'll die of fever. I lie there beneath that tree until the end of days, but maybe it would be better if she killed him herself. She had killed the squire at the inn, and he hadn't done anything except grab her arm. The other had killed Mika. Mika and more, I bet. She's scared a hundred Mika. He probably would have killed her too, if not for the Branson. Little glinted as she drew it. Bolivar had kept it nice and sharp, at least. She turned her body sideways in water dancer's stance without even thinking about it. Dead leaves crunched beneath her feet, quick as a snake, she thought, smooth as summer silk.
His eyes opened. You remember where the heart is? He asked in a hoarse whisper. As still as stone she stood. I was on the... Don't lie, he growled. I hate liars. I hate gutless frauds, even worse. Go on, do it. When I did not move, he said, I killed your butcher boy. I cut him near enough and laughed about it after. He made a queer sound and it took her a moment to realize he was sobbing. And the little bird, your pretty sister, I stood there in my white cloak and let them beat her. I took the bloody song. She never gave it. I mean to took her too. I should have. I should have fucked her bloody and ripped her heart out before leaving her for the dwarf. That dwarf. A spasm of pain twisted his face. Do you mean to make me back, bitch? Do it. The gift of mercy. Avenge your little Michael. Michael. Mika. Maria stepped away from him. You don't deserve the gift of mercy. The hound watched her saddle craven, threw out eyes bright with fever. Not once did he attempt to rise and stop her. But when she mounted, he said, every wolf would finish a wounded animal. Maybe some real wolves will find you, Arya thought. Maybe they'll smell you when the sun goes down. Then he would learn what wolves did to dogs. You shouldn't have hit me with an axe, she said. You shouldn't have saved my mother. She turned her horse and rode away from him, and never looked back once. On a bright morning six days later, she came to a place where the trident began to widen out and the air smelled more of salt than trees. She stayed close to the water, passing fields and farms, and a little after midday a town appeared before her. Serpans, she hoped, a small castle dominated the town. No more than a old fest, really a single tall square keep with a bailey and a curtain, well, well, most of the shops and inns and air houses around the harbour had been plundered or burnt, though some looked still inhabited, but this but the port was dark, and its walls spread the bay of traps, its waters a shimmer blue and green in the sun, and there were ships. Three thought Arya. Three there are three. So her only river galleys, shallow drafts boats made to ply the waters of the trident. The third was bigger, a South Sea trader with two bands of oars, a gilded prow, and three tall masts with purple sails. Her hull was painted purple too. I rode craven down to the docks to get a better look. Strangers are not so strange. In a port as they are in little villages, and no one seemed to care who she was or why she was here. And it's silver. Theorization made her bite her lips. Her lip. They had they had found a stack and dozen coppers on Polybar, eight silver on the pimply squire she she'd killed and only a couple of uh, pennies in the tickler's uh, purse. 
but he hummed out, told her to pull off his boots and slice open his blue-drenched clothes, and she'd turned up a stack in each two, and three golden dragons soon in the lining of his jerky. Sander had kept it all, though. That wasn't fair. It was mine as much as his. If she had given him the gift of mercy, she hadn't thought. She couldn't go back no more than she could back for help. Begging for help never gets you any. She would have to suck Raven, and hope she brought enough. Isabel had been burnt. She learned from a boy by a ducks, but the woman who'd owned it was still trading behind the stuff. Except, Aria found her easily. A big, gravest woman with a good horsey smell to her, she liked Craven at first look, asked Aria how she'd come by her, and grinned at her answer. She's a well-bred horse, that's plain enough, and I don't doubt she belonged to a knight, sweetly, she said. But a knight wasn't no, de no dead brother of yours. I've been dealing with the castle there many a year, so I know what Tantaborn folk is like. This mare is well-bred, but you are not. She poked a finger at Arya's chest, found her or saw her, never mind which, that's how it was. Only way a scruffy little thing like you come to ride a palfrey. Arya beat her lip. Does that mean you want to buy her? The woman chuckled. It means you'll take what I give you, sweetling. As we go down to the castle and maybe you get nothing, or even hanged for stealing some good knight's horse. Half a dozen others, south and uh, folks were around, going about their business, so Arya knew she couldn't kill the woman. Instead, she had to bite her lip and let herself be cheated. The purse she got was pitifully flat, and when she asked for, for more for the saddle and bridle and blanket, the woman just laughed at her. She would never have cheated the hound. She thought, during the long walk back to Dock, the distance seemed to have grown by miles since she'd ridden it. The purple galley was still there. If the ship had sailed while she was being rubbed, that would have been too much to bear. A cask of mud was being rolled up the blank when she arrived. When she tried to follow, a sailor up on deck shouted down at her in a tongue she did not know. I want to see the captain, Ara told him. He only shouted louder, but the commotion drew the attention of a stout, grey-haired man in a coat of barbu and he spoke the common tongue. I am captain here, he said. What is your wish? Be quick, child. We have a tired to catch. I want to go north, to the war. Here, I can pay. She gave him the purse. The night watch has a castle on the sea. East watch, the captain spilled out silver onto his palm and fraud. Is this all you have? 
It is uh, not enough. Arya knew without uh, being told. She could see it on his face. I wouldn't need a cabin or anything, she said. I could sleep down in the old or take her on as cabin girl, said the passing horseman. A bolt of wool over one shoulder. She can sleep with me. My dear tongue, the captain snapped. I could walk, said Arya. I could scrub the desks. I scrubbed a castle steps once, or I could roll. No, he said. You couldn't. He gave her back her coins. It would make no difference if you killed a child. The North has nothing for us. Ice and war and pirates. We saw a dozen pirates ships making north as we rounded Cracklack Point. And I have no wish to meet them again. From here we bend our horse for home. And I suggest you do the same. I have no home. I thought. I have no back. And now, I don't even have a horse. The captain was uh, turning away when she said, What ship is this, my lord? He paused long enough to give her a weary smile. This is the Galea's uh, Titan's uh, daughter of the free city of rebels. Wait, Arya said suddenly, I have something else. She had stuffed it down inside a small coast to keep it safe. So she had to dig deep to find it, while the old man laughed and the captain lingered with obvious impatience. One more silver we make no difference, child, he finally said. It's not silver, the fingers close on it is iron. Here. She pressed it into his hand, the small black iron coin that Jake and Hagar had given her so warned the man whose head it bore had no features. It's probably worthless, but... The captain turned it over and blinked at it, then looked at her again. This... how? Jacqueline said to say the words, too. Arya crossed her arms against her chest. Bala Mugulis, she said, as loud as if she'd known what it meant. Bala Doheris, he replied, touching his brow with two fingers. Of course, you shall have a cabin. John prowled around Satan in a slow circle, sword in hand, forcing him to turn. Get your sheet up, he said. It's too heavy, the whole town boy complained. It's as heavy as uh, it's as heavy as it needs uh, to be to stop a sword, John said. Now get it up. He stepped forward, slashing, setting your the, the shield up in time to catch the sword on its rim and swung his own blade at John's ribs. Good, John said when he felt impact on his own shield. That was good, but you need to put your body into it, get your weight behind the steel, and you do more damage than we arm strength alone. Come, try it again, try it at me, but keep the shield up or I'll ring your head like a bell. Instead, setting to a step backward and raised his visor, John, he said in an anxious voice. When he turned, 
She was standing behind him with half a dozen queen's men around her. Small wonder the yard grew so quiet. He had glimpsed the Melisander at her night fires and coming and going about the castle but never so close. She's beautiful, he thought. But there was something more than a little unsettling about red eyes. My lady, the king would speak with you, John Snow. John thrust the practice as into the hearth. Might I be allowed to change? I am in no fit state to stand before king. We shall wait you atop the wall, said Mary Sander. We, John, heard not he. It's as they say. This is his true queen, not the one he left at Eastwatch. He hung his maid and played inside the armory, returned to his own cell, discarded his sweet stained clothes, and donned a fresh set of blacks. It would be cold and windy in the cage, he knew, and the colder and windier still on top of the ice. So he chose a heavy hooded clock. Last of all, he collected the long cloak and slung the vassal's ward across his back. Alexander was waiting for him at the base of the wall. She had sent her queen's man away. What does his grace want of me? John asked her as they entered the cage. Oh, you have to give John Snow. He is a king. He shut the door and pulled the bell cord. The winch began to turn. They rose. Their day was bright and the wall was weeping. Long fingers of water trickling down its face and glinting in the sun. In the close confines of the iron cage, he was acutely aware of their woman's presence. She even smiled red. The sun reminded him of Mikan's forge, of the way Aaron smelled when red hot. The sand was smoke and blood, kissed by fire, it thought, remembering a grit. The wind got in amongst the Melisander's long red robes and sent them flapping against John's legs as he stood beside her. You are not cold, my lady, he asked her. She laughed. Never. The ruby at her throat seemed to pulse in time with the beating of her heart. Lord of fire lives within me, John Snow. Feel. She put her hand on his cheek and held it there while he felt how warm she was. That is how life should feel, she told him. Only death is cold. They found Stanisburg Theon standing alone at the edge of the wall, brooding over the field where he had won his battle and the great green forest beyond. He was dressed in the same black breeches, tunic, and boots that a brother of the Night's Watch might wear. Only his cloak set him apart. A heavy golden cloak trimmed in black fur and pinned with a brooch in the shape of a flaming heart. I have brought you the bustle of Winterfell, your grace, said Melisander. Then he turned to study him. Beneath his heavy brow were eyes like bottomless blue pools. His hollow cheeks and strong jaw covered with a short cropped blue-black beard that did little to conceal the gauntness of his face and his teeth were clenched. His neck and shoulders were clenched as well and his right hand 
John found himself remembering something Donald Noye once said about the Barthian brothers. Robert was the true steel. Sanese is pure iron, black and hard and strong, but brittle the was the way Aaron gets. He'd break before he bends. Uneasily he knelt, wondering why this brittle king had need of him. Price, I have heard much and more of you, Lord Snow. I am no Lord Sawyer. John Rose, I know what you had heard, that I am a turncock and craven. Let us do my brother Corinne of hand so the wildings would spare my life, that I rode with Manstrider and took a wilding wife. Ah, yeah, all that and more. You are varg too, they say, a skin changer who walks at night as a wolf. Kingston is at a hard smile. How much of it is true? I had a dull ghost. I left him when I climbed the wall near Greyguard, and have not seen him since. Corian Halfhand commanded me to join the Wildings. He knew they would make me kill him to prove myself, and told me to do whatever they asked of me. The woman was named Ygritte. I broke my vows with her, but I swear to you on my father's name that I never turned my clock. I believe you, the king said. That startled him. Why? Sunny snorted. I know, Janus Flint. And I knew Ned's talk as well. Your father was no friend of mine. But only a fool would doubt his honor or his honesty. You have his look. A big man, Sanisbarthian, towered over John, but he was so gallant that he looked uh, ten years older than he was. I know more than you might think, Johnston. I know it was you who found Dragonglass, dagger that reindeer Tsarili's uh, son used to slay the other. Gus found it. The blade was wrapped in a ranger's cloak and buried beneath the feast of the first man. There were other blades as well, spare hats, arrow hats, old dragon glass. I know you held the gate here, King Sunny said. If not, I would have come too late. Don Anoya held the gate. He died below in the tunnel, fighting the king of the giants. Sunny grimaced. Noye made my first sword for me, and Robert wore hammer as well. Had the god seen fit to spare him? He would have made a better law commander for your order than any of these fools who are squabbling over it now. Cotter Pike and Sir Dennis Manister are no fools, sire, John said. They are good men and capable. Othel Jarwick as well, in his own way. Lord Mormont trusted each of them. You are Lord Mormont trusted too easily. As you would not have died as he did. But we were speaking of you. I have not forgotten that it was you who brought us this magic horn and captured Mans Rider's wife and son. Lala died. John was saddened by that still. Bali is her sister. She and the babe did not require much capturing, Your Grace. You had put the wildings to flight. And the skin changer Mans had left to guard his queen went mad when the eagle burned. John looked at Melisander. 
some say that was your doing. She smiled, her long copper hair tumbling across her face. The Lord of Light, as fiery talents, don't know, then nodded and turned back to the king. Your grace, you spoke of Val. She has asked the two seamen Strider to bring his son to him. It will be uh, a Candace. The man is a deserter from your order. Your brothers are all insisting on his death. Why should I do him a kindness? John had no answer for that. If not for him, for Val, for her sister's sake, the child's mother. You are fond of this Val. I scarcely know her. They tell me she is calmly. Very, John admitted. Beauty can be treasures. My brother learned that lesson from Cersei Lannister. She murdered him. Do not doubt it. Your father and John. Everyone has well. He scolded. You rode with these wildlings. Is there any honor in them, do you think? Yes, John said. But they own sort of honor, sire. Immense rider? Yes, I think so. In the Lord of Bones, John hesitated. That last shirt, we called him Chatteroos and Blue's Thirsty. If there is an honor in him, he hides him down beneath his suite of bones. And these other men, these Talmud of the many names, who alluded, as after the battle, answer, my, answer me truly. Thurman Giants may seem to me the sort of man who would make a good friend and a bad enemy, your grace. Thanis gave a curt nod. Your father was a man of honor. He was no friend to me, but I saw his worth. Your brother was a rebel and a traitor who meant to steal half my kingdom, but no man can question his courage. Out of you? Does he want me to say I love him? John's voice was stiff and formal as he said, I am a man of the night's watch. Words, words are wind. What do you think? I abandoned Dragonstone and sailed to the war, Lord no. I'm no lord, sire. You came because we sent for you, I hope. Though I could not say why you took so long about it. Surprisingly, Stanley smiled that you are bold enough to be a Stark. Yes, I should have come sooner. If not for my hand, I must not have come at all. Lucy Worth is a man of humble birth, but he reminded me of my, my duty, when all I could think of was my rights. I had the cart before the horse, Davos said. I was trying to win the throne to save the kingdom, when I should have been trying to save the kingdom to win the throne. Sanis pointed north. There is where I find the four that I was born to fight. His name may not be spoken, Melisandre added softly. He is the god of night and terror, Jon Snow, and these shapes in the snow are his creatures. They tell me that you slew one of these walking corpses to save Lord Mormon's life, Stannis said. It might be that. This is your war as well, Lord Snow, if you will give me your help. My sword is pledged to the Night's Watch, Your Grace. Doesn't know answered carefully. The king was angry. Some saw that at once, as the black brothers entered one by one and knelt before him. Stanis shoved away his breakfast. 
of hard bread, salt beef and boiled eggs and ate them coldly. Beside him, the red woman, Melisandre, looked as if she found the scene amusing. I have no place here, Sam thought anxiously when her red eyes fell upon him. Someone had to help master him up the steps. Don't look at me, I'm just the master's steward. The others were contenders for the old bear's command, old but bowen marsh who had withdrawn from the contest but remained castellan and lord steward. Sam did not understand why Melisandre should seem so interested in him. King Stannis kept the black brothers of their knees for an extraordinary long time. Rise, he said at last. Sam gave Master Aemon his shoulder to help him back up. The sound of Lord Janus linked clearly in his throat, broke the strained silence. Your Grace, let me say how pleased we are to be summoned here. When I saw your banners from the wall, I knew the realm was saved. That comes a man who near forgets his duty. I said to good Sir Eliza, a strong man and a true king. May I congratulate you on your victory over the savages. The singers will make much of it, I know. The singers may do as they like. Sun is not. Spare me your fawning, Janus. It will not serve you. He rose to his feet and frowned at them all. Lady Melisandre tells me that you have not yet chosen a lord commander. I am displeased. How much longer must this folly last, sire? said Bowen Marsh in a defensive tone. No one has achieved two-thirds of the vote yet. It has only been ten days, nine days too long. I've kept it to dispose of. A real to harder a war to fight choices must be made. Decisions that involve the war and night watch. My, by rights, uh, your Lord Commander should have a voice in those decisions. He should, yes, said Jenslind, but it must be said. We brothers are only simple soldiers. Soldiers, yes, and your grace will know that soldiers are most comfortable taking orders. They would benefit from your royal guidance, it seems to me. For the good of the realm, to have them choose wisely. The suggestion outraged some of the others. Do you want the king to wipe our arses for us too? said Carter Pike angrily. The choice of Lord Commander belongs to the Swan brothers and to them alone, insisted Sir Denis Malisa. If they choose wisely, they won't be choosing me. Mounted lords at Master Eamon Riam has always said, Your Grace, the Night's Watch has been chosen its own leader since Brandon. The builder raised the wall. Stannis ground his teeth. It is not my wish to tamper with your rights and traditions. As to real guidance, Janice, if you mean that I ought to tell your brothers to choose you, have the courage to say so. 
That too, though Jonas aback. He smiled uncertainly and began to sweat. But Bowen Marsh beside him said, Who? But uh, to command the black clocks by a man who once commanded the gold, sire. Any of you, I would think, even the cook. The look the king gave Slint was cold. Janus was hardly the first gold clock ever to take a bribe. I grant you, but he may have been the first commander to fatten his purse by selling places and promotions. By the end, he must have had all the officers in the city watch paying in part of their wages. Isn't that so, Janus? Slint's neck was purpling. Lies, all lies. A strong man makes enemies. Your grace knows that. They whisper lies behind your back. Not was ever proven. Not a man came forward. Two men who were prepared to come forward died suddenly on their rounds. Sunnies narrowed his eyes. Do not trifle with me, my lord. I saw the proof John Aaron laid before the small council. If I had been king, you would have lost more than your office. I promise you, but Robert shrugged away your little lapses. They all still, I recall him saying, Better a thief we know than one we don't. The next man might be worse. Lord Petrie's words in my brother's mouth, I warrant. Lizzie Finger had a nose for gold, and I'm certain he arranged matters so the crown profited as much from your corruption as you did yourself. Lord Salins, Slings, yours were quivering, but before he could frame a further protest, Master Eamon said, Your grace, fellow man's past crimes and transgressions are wiped clean when he says his words and becomes a sworn brother of the Night's Watch. I am aware of that. If it happens that Lord Janusa here is the best the Night's Watch can offer, I shall greet, greet my teeth and choke him down. It is not to me with man of you he is chosen, so long as you make a choice. We have a word to fight, Your Grace, said Sir Daniel Malister in tones of weary courtesy. If you are speaking of the Waldians, I am not, and you know that, sir. And you must know that whilst we are shameful, thankful for, for the aid you rendered us against man's rider, we can offer you no help in your contest for the throne. The Night's Watch takes no part in the wars of the Seven Kingdoms. For eight thousand years. I know your history, Sir Denise, the king said brusquely. I give you my word. I shall not ask you to leave your swords against any of the rebels and usurpers who plague me. I accept that you will continue to defend the wall as you always have. You defend the wall to the last man, said Cotterpike. Probably me said Lorus Ed in a resigned tone. Stanis crossed his arms. I shall require a few other things from you as well. Things that you may not be so quick to give. 
I want your castles, and I want the gift. Those blank woods, best among the black borders, like a part of wildfire dust onto a razor. Marsh, Malisar, and Pike all tried to speak at once. King Stanis let them talk. When they were done, he said, I have three times the men you do. I can take the lands if I wish, but I would prefer to do this legally with your consent. The gift was given to the night's watch, in perpetuity, your grace. Bowen Marsh insisted. Which means it cannot be lawfully seized, obtained, or taken from you. But what was given once can be given again. What will you do with the gift? demanded Cottlebike. Make better use of it than you have. As to the castles, Eastwatch, Castleback, and the Shadow Tower shall remind yours. Garrison them, as you always have. But I must take the others for my garrisons if we are too old the wall. You do not have that, man, objected, objected Bowen Marsh. Some of the abandoned castles are scars more than ruins, said Othel Yarwick, the first builder. Ruins can be rebuilt. Rebuilt? Joe Greek said. But who will do the work? That is my concern. I shall require a, a list from you. Detailing the present state of every castle and what might be required to restore it. I mean to have them all garrisoned again with the year and night fires burning before their gates. Night fires? Bowen Marsh gave Mansander an uncertain look. We are to light night fires now. You are. The woman rose in a square of scarlet silk. Her long copper bright hair tumbling about her shoulders. Swords alone cannot hold this darkness back. Only the light of the Lord can do that. Make no mistake, good sirs and valiant brothers, the war we have come to fight is known. But this quibble over lands and honors, ours is a war for life itself, and should we fail, the world dies with us. The officers did not know how to take that, some could see. Bowen Marsh and Othel Jorwick exchanged a doubtful genus lint was foaming, and through finger Hob looked as though they would sooner be back uh, chopping carrots. But all of them seemed surprised to hear Master Raymond murmur. It is the war for the dawn you speak of, my lady. But where is the prince that was promised? He stands before you, Melisander declared. Though you do not have the eyes to see, Sanis, Barthianis, Azor, Hayi, come again the war of fire. In him the prophecies are fulfilled. The red comet blazed across the sky to herald his coming, and he bears light bringer the red sword of Heroes. Her words seemed to make the king desperately uncomfortable. Samso, Sunny's ground his teeth, and said, You called and I came, my lords. Now you must live with me or die with me. Best get used to that. He made a brisk gesture. That's all. Master, stay a moment, and you, Tarly. 
rest of you may go. Me, some thought, strike on as his brothers were bowing and making their way out. What does he want with me? You are the one that killed the creature in the snow. King Stanislav, and only the four of them remained. Some this year, Melisandre smiled. Some felt it's very stunning, red. No, my lady, your grace, I mean, I am, yes, I am someone utterly, yes. Your father is an able soldier. King Sunny said, he defeated my brother once at Ashford. Miss Cyril has been pleased to claim the honors for that victory, but Lord Randir had decided matters before Tyrell ever found the battlefield. Is the Lord foreign with that great Valyrian sword of his ancient his head to Ares? The king rubbed his jaw with a finger. You are not the sort of son I would expect such a man to have. I am not the sort of son you wanted, sire. If you had not taken the black, you would make a useful hostage, then he mused. He has taken the black, sire, Master Heman pointed out. I am well aware of that. The king said, I am aware of more than you know, Ammon Targaryen. The old man inclined his head. I am only Ammon, sire. We give up our house names when we forge our master's chains. The king gave the nod as if to say he knew and did not care. He slew this creature with an obsidian dagger, I am told, he said to Sam. Yes, your grace. Jon Snow gave it to me, Dragonglass. The red woman's lap was music. Frozen fire, in the tongue of old Valyria. Small wonder it is anathema to these cold children of the other. On Dragonstone, where I had my seat, there is much of this obsidian to be seen, in the whole tunnels beneath the mountain, the king told some chunks of it. Boulders was some green as well, some red, even purple. I have sent word to Sir Roland, my castle, and to begin meaning it. I will not hold Dragonstone for very much longer, I fear, but perhaps the Lord of Light should grant us enough frozen fire to arm ourselves against these creatures before the castle falls. Some cleared his throat. Sire, the dagger, the dragon glass only shattered when I tried to stop a wait. Melisandre smiled. Chromancy enemies uh, these uh, wits, uh, yet they are still only dead flesh, still and far away serve for them. The ones you call the others are something more. Demons. Made of snow and eyes and gold, said Stanley Barthian, the ancient enemy, the only enemy that matters. He considered Sam again. I am told that you and this wildness girl passed beneath the wall, throughout some magic gate. The black gate, Sam stammered, below the night fort. Night fort is the largest and oldest of the castles on the wall, the king said. That is where I intend to make my seat. Whilst I fight this war, you will show me this gate.
I said some, I will, if easy it, still there, if it will open for a man not of the black, if uh, you will, snapped Spanish. I shall tell you one, Master Eamon's mind, your grace, he said. Before we go, I wonder if you would do us the great honor of showing us this wondrous blade that we have all heard so very much of. You want to see a lightbringer, a blind man? Some shall be my eyes. The king frowned. Everyone else has seen the thing. Why not a blind man? This whole belt and scabbard hung from a peg near the heart. The earth. He took the belt down and drew the long sword out. Still scraped against wood and leather, and radiance filled the solar, shimmering, shifting a dance of gold and orange, and red light, all the bright colors of fire. Tell me, Samuel, Master Ammon touched his own. It glows, said John, said Sam in a hushed voice, as if it were on fire. There are no flames. The steel is yellow and red and orange, all flashing and glimmering, like sunshine on water, but prettier. I wish you could see it, master. I see it now, son. A sword full of sunlight, so lovely to behold. The old man bowed stiffly. Your grace, my lady, this was most kind of you. This was most kind of you. When King Stannis sheathed the shining sword, sheathed the shining sword, the room seemed to grow very dark. Despite the sunlight streaming throughout the window, very well, you have seen it. You may return to your duties now, and remember what I said. Your brothers, we choose a Lord Commander tonight. Or I shall make them wish they had. Master Eamon was lost in thought as Sam helped him down the narrow turnpike stair. As they were crossing the yard, he said, I felt no heat. Did you, Sam? Heat from the sword? It touched. He thought back. The air around it was shimmering, the way it does above a hot brazier. Yet you felt no heat, did you? And discovered that held his sword. It is wood and leather, yes. I heard the sound of his grace throughout the blade. Was the leather scorched, Sam? Did the wood seem burnt or blackened? No, Sam admitted. Not that I could see. Master Eamon nodded. Back in his own chambers, he asked Sam to set a fire and help him to his chair beside the earth. It is hard to be so old, he sighed as he settled onto the cushion, and harder still to be so blind. I miss the sun, and books, I miss books most of all. Eamon waved a hand. I shall have no more need of you till the choosing. 
the choosing master isn't there something you could do what the king said of lord genus i recall master even said but sam i am a master chained and sworn my duty is to counsel the lord commander whoever he might be it would not be proper for me to be seen to favor one contender over another i am not a master said sam could i do something i am turned his blind white eyes towards sam's face and smiled softly why i don't know samuel could you i could sam thought i have to he had to do it right away too If he hesitated, he was certain to lose his courage. I am a man of the night's watch, he remembered himself as he hurried across the yard. I am, uh, I can do this. There had been a time when he had quaked and squeaked if Lord Mormon so much as looked at him, but that was the whole time before the feast of the first man and Christus keep before the wheats and cool hands and the other on his dead horse. He was braver now. Jilly made me braver, he told John. It was true. He had to be true. Cutter Pike was the scarier of the two commanders, so Sam went to him first, while his courage was still hot. He found him in the old shield hall, dicing with three of his hist watchman and red-headed sergeant who had come from Dragonstone with Stannis. When Sam begged leave to speak with him, though Pike barked an order, and the others took dice and coins and left them. No man would ever call Cutter Pike handsome, though the body under his studied brigantine and rough-spoon breeches was lean and hard and widely strong. His eyes were small and close-set, his nose broken, his widow's speak as sharply pointed as the head of a spear. The fox had ravaged his face badly, and the bird, he'd grown to hide the scars, was thin and scraggly. Sam the Slayer, he said by way of greeting, are you sure you stopped another and not some child's snow night? This isn't starting well. It was a dragon glass that killed it, my lord, Sam explained feebly. Aye, no doubt. Well, out with it, Slayer. Did the master send you to me? The master, Sam, swore it. I just left him alert. That wasn't truly a lie. But if Pike chose to read it wrong, it might make him more inclined to listen. Sam took a deep breath and launched into his plea. I cut him off before. It said twenty words. You want me to kneel down and kiss the hem of Melissa's pretty clock, is that it? I might have 
no you lordlings are all folk like sheep well tell even that he is wasted your breath and my time if anyone withdraws it should be Malser. the man's too bloody all for the job maybe you ought to get tell him that we choose him and we are like to be black here in a year back here in a year choosing someone else is old sam agreed but he is well experienced at sitting in his tower and fussing over maps maybe what does he plan to do write letters to the wits he is a knight well and good but he is not a fighter and i don't give a, ki a kettle of peace for he unhorsed in some full tourney fifty years ago they have and fought all his battles even a normal blind man should see that and we need a fighter more than ever with this bloody king on top of us today it's ruins and empty fields well and good but what will his grace won't come the morrow you think Melisar has the belly to stand up to Stannis Barthian and that rat bitch? He laughed. I don't. You won't support him then? said Sam, dismayed. Are you Sam the Slayer or Duff Dick? No, I won't support him. Pike jabbed a finger at his face. Understand this, boy. I don't want the bloody job and never did. I fight best with the deck beneath me, not a horse, and Castle Black is too far from the sea, but I'd be buggered with the red hot sword before I turn the night's watch over to that green eagle from the shadow tower, and you can run back to the old man and tell him I said so if he asks. He stood, get out of my sight. It took all the courage Sam had left in him to say, What if there was someone else? Could you support someone else? Who? Bowen Marsh, the man Count Spoon's author's a follower, does what he is told and does it well, but no more than that. Zlint, well, is man like him. I grant you, and it would almost be worth it to stick him down the royal crow and see if Stannis get it, but no, there's, no, there's too much king's landing in that one. A Todd grows wings and thinks he's a bloody dragon. Pike laughed. Who does that leap hop? He would pick him, I suppose. Only then, who's going to buy your mutton slayer? You look like a man who likes his beauty mutton. There was nothing more to say. Defeated, Sam could only stammer out his thanks and take his leave. I will do better with Sir Dennis. He tried to tell himself as he walked throughout the castle. Sir Dennis was a knight, Iburn, and well spoken and he had treated Sam most courteously when he had found him and Julie on the road. Sardanis will listen to me, he asked too. The commander of the Shadow Tower had been born beneath the 
booming tower of Sigurd and looked every inch a monster. Sable trimmed his collar and scented the sleeves of his black velvet doublet. A silver eagle fastened its claws in the gathered folds of his cloak. His beard was white as snow. His hair was largely gone, and his face was deeply lined. It was true. Yet he still had grease in his movements and teeth in his mouth, and the years had dimmed neither his blue-gray eyes nor his courtesy. Mother Tavi, he said, when his steward brought Sam to him in the lands, where the shadow tower men were staying, I am pleased to see that you have recovered from your ordeal. Might I offer you a cup of wine? Your lady mother is a florent, I recall. One day, I must tell you about the time I unhorsed both of your grandfathers in the same tourney. Not today, though. I know we have more pressing concerns. You come from Master Eamon, to be sure. Does he have counsel to offer me? Sam took a sip of wine and chose his words with care. A master chained and swore. It would not be proper for him to be seen as having influenced the choice of Lord Commander. The old knight smiled, which is why he has not come to me himself. Say what you come to say. The wine was sweet, and Sir Dennis listened to Sam plea with great courtesy. I like a pike, but when he was done, the old knight shook his head. I agree that it would be a dark day in our history if a king were to name our Lord Commander. This king, especially, is not like to keep his crown for long. But truly, Samuel, it had to be Pike who withdraws have more support than he does, and I am better suited, suited to the officer. To the office. Yes, you are, Sam agreed. A cutter pike might step. It's sad, he has oft proved himself in battle. He did not mean to offend her then by praising his rival, but... How else could he convince him to withdraw? Many of my brothers have proved themselves in battle. It is not enough. Some matters cannot be settled with a battle axe. Master Eamon, we understand that. The Cotter Pike does not. The Lord Commander of the Knights Watch is a lord. First and foremost, he must be able to treat with all the lads and with kings as well. He must be a man worthy of respect. Sir Dennis leaned forward. We are the sons of great lords, you and I. We know the importance of birth, blood, and that early training that can near be replaced. I was a squire at twelve, a knight at eighteen, a champion at two and twenty. I have been the commander at the Shadow Tower for thirty-three years. Blood, birth, 
and training. I've fitted me to deal with kings, Pike. Well, did you hear him this morning asking if his grace would wipe his bottom? Samuel, it is not my habit to speak unkindly of my brothers, but let us be frank. The iron-born are a race of pirates and thieves, and Cotel Pike was raping and murdering when he was still half a boy. Master Armon reads and writes his letters, and has for his no letters. I am to disappoint, Master Eamon. I could not in honor stand aside for Pike of Eastwatch. This time Sam was ready. Might you for someone else, if it was someone more suitable? Sartan is considered a moment. I have never desired the honor for its own sake. At the last choosing, I stepped aside briefly, while our moment's name was offered, just as I had followed a cordial at the choosing before that. So long as the night's watch remains in good hands, I am content. But Bowen Marsh is not equal to the task, no more than Arthur Jowick, and the so-called Lord of Arenal is a butcher's whelp, unjumped by the Lannisters. Small wonder he is venal and corrupt. There's another man, Sam blurted out, Dark Commander Mormont trusted him, so did Donald Noya and Corin offhand. Though he is not as oddly born as you, he comes from old dude. He was castle born and castle raised, and he learned a sword and lands from a knight and letters from a master of the citadel. His father was lord, and his brother a king. Certainly stroked uh, his long white beard. Mayhaps, he said, after the long moment, he is very young, but mayhaps. He might serve, I grant you, though I would be more suitable. I have no doubt of that. I would be the wiser choice. Just that there could be honor in a lie, if it were told for the right reason. Some said, if we do not choose a Lord Commander tonight, Kinsan means to name Cotter Pike. He said as much to Master Eamon this morning after all of you have left. I see, Sardinia's rules. I must think of this. Thank you, Samuel. I'll give my thanks to Master Eamons as well. I was trembling by the time he left the lens. What have I done? He thought. What have I said? If they caught him in a lie, in his lie, they would, uh, what? Send me to the war, rip my entrails out, turn me into a witch. Suddenly it all seemed absurd. How could he be so frightened of Cotter Pike and Sardinia's malice when he had seen a raven hit small Paul's face? Pike was not pleased by his return. You again? Make it quick. You are starting to annoy me. I only need a moment more. Sam promised. You won't withdraw for Sardinia's, you said. But you might for someone else. Who is it this time, Slayer? You? No, a fighter. Don't know you gave him the war when the wildings came. And he was the old bear squire. The only thing is, 
he is possible. What a pie loved. Bloody hell. That would show a pair of Melissa's arse, wouldn't it? Might be worth it just for that. How bad could the boy be? He's not it. I'd be better though. And what's needed? Any fool can see that. Any fool sound great, even me. Oh well, I shouldn't be telling you about kings and his meals too for Sir Denis owners. If we do not choose a man tonight, I heard him tell Master even that after the rest of you were sent away. I were a met was a long, lanky young ranger whose endurance strengthens wardmanship by the pride of Eastwatch. John always came away from their sessions stiff and sore and walked the next day covered with bruises, which was just the way he wanted it. He would never get any better going up against likes of a satin and oars or even grand. Most days he gave as good as he got. John liked to think, but not today. He had hardly slept last night and after an hour of restless tossing, he had given up even the attempt dressed and walked at the top of the wall till the sun came up frosting with Stanley's birthday's offer. The lake of sleep was catching up with him now, and Emmett was hammering him mercilessly across the yard, driving, driving him back on his heels with one long looping cat after another, and slamming him with his shield from time to time for good measure. John's arm had gone numb from the shock of impact, and the agile practice world seemed to be growing heavier with the every passing moment. He was almost ready to lower his blade and call a halt when Emmett found it low and came in over his shield with a savage forehand slash that caught John on the temple. He staggered, his arm and head both ringing from the force of the blow. For half a heartbeat, the world beyond his eyes eyes was a blur. Him then, the ears were gone, and he was back at Winterfell once more. <sighs> Wearing a kilted leather coat in place of mail and plate. His wood was made of wood, and it was robbed. Who stood facing him, not Iron Emmet. Every morning they had trained together since they were big enough to talk. And walk, Snow and Sark, spinning and slashing about the woods of Winterfell, shouting and laughing, sometimes crying when there was no one else to see. They were not little boys when they fought, but knights and mighty heroes. I'm Prince Him and the Dragon Knight. John would call out and Rob would shout back. Well, I'm Florian the Fool. Or Rob would say, I'm the Young Dragon. And John would reply, I'm sorry, I'm a red wine. That morning, he called it first. I'm Lord of Winterfell, he cried. As he had a hundred times before. Only this time, this time Rob had answered, You can't be Lord of Winterfell, you're possible. 
Mary's mother says you can't even be the Lord of Winterfell. I thought I had forgotten that. Jung could taste the blood in his mouth from the blow he'd taken. In the end, Halder and the oars had to pull him away from Aaron and Matt, one man on either arm. The ranger sat on the ground, dazed, his shield off in splinters, the visor of his arm knocked askew, and his ward six yards away. Done enough. Halder was shouting, "Is down. You disarmed him. Enough. No. Not enough. Never enough. Don't let his sword drop. I'm sorry, he muttered. Emmet, are you hurt? Iron Emmet pulled his battered helm off. Was there some part of yield you could not comprehend? That's no. It was sad, humble though. Emmet was an amable man, and he loved the song of swords. Or defend me, he groaned. Now I know how Corin offhand must have felt. That was too much. John wretched free of his friends and retreated to the armory alone. His ears were still ringing from the blow Emmet had dealt to him. He sat on the bench and buried his head in his hands. Why am I so angry? he asked himself. But it was a stupid question. Lord of Winterfell. I could be the Lord of Winterfell, my father's heir. It was not blood at the, the face he saw floating before him, though it was Lady Kathleen's. With her deep blue eyes and hard, cold mouth, she looked a bit like Sennis. Iron, he thought, but brittle. She was looking at him, the way she used to look at him, a winterfer, whenever he had a bastard rob at swords or sounds or most anything. Who are you? The Luke had always seemed to say. This is not your place. Why are you here? His friends were still out in the practice yard, but John was in no fit state to face them. He left the armory by the back, descending a steep flight of stone steep steps to the warm ways. The tunnels that link the castles, keeps and towers below the heart. The hearth. It was short walk to the bay, the bath house, where he took a cold plunge to wash the sweet off and soaked in a hot stone tub. The warmth took some of the age from his muscles and made him think of Winterfell's muddy pools, seeming and bubbling in the godswood. Winterfell, he thought, then left it burned and broken, but I could restore it. Surely. His father would have wanted that, and Rob as well. They would never have wanted the castle left in ruins. You can be the Lord of Winterfell. You are possible, he heard Rob say again. And the stone kings were growling at him with granite tongues. You do not belong here. This is not your place. When John closed his eyes, he saw the heart tree, with its pale limbs, red leaves, and solemn face. The weirwood was the heart of Winterfell, Lord Adda always said. But to save the castle, John would have to tear that heart up by its ancient roots and feed it to the red woman's angry fire god.
I'm all right, he thought. Winterfell belongs to the old gods. The sound of voices echoing off the vaulted ceiling brought him back to Castleback. I don't know, a man will say, in a voice thick with doubts. Maybe, if I knew the man better, Los Sanis didn't have much good to say of him. I'll tell you that. When has Stannis Berthion ever had much good to say of anyone? Sir Ali, sir, windy voice, unmistakable. If we let Stannis choose our Lord Commander, we become his banner man in all but name. The Lannister is not like to forget that. And you know it will be Lord Tywin who wins in the end. He's already beaten Stannis once on the backwater. Lord Tywin favors Slint, said the Bowen Marsh, in a free in a fretful, anxious voice. I can show you his letter. Also, our faithful friend and servant he called him does know sat up suddenly. And the three men frozen had the sound of the slush. My lord, he said, with cold courtesy. What are you doing here, bastard? Thorne asked. Bathing. But don't let me spoil your plotting. Don't climb from the water. Tried, dressed, and left them to conspire. Outside, he found he had no idea where he was going. He walked past the shell of the Lord Commander's tower, where once he saved the old bear from a dead man. Past the spot where he greed had died with that sad smile on her face. Past the King's Tower, where he and Satin and Daphdeek for Larda had waited for the Magna, and the Stannis past the heaped and the charred remains of the great Hoodens there. The inner gate was open, so John went down the tunnel throughout the wall. He could feel the cold around him, the weight of all the eyes above his head. He walked past the place where Donald Noya and Mag the Mighty had fought and died together, throughout the new outer gate, and back into the place her cold sunlight. Only then did he permit himself to stop, to take a breath, to think. Othal, Joe Wick was not a man of strong convictions, except when it came to wood and stone and mortar. The old bear had known that. Thorne and Marsh will say him. Swaying, Jarek will suppose Lord Janus, and Lord Janus will be chosen Lord Commander. And what does that leave me, if not Winterfell? Owen's world against the wall, tagging at his cook. He could feel the cold coming of the icy eyes the way it comes off for fire. John pulled off his hood and began to walk again. The afternoon was growing old and the sun was low in the west. A hundred yards away was the camp where King Sandys had confined his wilding captives within a ring of ditches, sharpened stakes, and idle wooden fences. To his death were three great fire pits, where the victors had burned the bodies of all the free folk to die beneath the wall, huge pastured giants and litter on food men alike. 
The killing ground was still a destination of scorched meats and hardened pitch, but Manzi's people had left traces of themselves everywhere. A torn hide that might have been part of a tent, a giant smile, the wheel of a chariot, a broken spear, a pile of a mammoth dung, on the edge of the haunted forest where the tents had been, John found on Hawkwood stump and sat. Igri wanted me to be our wedding. Sennis wants me to be the Lord of Winterfell. But what do I want? The sun crept down the sky to deep behind the wall where it curved throughout the western ears. John watched as that towering expanse of ice took on the reds and pinks on sunset. Would I sooner be hanged for a turned clock by Lord Janus, or forswear my vows, marry Val, and become the Lord of Winterfell, it seems an easy choice when he thought of it in those terms, though if Egret had still been alive, it might have been even easier, but was a stranger to him. She was not hard on the eyes, certainly, and she had been sister to Mansrider's queen, but still. I would need to steal her, if I wanted her love. But she might give me children. I must some day hold a son of my own blood in my arms. A son was something Jon Snow had never dared dream of, since he decided to leave his life on the wall. I could name him Rob. Val would want to keep her sister's son, but we could foster him at Winterfell and Gilly's boys as well. Some would never need to tell his lie. We'd find a place for Gilly too, and some could come visit her once a year or so. And since son and Christus would grow up brothers, as I once did with the rap. He wanted it. John knew then. He wanted it as much as he had ever wanted anything. I've always wanted it, he thought, guiltily. May the gods forgive me. It was a hunger inside him, sharp as a dragon glass blade. A hunger, he could feel it. It was food he needed, prey, or a deer that stank of fear, or a great hulk proud and defiant. He needed to kill and fill his belly with fresh meat and hot dark blood. His mouth began to water with thought. It was a long moment before he understood what was happening. When he did, he water to his feet. Gust. Gust. He turned toward the wood, and there he came, padding silently out of the green dusk, the breeze coming warm and white from his open jaws. Gust, he shouted, and the dog broke into a run. He was leaner than he had been but bigger as well. And the only sound he made was the soft crunch of dead leaves beneath his bowl. When he reached John, he leaped, and they rested amidst the brown grass and long shadows as the stars came out above them. Gods. Woof. Where have you been? John said when Gus stopped worrying at his forearm. I thought you'd died on me. Like Rob and Egret and all the rest, I've had no sense of it. Not since I climbed the wall. 
not even in dreams. The direwolf had no answer, but he liked John's face with a tongue like a wet rasp, and his eyes caught the last light, and shone like two great red suns. Red eyes, John realized, but not like many Sanders. He had a wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-wee-w
Lord Janus was red-faced and quivering. The beast, he gasped. Look, the beast that told the life from half-hand. A rag woke among us, brothers. A wag. This, this creature is not fit to lead us. This beast is not fit to live. Thus bare his teeth, but John put hand on his head. My lord, he said, will you tell me what's happened here? Master even answered from the far end of the hall. Your name has been put forth as the commander, John. That was so absurd, John had to smile. By who? He said, looking for his friends. This had to be one of Pipe's jibes, surely, but Pip shrugged at him and grinned. Shook his head. It was the Rosa Hat Toilet who stood by me. Aye, it's a terribly cruel thing to do to a friend, but better you than me. Lardrinus started sputtering again. This, this is an outrage. We ought to hang this boy. Yes, hang him. I say hang him for a turn clock and a bark. Along with his friend Lance Rider. Lord Commander, I will not have it. I will not suffer it. Carter Pike stood up. You won't suffer it. Might be you had uh, those gold cloaks strained uh, to lick your booty ass, but you are wearing a black cloak now. Any brother may offer any name for our consideration so long as the man has said his vows. Certainly, his magister said, Tollet is well within his rights, my lord. A dozen men started to talk at once, each trying to drown others, and before long as they woke, a shouting once more. This time, it was Sir Alistair Thorne who leapt up on the table and raised his hands for quiet. Brothers, he cried, this game has not. I say we vote. This king who has taken the king's tower have posted men at all doors to see that we do not hit nor leave till we have made the choice. So be it. We will choose and choose again all night if need be, until we have our lord. But before we cast our tokens, I believe our first builder has something to say to us. Arthur Jorick stood up slowly, frowning. The big builder rubbed his long lantern and Joe and said, Well, I'm pulling my name out. If you wanted me, you had ten chances. To choose me, and you didn't. Not enough of you. Anyway, I was going to say that those who were casting the token for me had to choose Lord Janus. Sir Alistair nodded. Lord Slint is the best possible. I wasn't done. Alistair, Joe Wick complained. Lord Slint commanded the city watching King's Landing. We all know. And he was Lord of Arena. He's never seen Oranel, Cotter Pike shouted out. Well, that's so, said Jorwick. Anyway, now that I'm standing here, I don't recall why I thought Slind would be such a good choice. That would be sort of kicking King, Stannis in the mouth, and I don't see how that serves us. Might be Snow would be better. He's been longer on the wall, he's been stalks in a few, and he served the old bear as squire. Jerwick shrugged. Pick who you want, just so it's not me. He sat down. Janus Slint had turned from red to purple, just so, but Sir Alizar Thorne had gone play pale. The East Watchman was pounding his fist on the table again, but now 
he was shouting for the cattle. Some of his friends took up the cry, Kitta, they roared as one, Kitta, Kitta, Kitta. The Kitta was in the corner by the, the earth, a big black pot-bellied thing, with two huge antlers and heavy lead. Master Eamon said a word to some Ancleders, and they went and grabbed the antlers and dragged the kithel over to the table. A few of the brothers were already queuing up by the token bowers as Ancleders took the lead off and almost dropped it on his foot. With a raucous scream and the clap of wings, a huge raven burst out of the kithel. It flapped upward, seeking the rafters, perhaps, or a window to make its escape. But there were no rafters in the vault, no windows either. The raven was trapped. Cohen loudly, it circled the hole once, twice, three times, and Don heard someone terribly shout. I know that bird. That's loud moments, raven. The raven landed on the table nearest John. Snow it caught. It was an old bird, dirty and bad record. Snow, it said again. Snow, snow, snow. It walked to the end of the table, spread its wings again, and flew to the shoulder. Lord Dennis, Zidane sat down so heavily he made a thump, but Sir Alistair filled the vault with mocking laughter. Sir Piggy thinks we are all fools, brother. He said his thought, but this little trick, they all say is no. Go up to the rookery and hear for yourselves, Mormon bird had more words than that. The raven choked its head, cocked its head and looked at John. Corn? It said awfully. When it got neither corn nor answer, it croaked and muttered, Kittle, 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 the rest was harrow heads. A torrent of arrowheads, a flood of arrowheads, arrowheads enough to drown their last few stones and shells, and all the copper pennies too. When the count was done, the f John found himself surrounded. Some clapped him on the back, whistled, others bent the knee to him as if he were a lord in truth. Satin old the old father told Stabu Giant Mully, Almer of the King's Woods, sweet Dana Hill and half a hundred more pressed around it. Darwin clicked his wooden teeth and said, God be good, our Lord Commander still is swaddling clothes. Iron Emmet said, I hope this don't mean I can't beat the bloody piece out of you next time we train my lord. Threefinger half wanted to know if he'd still be eating with the monk, or if he'd want his meal sent up to his solar. Even Bowen Marsh came up to say he would be glad to continue, as Lord Seward, if that was Lord Snowish. Lord Snow, said Cutterpike, if you mark this up, I'm going to rip your liger out and eat it raw with onions. Sir Dennis Manster was more courteous. It was a hard thing young Samuel asked of me. The old knight confessed. When Lord Cohill was chosen, I told myself, no matter, he has been longer on the wall than you have, your time will come. And it was no moment, I thought. 
is strong and fierce, but he is old. Your time may yet come, but you are off, boy, let's know. And now I must return to the shadow tower, knowing that my time will never come. It's mine, I tired it's mine. Do not make me die regretful. Your uncle was a great man, the old father, and his father as well. I should expect cool as much of you. Ah, yeah, said Cutter Pike, and you can start by telling those king's men that it's done, and we want our booty supper. Supper, screamed the woman, supper, supper. The king's men cleared the door when they told them of the choosing, and three finger up and half a dozen helpers went trotting off the kitchen to fetch the food. John did not wait to eat. He walked across the castle, wondering if he were dreaming, with Raven on his shoulder and Ghost at his heel. Pip, Grant and Sam trained after him, chattering, but he hardly heard a word until Grant whispered, Sam did it, and Pip said, Sam did it. Pip had brought a wine skin with him, and he took a long drink and chanted, Sam, Sam, Sam the wizard, Sam the wonder, Sam, Sam the merman. He did it. But when did you hide um, Sam, Sam the merman? He did it. But when did you hide the raven in the kettle, Sam? And how in seven hells could you be certain it would fly to John? It would have mucked up everything in the bird had decided to perch on Jonathan's fat head. I had nothing to do with the bird, Sam insisted. When it flew out of the kettle, I almost wet myself. John laughed, half amazed that he still remembered how you are all a bunch of mad fools. Do you know that? As, said Pip, you call us fools? We are not the one who got chosen as the 998th commander of Night Watch. The Night's Watch. You best have some wine, Lord John. I think you are going to need a lot of wine. So Jon Snow took the wine skin from his hand and had a swallow. But only one. The war was his. The night was dark and he had a king to face. Sansa awoke all at once, every nerve a tingle. For a moment she did not remember where she was. He had dreamt that she was little, still sharing a bedchamber with her sister Arya. But it was her mind she heard tossing in sleep, not her sister. And this is made, she heard tossing in sleep, not her sister. And this was not Winterfell, but the Avery. Praticamente staria. Uh, home. It was a dream of a home. The Avery was no home. It was no bigger than Magger's old fast, and outside its sheer white walls was only the mountain and the long treacherous descent past sky and snow and stone to the gates of the moon on the valley. Four. There was no place to go and little to do. The older servants said this was around with laughter when their father and Robert Baratheon had been John Harry in the woods, but those days were many years ago. 
Herr Hunt kept a small household, and seldom permitted any guests to ascend past the gates of the moon. Aside from her aged maid, Sansa's only companions was Lord Robert, aide going on free, and Marillion. There is always Marillion. When he played for them at supper, the young singer often seemed to be singing directly at her. Her hand was far from pleased. Lady Eliza doted on Marilla and had banished two serving girls and even a page for telling lies about him. Liza was as lonely as she was. Her new husband seemed to spend more time at the food of the mountain than he did atop it. He was gone now, had been gone the past four days, a meeting with the Corbrays. From bits and pieces of overheard conversations, Sansa knew that John Arias Bannerman resented Liza's marriage and begrudged Petir his authority as the protector of the Vale. The senior branch of House Royce was close to open revolt over her aunt's failure to hide Rob in his war, and the wind was red for Sir Belmore's and Templeton's were giving them every support. The mountain clans were being troublesome as well, and all in all Lord Arthur had died so suddenly that his two youngest sons were accusing their elder brother of having murdered him. The Vale of Erin might have been spared the worst of the war, but it was hardly the idyllic place that Lady Eliza had made it out to be. I'm not going back to sleep, Sansa realized. My head is all a tumult. She pushed her pillow away reluctantly, threw back the blankets, went to her window and opened the shutters. Snow was falling on the air. Outside, the flakes drifted down as soft and silent as memory. Outside, the flakes drifted down as soft and silent as memory. Was this what woke me? Already the snowfall lay thick upon the garden below, blanketing the grass, dusting the shrubs and statues with white and waving down branches on the trees. The sight took Sansa back two cold nights long ago in the long summer of her childhood. She had last seen snow the day she had left Winterfell, that was a lighter fall than this, she remembered. Rob had melting flakes in his ear when he hugged me, and the snowball. Iria tried to make out coming apart in her hands. It hurt to remember how happy she had been that morning. Alina had helped her mount, and she'd ridden out with the snowflakes swirling around her. Off to see the great white fort. I thought my song was beginning that day, but it was almost done. Sansa left the shutters open as she dressed. It would be cold, she knew, though the areas that I was encircled the garden and protected it from the worst of the mountain winds. She donned silk and small clothes and a linen sheet, and over that a warm dress of blue lamb's wool, two pairs of hose for her legs, boots, 
that list up to her knees, heavy leather gloves, and finally her hooded cloak of soft white fox fur. Her maid rolled herself more tightly in her blanket as the snow began to drift in the window. Sansa eased open the door and made her way down the winding stair. When she opened the door to the garden, it was so lovely that she held her breath, unwilling to disturb such perfect beauty. The snow drifted down and down, all in ghastly silence, and lay thick and unbroken on the ground. Both color had fled the wall outside. It was a place of whiteys and blakes and greys, white towers and white snow and white statues, black shadows and black trees. The dark grey sky blue, a pure word, Sansa thought. I do not belong here. Yet she stepped out all the same. Her boots tore ankle deep holes in the smooth white surface of the snow, yet made no sound. Sansa drifted past frosted shrubs and thin dark trees and wondered if she was still dreaming. Drifting snowflakes brushed her face as light as lovers' kisses and melted on her cheeks. At the center of the garden, beside the statue of the weeping woman that lay broken and half-buried on the ground, she turned her face up to the sky and closed her eyes. She could feel the snow on her lashes, taste it on her lips. It was the taste of winterfell, the taste of innocence, the taste of dreams. When Sansa opened her eyes again, she was on her knees. She did not remember falling. It seemed, seemed to her that the sky was lighter shade of grey. Down, she thought. Another day, another new day. It was uh, the old days she hungered for, prayed for. But who could she pray to? The garden had been meant for her godhood once she knew. But the soil was too thin and stony for we wood to take root. A good wood, without gods, and empty as empty as me. She scooped up a handful of snow and squeezed it between her fingers. Heavy and wet, the snow packed easily. Sansa began to make snowballs, shaving and smoothing them until they were round and white and perfect. She remembered a summer snow in Winterfell when Arya and Bran had unbashed her as she emerged from the keep one morning. They'd each had a dozen snowballs to hunt, and she had none. Bran had been perched on the roof of the covered bridge out of reach, but Sansa had chased Arya throughout the stables and round the kitchen until both of them were breathless. She might even have caught her, but she slipped on some ice. Her sister came back to see if she was hurt. When she said she wasn't, Aria hit her in the face with another snowball, but Sansa grabbed her leg and pulled her down and was rubbing snow in her ear when Jory came along and pulled them apart, laughing. What do I want? With snowballs, she looked at her sad little arsenal. There's no one to throw them at. She let the one she was making drop from her hand. 
I could build a snow night instead, she thought, or even she pushed two of her snowballs together, added a third, packed more snow on them, and patted and wool thing into the shape of a climber. When it was done, she stood it on end and used the tip of her little finger to poke holes in it for windows. The crenellations around the top took a little more care, but when they were done, she had a towel. I need some walls now, Sansa thought, and then a keep. She set to work. The snow fell and the castle rose. Two walls anchored the inner taller than the outer towers and turrets keeps and stairs around the kitchen. A square armory, the stables along the inside of the west wall, it was only a castle when she began, but before very long Sansa knew it was Winterfell. She found twigs and fallen branches beneath the snow and broke off the end to make the trees for the good wood. For the gravestones in the leech yard, she used bits of bark. Soon her gloves and her boots were crusty white, her hands were tingling, tingling, and her feet were soaked and cold, but she did not care. The castle was all that mattered. Some things were hard to remember, but most came back to her easily, as if she had been there only yesterday. The library tower with the steep stonework stairs twisting about its exterior, the gatehouse, two huge woodworks, the arched gate between them, crenellation and along the top. And all the while the snow kept falling, peeling up in drifts around her buildings as fast as she rests them. She was patting down the pitched roof of the great hall when she heard a voice and looked up to see her maid calling from a window. Was my lady well? Did she wish to break her fast? Sansa shook her head and went back to shaping snow adding a chimney to one end of the great hall, where the hearth would stand inside. John stole into the garden like a thief. The grey of the sky grew lighter still, and the trees and shrubs turned a dark green beneath their stoles of snow. A few servants came out and watched her for a time, but she paid them no mind, and they soon went back inside where it was warmer. Sansa saw Lady Eliza gazing down from a balcony, wrapped up in a blue velvet robe trimmed with fox fur, but when she looked again, her aunt was gone. Master Coleman popped out of the rookery and peered down for a while, skinny and showed him but curious. Her bridges kept falling down. There was a covered bright bridge between the armory and the main keep and another that went from the fourth floor of the bell tower to the second floor of the rookery, but no matter how carefully she shaped them, they would not hold together. The third time one collapsed on her. She cursed aloud and sat back in helpless frustration, packed the snow around the stick sensor. She did not know how long he had been watching her, but when he had returned from the veil, a stick, 
she asked. That will give it strength enough to stand. I think, Peter said, may I come into your castle, my lady? As I was wearing, don't bring it me. Gentle, he smiled. Winterfell has withstood fiercer enemies than me. It is Winterfell, it is not. Yes, Sansa admitted. He walked along outside the walls. I used to dream of it. In those years after Cat went north with Adasak, in my dream, it was ever a dark place and cold. No, it was always warm, even when it snowed. Water from the hot springs is piped throughout the walls to warm them, and inside the glass gardens it was always like the hottest day of summer. She stood, towering over the great white castle. I can think how to do the glass roof over the gardens. Little finger stroked his chin, where his bird had been before Liza had asked him to shave it off. Glass was locked in frames, no? Twigs on your answer. Peel them and cross them and use bark to tie them together into frames. I show you. She moved throughout the garden, gathering up twigs and sticks and shaking the snow from them. When he had enough, he stepped over both walls with a single long stride and squatted on his heels in the middle of the yard. Sansa came closer to watch what he was doing. His hands were daft and sure, and before long he had a crisscrossing lattice work of twigs, very like the one that rooted the glass gardens of Winterfell. We will need to imagine the glass to be sure he said when he gave it to her. This is just right, she said. He touched her face, and so is that. Sansa didn't understand, and so is what? Your smile, my lady. Shall I make another for you? If you would, nothing could please me more. She raised the walls of the glass gardens while Littlefinger rubbed them over, and when they were done with that, he had her extend the walls and build the guard shut. When she used sticks for the covered bridges, they stood just as he had said they would. The first keep was simple enough, an old round drum tower, as Sansa was sighing it again when it was it came to put in the gargoyles around the top. Again he had the answer. It's been snowing on your castle, my lady, he pointed out. What do the gargoyles look like when they are covered with snow? Sansa closed her eyes to see them remember. They are just white lumps. Well then, gargoyles are hard, but red lumps should be easy. And they were. The broken tower was easier still. They made a tall tower together, kneeling side by side to roll it smooth, and when they raised it and stuck her fingers throughout the top, grabbed a handful of snow and flung it full in his face. Petir yelped. As the snow slid down under his collar, that was unchivalrously done, my lady. As was bringing me here when you swore to take me home. She wondered where this courage had come from to speak to him so free, so frankly. From Winterfell, she thought, I am stronger within the walls of Winterfell. His face grew serious. 
Yes, I played you false in that and in one another things as well. Sansa's stomach was a flutter. What other thing? I told you that nothing could please me more than to help you with your castle. I feel that was a lie as well. Something else would please me more. He stepped closer. This. Sansa tried to step back. But he pulled her into his arms and suddenly he was kissing her. Feebly, she tried to squeal, but only succeeded in pressing herself more tightly against him. His mouth was on hers, swollen in her words. He seized of mint. For half a heartbeat, she yielded to his kiss before she turned her face away and branched free. What are you doing? But he straightened his cock, kissing a snowmaid. You're supposed to kiss her. Sansa glanced up at Lisa's balcony, but it was empty now. Your lady wife, I do. Lisa has no cause for complaint, Ismail. I wish you could see yourself, my lady. You are so beautiful. You are crested over with snow like some little bear cap, but your face is flushed, and you can scarcely breathe. How long have you been out here? You must be very cold. Let me warm you, Sansa. Take off those clothes. Give me your hands. I won't. It sounded almost like Marion. The night he had gotten so drunk at the wedding. Only this time, Lothar. Marion would not appear to save her. Sir Lothar was with tears, man. You shouldn't kiss me. I might have been your own daughter. Might have been, he admitted, with a, re a rueful smile. But you are not, are you? You are Alistair's daughter and cats. But I think you might be even more beautiful than your mother was when she was your age. Petir, please. Her voice sounded so weak. Please, a castle. The voice was loud, shrill and childish. His finger turned away from her. Lord Robert, he sketched about. Should you be out in the snow without your clothes? Did you make the snow castle, Lord Littlefinger? I indeed most of it, my lord, Sansa said. It's meant to be Winterfell. Winterfell? I was small for it. A stick of boy with spotty skin and eyes that were always running. Under one arm, he clutched the threadbare clothed doll he carried everywhere. Winterfell is the seat of House Stark. Sansa told her husband to be the great castle of the north. It's not so great. The boy knelt before the gatehouse. Look, here comes a giant to knock it down. He stood his door in the snow and moved it jerkily. Tramp, tramp, I'm a giant, I'm a giant, he chanted. Oh, open your gates, or I'll smash them and smash them. Swinging the door by the legs, he knocked the top of one gatehouse tower and then the other. It was more than Sansa could stand. Robert stopped that. Instead, he swung the doll again, and a foot of wall exploded. She grabbed it for his hand, but she caught the doll instead. There was a loud ripping sound as the thing clothes tore. Suddenly, she had those had Robert had legs and body, and the rag and the sawdust stuffing was peeling in the snow. Lord Robert's mouth trembled. You killed him, he waited. Then he began to shake. It started with no more than a little shivering, but with a few short heartbeats, he had collapsed across the castle. His limbs 
wheeling about violently, wet towers and snowy bridges shattered and fell on all sides. Sansa stood horrified, but Peter Bellish said her cousin's wrists and shouted for the master. Guards and serving girls arrived within instead to help restrain the boy master Coleman a short time later. Robert Arena's shaking sickness was nothing new to the people of the area, and Lady Laza had trained them all to come rushing at the boy's first cry. The master held the little lord's head and gave him half a cup of dream wine, murmuring soothing words. Slowly, the violence of the feet seemed to ebb away. Till nothing remained but a small shaking of the hands up him to my chambers, Colomon told the gods, Ali Chen will help come here. It was my fault, said Sansa. His lordship was whispered weeping. Mother, your blue needs thinning, said Master Colomon. It is the bad blue that makes you angry and the rage that brings on the shaking. Come now. They led the boy away, my lord husband Sansa thought, as she contemplated the ruins of Winterfell. At least Geoffrey was sound of body. I made rage size the old of her. She picked up a broken branch and smashed the tondo's head down on top of it, then pushed it down atop the shattered gate house of her snow castle. The servants looked aghast. But when Littlefinger saw what she'd done, he laughed. If the tales be true, that's not the first giant to hand up with his head on Winterfell walls. Those are only stories, she said. Back in nervous chamber, Sansa took off her cloak and her wet boots and sat beside the fire. She had no doubt that she would be made to answer love for Lord Robert's feet. As would have welcome vanished. The gates of the moon was much larger than the air and livier and livelier as well. Lord Nestor Royce seemed gruff and stern, but his daughter Miranda kept his castle for him, and everyone said how frolicsome she was. Even Sansa supposed Bastardy might not count too much against her bow. One of King Robert's baseball daughters was in service to Lord Nestor, and she and the Lady Miranda were said to be fast friends, as close as sisters. Epilogue Rode up to the old stones went twice round the hill before reaching the summit, overgrown and stony. It would have been slow going even in the best of times, and last night's snow had left it muddy as well. Snow in autumn in the riverlands is unnatural. Marat thought gloomily. It had not been much of a snow, true, just enough to blanket the ground for a night. 
Most of it had started melting away as soon as the sun came up. Still, Merritt took it for a bad omen. Between rains, food, fire and war, they had lost two harvests and a good part of a third. An early winter would mean famine all across the riverlands. A great many people would go hungry, and some of them would starve. Marat only hoped he wouldn't be one of them. I may, though. With my luck, I just may. I never did have any luck. Beneath the castle ruins, the lower slopes of the hill were so thickly forested that half a hundred outlaws could well have been lurking there. They could be watching me even now. Merat glanced about and saw nothing but gorse, breaking, thistle, sedge, and blackberry bushes between the pines and grey-green sentinels. Elsewhere, skeletal elm and ash and scrub oaks choked the ground like weeds. He saw no outlaws, but that meant little. Outlaws were better at hiding than a honest man. Marat hated the woods, if truth be told, and he hated outlaws even more. Outlaws stole my life. He had been known to complain when he the caps. He was too often in his caps, his father said, often and loudly. Too true, he thought ruefully. You need some sort of distinction in the twins, else they were liable to forget you were alive. But reputation as the biggest drinker in the castle had done little to enhance his prospects he had found. I once hoped to be the greatest knight who ever crouched a lance. The gods took that away from me. Why shouldn't I have a cup of wine from time to time? It helps my head age. Cheers. Besides, my wife is a shrew. My father despises me. My children are worthless. What do I have to stay sober for? He was sober now, though. Well, he'd had two horns of ale when he broke his fast and a small cap of bread when he set out. But that was just to keep his heart from pounding. Merritt could feel the headache building behind his eyes, and he knew that if he gave it half a chance, he would soon feel as if he had a thunderstorm raging between his ears. Sometimes his headaches got so bad that it even hurt too much to weep. Then all he could do was rest on his bed. In a dark room with a damp cloth over his eyes, and curse his luck, and a nameless hut low who had done this to him. Just thinking about it made him anxious. He could no wise afford a dead head age now. If I bring Petit back home safely, all my luck will change. 
he added the gold. All he needed to do was climb to the top of old stones, meet the beauty of the ruined ruined castle, and make the exchange. A simple ransom. Even he could not mock it up, unless he got a headache. One so bad that it felt him unable to ride. He was supposed to be at ruins by sunset, not creeping in a huddle at the side of the road. Marat rubbed two fingers against his temple, once more around the hill, and there I am. When the message had come in, and he had stepped forward to offer to carry the ransom, his father had squinted down and said, You, Marat, and started laughing throughout his nose that he does he can hear laugh of his. Marat practically had two back before they would give him the bloody bag of gold. Something moved in the underbrush along the side of the road. Marat reined up hard and reached for his sword. But it was only a squirrel, stupid, he told himself, showing the sword back in its cupboard without ever having gotten it out. Although don't have tears. Bloody hell, Marat, get hold of yourself. His heart was thumping in his chest as if he were some green boy on his first campaign. As if these were the king's wood and it was the old brotherhood I was going to face, not the lightning lord's sorry lot of bring hands. For a moment he was tempted, tempted to trot right back down the hill and find the nearest alehouse. That bag of gold would buy a lot of ale, enough for him to forget all about Petir Pimple. Let them hang him, he broke his on himself. It's no more than he deserves, wandering off with some bloody camp power like stuck in wood. His head had begun to pound, soft now, but he knew it would get worse. Marat rubbed the bridge of his nose. He really had no right to think so ill of Peter. I did the same myself when I was his age. In his case, all it got him was a pox, but still he shouldn't condemn. Horse did have charms, especially if you had a face like tears. The poor lad had a wife, to be sure, but she was half the problem. Not only was the twice his age, but she was bedding his brother Walder too, if the talk was true. There was always lost of talk around the twins, and all the details ever true. But in this case, Marat believed it that Walder was a man who took what he wanted, even his brother's wife. He would have had a dream wife too. That was common knowledge. Fair Valda had been known to slip into his blood from time to time, and some even said he would have known the seventh Lady Frey a deal better than he should have. Small wonder, he refused to marry. Why buy a cow when there were others all around begin, mm, begging to be milked? milked. Cursing, under his breath, Red 
jammed his ears. Into his horse's flanks and rode on up the hill. As tempting as it was to drink the gold away, he knew that if he didn't come back with Petir Pimple, he had as well not come back at all. Lord Walder would soon turn two and ninety. His ears had started to go, his eyes were almost gone, and his gold was so bad that he had to be carried everywhere. He could not possibly last that much longer. All is sounds great. And when he goes, everything will change, and not for the better. His father was querulous and stubborn, with an iron wheel and a wasp's tongue. But he did believe in taking care of his own. All of his own, and even the ones who had displeased and disappointed him, even the ones whose names he can remember, once he was gone, though. When Sir Stavron had been here, that was one thing. The old man had been grooming Stavron for sixty years, and had pounded it into his head that blood was blood. But Stavron had died with campaigning by the young wolf in the west. Of waiting, no doubt, lame Lothar had kept when the raven brought them the news. And his sons and grandsons were a different sort of free. Severin's son, Sir Raymond, stood to inherit now, a thick-witted, stubborn, greedy man. And after Raymond came his own sons, Edwin and Blackwalder, who were even worse. Pertinently, Liam Lothar once said, they hate each other even more than they hate us. Rat was uncertain that was fortunate at all, and for that matter Lothar himself might be more dangerous than either of them. Lothar had ordered the, sh- the daughter of the Starks at Roslyn's wedding, but he had been lame Lothar who had followed it out with the rules Bolton all the way down to which songs would be paid. Lothar was a very amusing fellow to get drunk with, but Merrett would never be so foolish as to turn his back on him. And it means you learned early that only full-blood siblings could be trusted and thou not very far. It was like to be every son for himself when the old man died, and every daughter as well. The new lord of the crossing would doubtless keep on some of his uncle's nephews fews and cousins are the twins. These ones he happened to like or trust, or more likely the ones he thought would prove useful to him. The rest of us he will shove out to fend for ourselves. The prospect worried Marat more than Woods could say. He would be forty in less than three years, too old to take up the life of at night, even if he would be in a night which, as it happened, he wasn't. He had no land, no wealth of his own. He owned the clothes on his back, but not much else, not even the oars he was riding. He wasn't clever enough to be a master, pious enough to be a subject, 
was savage enough to be a sad word. The gods gave me no gift but birth, and they stinted me there. What good was it to be son of a rich and powerful house if you were the ninth son? When you two grandsons and great-grandsons into account merged to the better chance change of being chosen, high certain than he did of energy in the twins. I have no luck, he thought bitterly. I have never had any bloody luck. He was a big man, broad round the chest and shoulders, if only of middling height. In the last ten years, he had grown soft and fleshy, he knew, but when he'd been younger, Matt had been almost as robust as Sir Austin, his eldest full brother, who was commonly regarded as the strongest of Lord Walder Frey's brood. As a boy, he had been packed off to Crickle to serve his mother's family as a page. When whole large summer had made him a squire, everyone had assumed he would be Samrat in no more than a few years, but the outlaws of the king's brotherhood had feasted on those plans. While his fellow squire James Lannister was covering himself in glory, Brett had first cough the pox from a camp flower, then managed to get captured by a woman. The one called the White Form, Lord Sumner, had ransomed him back from the outlaws, but in the very next fight he'd been felled by a blow from a mace that had broken his arm and left him insensible for a fortnight. Everyone gave him up for that, they told him later. Marat hadn't died, but his fighting days were done. Even the lightest blow to his head brought on blinding pain and reduced him to tears. Under these circumstances, knighthood was out of the question. Lord Sumner told him not unkindly. He was sent back to twins to face Lord Walder's prisoner's disdain. After that, Rat Luck had only grown worse. His father had managed to make good marriage for him. Somehow he was one of the Darius' daughters back when the Darius stood eyed in King Aries' favor. But it seemed as if he no sooner had deflowered his bride than Aries lost his throne. Unlike the freeze, the Darius had been prominent Targaryen loyalists, which cost them half their land most of their wealth and almost uh, all their power. As for this lady wife, she found him a great disappointment from the first, and instead on popping out nothing but girls four years, three live ones, a stillbirth, and one that died in infancy before she finally produced a son. His eldest daughter had turned out to be a slut. Is second a glutton. When Emmy was caught in the stables 
with no fewer than three grooms, he'd been forced to marry her off to a bloody at night. That situation could not possibly get any worse, he'd thought, until Sir Pete decided he could win renown by defeating Sir Gregor Craigrain, and he had come running, ba- running back a widow to Marat's dismay and undoubted delight of every stable hand in the twins. Marat had dared to hope that his luck was finally changing when Rose Bolton chose to wear his woda instead of one of her slimmer, comelier cousin. The Bolton alliance was important for Ausfrey, and his daughter had helped the secure it. He thought that must surely count for something. The old man had soon disabused him. He picked at her because she's fat, Lord Walder said. You think Bolton gave a mama's a fart that she was your wealth? Think he set about thinking. Ha, <laughs> Murat Mutton had. That's the very man I need for a good father. Your father's a sewing silk. That's why he picked her. And I'm not like to thank you for it. We would have had the same alliance at half the prince. The prize, if your little porkling put down a spoon from time to time. The final humiliation had been delivered with a smile. When Liam Lothar had summoned him to discuss his role in Rosalind Wedding, we must each play our part according to our gifts. His half brother told him, You shall have one task, and one task only, Marat. But I believe you are well suited to it. I want you to see to it that Great John Amber is so bloody drunk that he can hardly stand, let alone fight. And even that I feared that. He had cozened the huge Northman into drinking enough wine to kill any free Norman. Yet after Rosalind had been but the, the great John still managed to snatch the sword of the first man to cast him and break his arm in the snatching. It had taken night of them to get him into chains, and the effort had left two men wounded, one dead, and poor old Sarah Leslie in night, short of an ear. When he couldn't fight with his hands any longer, Amber had fought with his teeth. Murat paused a moment and closed his eyes. His head was throbbing like that bloody drum. They all played at the wedding, and for a moment it was all he could do to stay in the saddle. I have to go on, he told himself. If he could bring back a tail pimple, surely it would put him in Sir Raymond's good graces, that it might be a whisker on the upless side. But it wasn't as cold as Edwin, nor as hot as Blackwater. The boy will be grateful for my part, and his father will see that I'm loyal, a man worth having about. But only if he was there, by sunset with the ball. Red glanced at the sky. Right on time. He needs something to steady his hands. He pulled up the water skin, anger from his saddle, uncocked it, and took a long swallow. 
The one was a thick and sweet, so dark it was almost black, but God, it tasted good. The curtain wall of old stones had once encircled the brow of the hill like the crown on a king's head. Only the foundation remained, and a few wayside piles of crumbling stones spotted with lichen. Marat rode along the line of the wall until they came to the place where the gatehouse would have stood. The ruins were more extensive here, and he had to dismount to lead his palfrey throughout them. In the west, the sun had vanished behind the blank of low clouds. Gorse and bracken covered the slopes, and once inside the vanished walls, the weeds were chastised. Marat loosened his sword in its scabbard and looked about wearily, but saw no outlaws. Could I have come on the wrong day? He stopped the rub and rubbed his samples with his thumbs, but that did nothing to ease the pressure behind his eyes. Seven bloody ads. From somewhere, deep within the castle, faint music came drifting throughout the trees. Marat found himself shivering, despite his cloak. He pulled open his water skin and had another drink of wine. I could just get back on my horse, ride to Old Town, and drink the gold away. No good ever came from dealing with outlaws. That vile little bitch, Wenda, had burned a phone into the cheek of his horse while she had him captive. No wonder his wife despised him. I have to go throughout with this. But if people might be lord of the crossing one day, had we has no sons and black holders only got bastards. But if we remember who came to get him, he took another swallow, carcass and skinner, and led his palfrey throughout broken stones, ghosts and thin wind with the trees, following the sounds to what had been the castle court. Fallen leaves lay thick up on the ground like soldier after some great slaughter. A man in patched, faded greens was sitting cross-legged atop a water-head stone sepulchre, fingering the strings of wood harp. The music was soft and sad. Marat knew the song. Hiding the walls on kings who are gone, Jenny would dance with her ghosts. Get off there, Marat said. You're sitting on a king. Old Christopher don't mind to my bunny horse, the hammer of justice they called him, being a long white since he heard any new songs. The outlaw hopped down, Treman's name, he had a narrow face and foxy features, but his mouth was so wide that his mind seemed to touch his ears. A few strands of this brown hair were blowing across his brow. He pushed them back with his free hand and said, Do you remember me, my lord? No, Marat frowned. Why would I? I sang at your daughter's wedding, and passing well, I thought. That bait she married was a cousin. We are all cousins, seven streams. Didn't stop in front of any god when it was time to pay me. He shrugged. Why, it's your lord father never has me play at the twins. 
Don't I make enough noise for his lordship? He likes it loud. I have been hearing. You bring the gold, asked a harsher voice behind him. Marat's throat was dry. Bloody outlaws, always hiding in the bushes. I had been the same in the king's wood. You think you'd cut five of them, and some more would spring from nowhere. When he turned, they were all round him, and he favoured the giggle of three old men, smooth-cheeked lids, younger than petty people, a lot of them clad in rough-spun rags, boiled leather, and bits of dead men's armour. There was one man, one woman with them, bundled up in a hooded clock, three times too big for her. Marat was too... Marat was too flustered to count them, but there seemed to be a dozen at least, maybe a score. I asked the question. This speaker was a big, bared man, with the crooked green teeth and the broken nose, turned than Marat, though not so heavy in the belly. A half-hum covered his head, a patched yellow clock his broad shoulders. Where's our gold? In my saddle bag, a hundred golden dragons. Marat cleared his throat. You'll get it when I see that better. A squat one-eyed outlaw strode forward before he could finish, reached into the saddle bag bold as you please, and found the sack. Marat started to grab him, then thought better of it. The outlaw opened the drawstring, removed as coin, a coin and beat it. Taste is right, he emptied the sack. Feels right too. We are going to take the gold and keep it here too. Marat thought in sudden panic. That's the whole ransom. All you ask for. His pounds were sweating. He wiped them on his breeches. Which one of you is buried, Gentaren? Gentaren had been lord before he turned out though. He might still be a man of honor. Why, that would be me, said the one-eyed man. You are a bloody liar, Jack, said the big bearded man in the yellow clock. It's my turn to be Lord Barrick. Does that mean I have to be Thoris? The singer laughed. My lord said to say Lord Barrick was needed elsewhere. Times are trouble and there are many battles to fight. But we sought you out just as you would have no fear. Marat had plenty of fear. His head was pounding too. Much more of this and he would be supping. You have your gold, he said. Give me my nephew, and I'd be gone. Pity was actually more a great half nephew, but there was no need to go into that. He hears in the god's wood, said the man in the yellow clock. We will take you to him, not you hold his oars. Marat handed over the brigand reluctantly. He did not see what other choice he had. My water skin, he heard himself say, as well as wine to settle my thirst. We don't drink with your sword, yellow.
cloth said curtly. It's this way. Follow me. Leaves scrunched beneath their heels, and every step sent a spike of pain throughout Merritt's temple. They walked in silence, the wind gusting round them. The last light of the setting sun was in his eyes as he clambered over the mossy amoks that were all that remained of the keep. Behind was the goods wood. The pimple was hanging from the limb of a nook, a nose, a nose tight round his long, his neck. His eyes boogered from a back face, staring down at Marat accusingly. You came too late, they seemed to say, but he hadn't, he hadn't. He had come when they told him, you killed him, he croaked. Sharp as a lead, this one said the one-eyed man. An overwatch was thundering throughout Merritt's head. Mother have mercy, he thought. I brought the gold. That was good of you, said the singer amiably. We'll see that it's put to good use. Merritt turned away from Petir. He could taste the bile in the back of his throat. You, you had no right. We had rope, said Yellow Cloak. That's right enough. Two of the outlaws seized the Marat's hands and bound them tight behind his back. He was too deep in sock to struggle. No, was all he could manage. I only came to run some pity. You said that if you had the gold by sunset, you wouldn't be harmed. Well, said the singer, you've got as that, my lord. That was a lie of sorts. As it happens, the one-eyed outlaw came forward with long coil of ampened rope. He looked one and round Marat's neck, put it tight and tied a, a hard knot under his hair. The other end he threw over the limb of the oak. The big man in the yellow clock called it. What are you doing? Marat knew how stupid that sounded. But he could not believe what was happening, even that you'd never dare hang free. Yellow Clock laughed. That other one, the pimple boy, he said the same thing. He doesn't mean it. He can't mean it. My father would pay you and worth a good ransom, more than pity, twice as much. The singer sighed. No, Walter, might be of blind and guilty. But he is not so stupid as to snap at the same bite in the bite twice. Next time, he'll send a hundred swords instead of a hundred dragons, I fear. He will. Merritt tried to sound stern, but his voice betrayed him. He'll send a thousand swords and kill you all. He has to catch us first. The singer glanced up at Pupetir. And he can't hang us twice. Now can he? He drew a melancholy air from the strings of his wood harp. Here, now, doesn't saw yourself. And you need to do is answer me a question. And I'll tell them to let you go. Rat would tell them anything if it meant his life. What do you want to know? I'll tell you through, I swear it. The outlaw gave him 
in an encouraging smile. Well, as it happens, we are looking for a dog that ran away. A dog? Rata was lost. What kind of dog? Jan says to the name Sandok taken. Thoreau says he was making for the twins. We found the ferryman who took him across the trident, and the fewer saw the hero on the king's road. Did you see him at the wedding persons? In the red wedding? Murat's cool felt as if it were about to split, but he did his best to recall. There had been so much confusion, that surely someone would have mentioned Geoffrey's dog sniffing round the trains. He wasn't in the castle, not at the main feast. He might have been at the bustle feast or in the chants, in the camps, but no, someone would have said. He would have had a child with him, said the singer, a skinny girl about ten, or perhaps a boy the same age. I don't think so, said Merritt. Not that I knew. No? Ah, oh, that's a pity. Well, a few. Go, no, Merritt. Squeal loudly. No, don't. I gave you your answer. You said you let me go. Seems to me that what I said was I would tell them to let you go. The singer looked at yellow clock. Lamb, let him go. Go bugger yourself, the big outlaw replied brusquely. The singer gave Marat a hopeless shrug and began to play. The day they hanged the black robin. Please, the last of Marat's courage was running down his leg. I've done you no harm. I brought the gold. The way you said, I answered your question. I have children. That young wolf never will, said the one I outlaw. Red could hardly think, put the pounding in his head. He shamed us. The whole realm was laughing. We had to cleanse this thing on our horn. His father had said all that and more. Maybe so. What do a bunch of bloody peasants know about a lord's honor? Yellow cloak wrapped the hand of the rope around his hand three times. We now sung about murder, though. Not murder. His voice was shrill. It was vengeance. We had a right to our vengeance. It was war. Agon. We call him Jigoba, a pearl of wheat never hurt anyone. Lady Stark cut his throat. We lost half a hundred men in the camp. Sargas, Woodbrook, Kira's husband, and Sir Titus. Jared's son. Someone smashed his head in the next. Stark's dog kid four of our wood found and tore. The cannon master's armor off his shoulder, even after we'd filled him full of quarrels. So he sewed his head on Rob Stark's neck after both of them were dead, said Yellow Clock. My father did that. All I did was drink. You wouldn't kill a man up for drinking. Rash remembers something that, something that might be the saving of him. They say Lord Barricoes gives a man a trial, that he won't kill a man unless something's proved against him. You can't prove anything against that. Me. 
Red wedding was my father's work, and the remains and low buttons. Lothar rigged the tents, they collapsed and put crossbowmen in the gallery with the musicians, but the warder led the attack on the camp. They are the ones you want, not me. I only drank some wine. You have no witness. As it happens, you are wrong there. The singer turned to the hooded woman. Milady? Yelled Lose parted as she came forward, saying no words. When she would hear who something tightened inside the chest, and for a moment he could not breathe. No. No, I saw her die. She was dead for a day and night before they stripped her naked and threw her body in the river. Raymond opened her throat from ear to ear. She was dead. Her clock and color hid the gash his brother's blade had made, but her face was even worse than he remembered. The flesh had gone pudding soft in the water and turned the color of curled milk. Half her hair was gone, and the rest had turned as white and brittle as a cone's. Beneath a ravaged scalp, her face was shredded skin and black blood where she had raked herself with her knees. But her eyes were the most terrible thing. Her eyes saw him, and they ate it. She didn't speak, said the big man in the yellow clock. You bloody bastards cut her throat too deep for that. But she remembers. He turned to the dead woman and said, What do you, th- what do you say, my lady? Was he part of it? Lady Kathleen's eyes never left him. She nodded. Marat Free opened his mouth to breathe, but the nose chucked off his words. His feet left the ground, the rope cutting deep into the soft flesh beneath his chin. Up into the air he jerked, kicking and twisting up and up and up. Dragons, said Melander. He snatched a with red apple off the ground and tossed it hand to hand. Through the apple, urged Alaris the Sphinx. He slipped an arrow from his quiver and knocked it to his bowstring. I should like to see a dragon. Rue was the youngest of them. A chunky boy still two years shy of manhood. I should like that very much. And I should like to sleep with Rosie's arms around me. Pate thought. He shifted restlessly on the bench. By the morrow, the girl could well be his. I would take her far from Old Town, across the narrow sea to one of the free cities. There were no masters there, no one to accuse him. He could hear Emma's laughter coming throughout a shattered window overhead, mingled with the deeper voice of the man she was entertaining. She was oldest of the serving wenches at the keel, the quill and tankard, forty if she was a day. 
but still pretty in a flashy sort of way. Rosie was her daughter, fifteen and freshly flowered. Emma had decreed that Rosie's maiden head would cast a golden dragon. Pete had saved nine silver stacks and a pot of copper stars and pennies for all the good that would do him. He would have stood a better chance of etching a real dragon than saving up enough coin to make a golden one. You were born too late for dragons, let Amen the light told Rune. Amen wore a leather thong about his neck, strung with links of pewter, tin, lead, and copper. And like most acolytes, he seemed to believe that nurses had turnips growing from their shoulders in place of hats. The last one perished during the reign of King Egan III. The last dragon in Westeros, insisted Molander. Throw the apple, Alaris used it again. He was a comely youth, their sphinx. All the serving wenches doted on him. Even Rosie would sometimes touch him on the arm when she brought him wine and paid at Duke Nash, his teeth and pretend not to see. The last dragon in Worcesters was the last dragon, said Omen doggedly, that is well known. The apple, Alera said, unless you mean to eat it. Here, dragging his club foot, Molander took a short hope, wielded, and whipped the apple's side arm into the meats that hung above the honey wine. If not for this, his food, he would have been a knight like his father. He had the strength for eating those thick arms and broad shoulders. Far and fast the apple flew, but not as fast as the arrow that whistled after it. A yard-long shaft of golden wood flashed with scarlet feathers. Pate did not see the arrow catch the apple, but he heard it. A soft chunk echoed back across the river, followed by a splash. Hollander whistled, you caught it, sweet, not half as sweet as Rosie. Pate loved her hazel eyes and budding breasts, and the way she smiled every time she saw him. He loved the dimples in her cheeks. Sometimes she went barefoot as she served to feed the grass beneath her feet. He loved that too. He loved the clean, fresh smell of her, the way her hair curled behind her ears. He even loved her toys. One night she let him rub her feet and play with them, and he'd made up a funny tale for every toe to keep her giggling. Perhaps he would do better to remain on this side of the narrow sea. He could buy a donkey with the coin he'd saved and he and Rosie could take turns riding it as they wandered westerners. Ebrose might not think him worthy of the silver, but Pate knew how to set a bone and leash a fever. The small folk would be grateful for his help. 
If he could learn to cut hair and shave beards, he might even be a barber. That would be enough, he told himself, so long as I ha had Rosie. Rosie was all that he wanted in the world. That had not always been so. Once he had dreamed, dreamed of being a master in a castle, in service to some open-handed lord who would honor him for his wisdom and bestow a fine white horse on him to thank him for his service. How high he would ride, how nobly, smiling down at the small folk when he passed them on the road. One night in the quill and tankards, common room after his second tankard of three years only strong cider, Pete had boasted that he would not always be a novice. Too true, Daisy Leo had called out, you'll be a former novice, hardy in swine. He drained the dregs of his tankard. The torchlight terrace of the keel and tankard was an island of light in a sea of mist this morning. The river, a distant beacon of the eye tower, floated in the damp of night like a hazy orange moon, but the light did little to lift his spirits. The alchemist should have come by now. Had it all been some cruel date, or had something happened to the man, it would not have been the first time that good fortune had turned so on fate. He had once counted himself lucky to be chosen to help old Armchester were grave with the ravens, never dreaming that before long he would also be fetching the man's meals, sweeping out his chambers and dressing him every morning. Everyone said that Wegrave had forgotten more of Ravencraft than most masters even knew. Ever knew. So Pete assumed a black iron link was the least that he could hope for only to find that Wilgrave could not grant him one. The old man remained an archmaster only by courtesy, as great a master as once he had been. Now his robes concealed the soiled small clothes, often as not, and half a year ago some acolyte found him weeping in the library, unable to find his way back to his chambers. Master Gorman sat below the iron mask in Wilgrave's place. The same Gorman who had once accused Pate of theft. In the apple tree beside the water. A night gale began to sink. It was a sweet sound, a welcome respite from the harsh screams and endless quarrying of the ravens he had tended all day long. The white ravens knew his name, and would mutter it to each other whenever they caught sight of him. Fate, 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 until he went it to scream. The big white birds were archmaster with grave's pride, he wanted them to eat him when he died. But fate, off that they meant to eat him too. Perhaps it was the fearsomely strong cider he had not come here to drink, but Alares had been buying to celebrate his coupling, and guilt had made him thirsty. But it almost sounded as if the nightingale were truly in gold for iron, gold for iron, gold for iron, which was passing strange, because that was what the stranger 
had sat the night Rosie brought the two of them together. Who are you? Peter had demanded of him, and the man had replied, an alchemist, I can change iron into gold. And then the coin was in his hand dancing across his knuckles, the soft yellow gold shining in the candlelight. On one side was a free-headed dragon, on the other the head of some dead king. Gold for iron, Pete remembered. You won't do better. Do you want her? Do you love her? I am no thief. He had told the man who called himself the alchemist. I am a novice of the citadel. The alchemist had bowed his head and said, If you should reconsider, I shall return here three days and hence with my dragon. Three days pa had passed. Pete had returned to the keel and tank out, still uncertain what he was but instead of the alchemist, he'd found Melander and Armand and the Sphinx with Rune in town. It would have raised suspicions enough to join them. The killing Tancard never closed. For six hundred years, it had been standing on its island in the only one, and never once had its doors been shut to trade. Though the tall timbered building leaned toward the south way novices sometimes leaned after a tankard, but expected that the inn would go on standing for another six hundred years of selling wine and beer and fearsomely strong cider to rivermen and seamen, smiths and singers, priests and princes, and the novices and acolytes of the citadel. But town is not the world, declared Melander, too loudly. He was a knight's son, and drunk as drunk could be. Since they brought him word of his father's death upon the black water, he got drunk almost every night, even in Old Town, far from the fighting and safe behind its walls. The war of the five kings had touched them all, although Archmaster Benedict instead that there had never been a war of five kings since Raleigh Berthian had been slain before Balon Greyjoy had crowned himself. My father always said the war was bigger than any large castle. Molander went on, dragons must be the least of things a man might find in cart and say and eating. Dear sailors' stories are stories told by sailors, Armin interrupted. Sailors, my dear Molander, go back down to the docks, docks and the eyeworker. You'll find sailors who tell you of the mermaids that they bedded, or how they spent a year in the belly of a fish. How do you know they didn't? Molanders thumped throughout the grass, looking for more apples. You need to be down the belly yourself to swear they weren't. One sailor with a story, a year, a man might laugh at all that. But when Osman of four different ships tell the same tale in four different tongues, the tales are not the same, insisted Armin. Dragons in side, dragons in Karth, dragons in marine, Dothraki dragons, dragons free in slaves, which then differs from the last. Only in the tales, Molander grew more stubborn when he drank, and even when sober, he was bull-headed. All speak of dragons and a beautiful young queen. The only dragon played cared about was made of yellow gold. He wondered what had happened to the alchemist. The third day, he said he'd be here. 
There's another apple near your foot. All eras called the Molander and I still have two arrows in my quiver. Fuck your quiver. Molander scooped up the windfall. This one's warming. He complained, but he threw it anyway. The arrow caught the apple as it began to fall and sliced it clean too. One half landed on a turret roof, tumbled to a lower roof, bounced and missed airmen by foot. If you get a worm in two, you make two worms, the acolyte informed them. If only it worked that way with apples, no one would have a need to go hungry, said Lars with one of his soft smiles. The sphinx was always smiling, as if he knew some secret shape. It gave him a wicked look at uh, that went well with uh, his point chain. Widows speak and dance, mat of clothes, crooked, yet black curls. Alaris would make a master. He had only been at the citadel for a year, yet already he had forgot, forged three links of his master chain. Armin might have more, but each of his had taken him a year to earn. Still, he would make a master too. Rune and Molander remained being naked, no serious, but Rune was very young and Molander preferred drinking to reading. Fate, though. He had been five years at the Citadel Ryan when he was no more than three and ten, yet his neck, made as pink as he had been on the day he first arrived from the Westerlands. Twice that he believed himself ready. The first time, he had gone before Archmaster Valain to demonstrate his knowledge of the heavens. Instead, he learned how Vingar Valain had earned that name. It took Pate two years to summon up the courage to try again. This time, he submitted himself to kindly old Archmaster Ambrose, renowned for his soft voice and gentle hands, but Ambrose's sides had, show, had somehow proved just as painful as Valen's barbs. One last step will promise Alaris, and I will tell you what I suspect about the, these dragons. What could you know that I don't? grumbled Molander. He spied an apple on a branch, jumped up, put it down, and threw. Alaris drew his uh, downstream back to his ear, turning gracefully to follow the target in flight. He does his shaft just as the apple began to fall. You always miss your last shot, said Rune. The apple splashed down into the river untouched. See, said Rune, the day you make them all is the day you stop improving. Others unstrung his longbow and eased it into its leather case. The bow was curved from golden heart, a rare and fabled wood from the summer islands. Pate had tried to bend it once and failed. The sphinx looked slight, but there is a strength in those dim arms. He reflected as Alaris threw a leg across the bench and reached for his wine cup. The dragon has three heads, he announced in his soft Dornish drawl. Is this a riddle? Rune wanted to know. Sphinx always speak in riddles in the tales. No riddle. Alaris sipped his wine. The rest of them were coffin, ten cards of the fearsomely strong cider that the kill and tankard was renowned for, but he preferred the strange, sweet wines of his mother's country, even in old towns such wines did not come cheap. 
It had been lazy in Leo, who doubled Alaria's the Sphinx. A sphinx is a bit of this, a bit of that, a human face, the body of a lion, the wings of a hawk. Alaria was the same. His father was a Dornish man, his mother a black-skinned summer Icelander. His own skin was dark, as a teak. And like the green marble sphinxes that flanked the citadel main gate, Alaris had eyes of onyx. No dragon has ever had three heads except one she's and banners. Amen, the acolyte said firmly. That was a heraldic charge, no more. Furthermore, the Targaryens are, are all dead. Not all, said Alaris. The beggar king had a sister. I thought. Her head was smashed against the wall, said the groom. No, said Alaris. It was Prince Regan, the young son Egon, whose head was dashed against the wall by the lion of Lannister, the brave man. We speak of Regan's sister, born on Dragonstone before its fall, the one they called Daenerys, the Stormborn. I recall her now. Molander lifted his tankard at Slothing. Slouching the cider that remained. Here's a to her, he gulped. Slammed his empty tongue cart down, vetched, and wiped his mouth with the back of his hand. Where's Rosie? Our rightful queen deserves another round of cider, wouldn't you say? Armand the Colite looked alarmed. Lower your voice, fool. You should not even jape about such things. You never know. Who could be listening? The spider has airs everywhere. Ah, don't miss your breeches. Um, and I was proposing a dream, not a rebellion. Pete heard a chuckle. A soft, sly voice called out from behind him. I always knew you were a traitor of frog. Desidio was lodging by the foot of the old plant bridge, draped in satin, striped in green and gold, with a black silk half cape pinned to his shoulder by Rosa of Jade. The one he would dribble down his front had been a robust threat, judging from the color of the spots. A lock of his ash blonde hair fell down across one eye. Melander bristled at the sight of him. Bugger that, go away. You are not welcome here. Alaris laid a hand upon his arm to calm him, whilst Herman frowned. Leo, my lord, I had understood that you were still confined to the citadel for three more days, lazy Leo shrugged. Fele Reston says the world is forty thousand years old. Malus says five hundred thousand. What are three days, I ask you? Though there were a dozen empty tables on the terrace, Leo sought himself as the years. Buy me a cup of our gold of frog, and perhaps I want you for my father of your toast. The child has turned again, said me at the chicken hazard, and I wasted my last stag on supper. Sucking pig implants, stuffed with chestnut and white truffles, a man must eat. What did you lads have? Mutton, mutter the molander. He sounded none too pleased about it. We shared a hunch of boiled mutton. I'm certain it was a filling. Listen to Alaris. A lot of songs should be open-handed things. I'll send you on your copper link. I'll drink to that. Alaris smiled back at him. 
I only buy for friends. And I am no lord's son. I've told you that my mother was a trader. These eyes were easel, bright with wine and malice. Your mother was a monkey from the summer idols. The Dornish will fuck anything with a hole between its legs, meaning no offense. You may be brown, brown as not, but at least you bathe, unlike our spotted big boy. He waved a hand toward Pate. If I hit him in the mouth with my tongue card, I could knock out half his teeth, Pate thought. Spotted Pate, the big boy, was the hero of a thousand ribald stories, a good, a good-hearted, empty-headed lout who always managed to best the fat lordings, uh, oatly knights and pompous septons who beset him. Somehow, a stupid would turn out to have been a sort of uncouth cunning. The tales always ended with spotted pates sitting on a lord's hide seat or bedding some knight's daughter, but those were stories. In the real world, big boy never feared so, never fared so well. Pete sometimes thought his mother must have hated him to have named him as she did. Alaris was no longer smiling. You will apologize. Will I? said Leo. How can I? I wither my throat so dry. You shame your house with every word you say, Alaris told him. You shame the citadel by being one of us, I know. So buy me some wine that I might drown my shame. Hollander said, I would tear your tongue out by the roots. Truly? Then how would I tell you about the dragons? He shrugged again. The mongrel has the right of it. The mad king's daughter is alive, and she is hatched herself three dragons. Three? Sarun astonished. Leopetal is and more than two and less than four. I would not try for my golden ling just yet if I were you. You leave me you leave him be, warned Molander. Such a chivalrous hope frog as you wish every man of every ship that sail within a hundred leagues of cod is speaking of these dragons. A few will even tell you that they have seen them. The mage is inclined to believe them. Armand Pursed is lips in disapproval. Marwin is unsound. Archmaster Peston would be the first to tell you that. Archmaster Raman says to says so too, Sir Rune. Thou joined the sea is wet, the sun is warm, and the menagerie hates the mastiff. He is a mocking name for everyone. But he could not deny that Marwin looked more a mastiff than a master, as if he wants to bite you. The maid was not like other masters. People said that he kept company with whores and hedge wizards, talked with the hairy Albanians and pitch black some Icelanders in their own towns, and sacrificed two queer gods at the little sailors sampled down by dwarves. Men spoke of seeing him down in the undercity in red pits and black brothers, consorting with mummers, singers, sub-words, even beggars. Some even whispered that once he had killed a man with his fists. The Prophet The Prophet was thrown in man on great week when they came to tell him 
that the king was dead. It was a bleak, cold, black, cold morning, and this sea was as leaden as the sky. The first three men had offered their lives to the drowned god fearlessly, but the fourth was weak in faith and began to struggle as his lungs cried out for air. Standing waist deep in the surf, Aaron seized the naked boy by the shoulders and pushed his head back down as he tried to snatch a breath. Have courage, he said. We came from the sea, and to the sea we must return. Open your mouth and drink deep of God's blessing. Fill your lungs with water, that you may die and be reborn. It does no good to fight. Either the boy could not hear him with his head beneath the waves, or else his faith had utterly deserted him. He began to kick and trash so wildly that Aaron had to go for help. Four of his drowned men waded out to size the wretch and hold him underwater. Lord God, who drowned for us, the priests prayed in a voice as deep as the sea, Let Amund, your servant, be reborn from the sea, as you were, bless him with salt, bless him with stone, bless him with steel. Finally it was done. No more air was bubbling from his mouth, and all the strength had gone out of his limbs. Face down in the shallow sea floated Amund, pale and cool and peaceful. That was when the dumb fire realized that three horsemen had joined his drowned men on the pebbled shore. Aaron knew the spar. A hatchet faced old man with watery eyes whose quivering voice was low on this part of Great Week. His son, Stepharion, accompanied him with another youth whose dark red fur Lion the clock was pinned at the shoulder with an ornate brooch that showed the black and gold war horn of the good brothers. One of Gerod's sons, the priest decided at a glance, three tall sons had been born to good brothers' wife late in life after a dozen daughters, and it was sad that no man could tell one song from the others. Aaron the fire did not deign to try. Whether these be great or garment or grand, the priest had no time for him. He grew with a brisk command, and his drowned man seized the dead boy by his arms and legs to carry him above the tide line. The priest followed naked but for sealskin clout that covered his private parts. Goose flashed and dripping, he splashed back on demand across cold west sand and sea scored pebbles. One of his drowned men handed him a robe of heavy rough spoon, dyed in metal greens and blues and greys, the colours of the sea and the drowned god. Iron donned the robe and pulled his hair free, black and wet that hair. No blade had touched it. It since the sea had raised him up. It trapped uh, his shoulders like a ragged, rocky cloak and fell down past his waist. Aaron 
wolf stands of seaweed throughout it and throughout his tangled, uncut beard. His drowned man formed a circle around the dead boy, praying. Norian walked his arms with the round knelt stride him, pumping on his chest, but all moved aside for Aaron. He prayed apart the boy's cold lips with his fingers and gave him the kiss of life, and again and again, until the sea came gushing from his mouth. The boy began to cough and spit, and his eyes blinked open, full of fear. Another one returned. It was a sign of the drowned God's favor, men said. Every other priest lost a man from time to time, even toward the drowned who had once been thought so holy that he was picked to crown a king. But never Aaron great joy. He was the dumb fox who had seen the God's own watery horse and returned to tell of it. Rise, he told the sputtering boy, as he slapped him on his naked back. You have drowned and been returned to us. What is that can never die, but rises? The boy cast violently, bringing up more water, rises again. Every word was both with pain, but that was the way of the world. A man must fight to live, rises again, and one staggered to his feet, harder and stronger. You belong to the god now, Aaron told him. The other drowned man gathered round and each gave him a punch and a kiss to welcome him to the brotherhood. One helped him don a raspberry robe of mottled blue and green and grey. Another presented him with a driftwood cudgel. You belong to the sea now, to the sea as armed you, Aaron said. We pray that you shall build your cudgel fiercely against all the enemies of our god. Only then did the priest turn to the three riders, watching from their saddle. Have you come to be drowned, my lord? The spark coughed. I was drowned as a boy, he said, and my son upon his name lay. Aaron snorted. That's the fire and spark had been given to drowned gods soon after, but he had no doubt. He knew the manner of it too, a quick dip into the top of seawater, the scars wet, the infant's head, small wonder, the iron board, had been conquered. They who once held the sway everywhere, the sound of waves was heard. That is no true drowning, he told the riders. He that does not die in truth cannot hope to rise from that. Death. Why have you come, if not to prove your faith? Lord Gordon's son came seeking you with news. This part indicated the elf in the red cloak. The boy looked to be no more than six and ten. Aye, and which are you? Aaron demanded. Garmon, Garmon, good brother, if it please my lord. It is the drowned god we must please. Have you been drowned, Garmon, the good brother? On my name they defy the fire. My father sent me to find you and bring you to him. He needs uh, to see you. Here I stand. Let Lord Gorod come and feast his eyes. Aaron took a leather, a leather skin from Roz, freshly filled with water from the sea. The priest pulled out the cork and took a swallow. I am to bring you to the keep, insisted young Gormund from atop his horse. He is afraid to dismount. Let 
lest he get his boots wet. I have the God's work to do. Aaron Greyjoy was a prophet. He did not suffer petty lords ordering him about like some troll. Gorod's had a bird, said the spar. A master's bird from Pike, Gorman confirmed. Dark wings, dark words. The ravens fly over salt and stone. If uh, there are tidings that concern me, speak them now. Such tidings as we bear are for your hairs alone, them fire. This power said, these are not matters I would speak of her, her before these others. These others are my drowned men, God's servants, just as I am. I have no secrets from them, nor from our God, beside whose holy sea I stand. Horseman exchanged a look. Tell him, said the spark. And the youth in the red cloak summed up his courage. The king is dead, he said, as plain as that. Four small words, yet the sea itself trembled when he uttered them. Four kings there were in Westeros, yet Aaron did not need to ask which one was met. Balon Greyjoy ruled the Iron Island and no other. The king is dead, how can that be? Aaron had seen his eldest brother not a moon's turn past when he had returned to the Iron Island from Erin the stony shore. Balon's grey hair had gone off white with whilst the priest had been away, and the stoop in his shoulders was more pronounced than when the long ship said. Yet all in all the king had not seemed ill. Aaron Greyjoy had built his life upon two mighty pillars. Those four small words had knocked one down. Only the drowned God remains to me. May he make me as strong and tireless as the sea. Tell me the manner of my brother's death. His grace was crossing a bridge at Pike when he fell and was dashed up on the rocks below. The Greyjoy stronghold stood upon a broken headland. Its keeps and towers built up massive stone stacks that thrust up from the sea, which is knotted piled together, arched bridges of carved stone and swaying spans of hempen rope and wooden planks. Was a storm raging when he fell? Iron demanded of them. Aye, the yacht said it was. The storm god cast him down. The priest announced it. For thousand thousand years, sea and sky had been at war. From the sea had come the ironborn and the fish that sustained them even in the depths of winter. But some brought only war and grief. My brother, Balloon, made us agreed again, which earned the storm god's worth. He feasts now in the drowned god's watery holes. We are the mermaids to attend these every want. It shall be for us who remain behind in this dry and dismal bath to finish, finish his great work. He pushed the cart back into his water skin. I shall speak with the, your lord father. How far from here to Amarhorn? Six leagues. 
you may write pillion with me. One can ride faster than two. Give me your horse, and the drowned god will bless you. Take my horse, the fire, offers the fire spar. No, his mound is stronger. Your horse, boy. The yath is a daily alpha heartbeat, then dismounted, and held the reins of the fire. Aaron shoved the bare black food in the stirrup and swung himself onto the saddle. He was not fond of horses. They were creatures from the green lands and helped to make man weak, but necessity required that he ride. Dark wings, dark woods. A storm was brewing. He could hear it in the waves. And storms brought not but evil. Meet with me at Pebbleton beneath Lord Merlin's tower, he told his drowned man. As he turned the horse's head, the way was rough, up hills and woods and stony files along a narrow track that oft seemed to disappear beneath the horse's hoofs. Great Week was the largest of the Iron Island, so vast that some of its lords had holdings that did not front upon the whole sea. Earl's good brother was one such. His skiff was in the Hearthstone Hills. As far from the drowned god's realm as any place in the Isles, Gorold's folk toiled down in Gordon's mines in the stony dark beneath the hearth. Some lived and died without setting eyes upon salt water. Small wonder that such folk are crabbed and queer. As Aaron rode, his thoughts turned to his brothers. Nine sons had been born from the loins of Colin Greyjoy, the lord of the Iron Island. Arnon, Quentin, and Donald had been born of Lord Colin's first wife, a woman of the stone trees. Balan, Aaron, Victarion, Urigon, and Iron are the sons of his second, a southern, mm, a southerly of South Cliff. For third wife, Kellen took a girl from the Greenlands, who gave him a sickly idiot boy named Robin, brother best forgotten. The priest had no memory of Quentin or Donnell, who had died as infants. Ardon, he recalled but dimly, sitting grey-faced and still in a window last our room and speaking in whispers that grew fainter every day as the day grey-scale turned his tongue and lips to stone. One day we shall feast on fish together in drowned god's watery holes, the four of us and Ari too. Nine sons had been born from the loins of Cullen Greyjoy, but only four had lived to manhood. That was the way of his co-ward, where men fished the sea and dug in the ground and died, whilst women brought forth short-lived children from beds of blood and pain. Erin had been the last and least of the four krakens, Balon, the eldest and the boldest and boldest, a fierce and fearless boy who lived only to restore the ironborn to their ancient glory. At then he scaled the flint cliffs to the blind lad's hunter tower. Hunter tower. At thirteen, he could run a long sheep's horse and dance the finger dance as well as any man in the Isles. At fifteen, he had sailed with Dagmar Cleft 
collect still two receptions and spent a summer weaving. Miss Liu is first man there and took him first two salt wives. At seventeen, Balloon captained his own ship. He was all that another brother ought to be, though he had never shown Aaron out but scorn. I was weak and full of sin, and scorn was more than I deserved, but to be scorned by Bloom the brave than beloved of Aaron crows I. And if age and grief had turned Balloon bitter with the ears, uh, they had also made him more determined than any man alive. He was born a lord's son, and died a king, murdered by a jealous god, Aaron thought, and now the storm is coming. A storm such as these eyes have never known. It was long after dark, by the time the priests espied the spiky iron battlements of the armor horn glowing at the crescent moon. Coral's keep was oaken and blocky, its great stones quarried from the cliff that loomed behind it, below its walls. Entrances of caves and ancient mines, don't like toothless black mouths. The armor horns, iron gates had been closed and barred for the night. Aaron beat on them with a rock until the clanging walk guard. The youth who had admitted him was the image of Gamond, whose horse he'd taken. Which one are you? Aaron demanded. Grant, my father awaits you within. The hall was dark and drafty, drafty full of shadows. One of Gorold's daughters offered the priest a horn of eel. Another poked at a solemn fire that was giving off more smoke than he had. Gorold, good brother himself, was take, talking quietly with a slim man in fine grey robes who wore about his neck a chain of many metals that marked the poor master of the citadel. Where is Gormund? Gorold asked when he saw Aaron. He returns afoot. Send you, a woman, away, my lord, and the master as well. He had no love of masters. They ravens were creatures of the storm god, and he did not trust their healing, not since early. No proper man would choose a life of traildom, nor forge a chain of servitude. To wear about his foot. Gisela, Gwyn, leave us, good brother said curtly. You as well, Grand Master Moran Mur will stay. He will go inside, Aaron. This is my old the fire. The fire, it is not for you to say who must go and who remains. The master stays. The man lives too far from the sea, Aaron told himself. Then I shall go. He took his brother, dry rushes rustled underneath the cracked soles of his bare black feet as he turned and stalked away. It seemed he had ridden a long way for nuts. Aaron was almost at the door when the master cleared his throat and sat. Aaron crowds eyes, sits the cistone chair. The dumb fire turned. The oil had suddenly grown colder. The crowd's eye is off world away. Galen sent him off two years ago and swore that it would be his life if he returned. Tell me, he said hoarsely. He sailed into Lord's spot. 
the day after the king's death and claimed the castle and the crown as Balloon's eldest brother, said Goral, the good brother. Now he sends four ravens, summoning the captains and the king from every other's to pike, to bend their knees and do him homage as their king. No, Aaron the fire did not wait his words. Only a godly man may sit the cistern chair. The crow's eyes were shaved, not but his own pride. You were on pike not long ago, and so the king said, good brother. Did Valon say out uh, to you of succession? Aye. A king, the iron king is dead. Yet a king will come again, for what is that may never die, but rises again harder and stronger. A king shall rise, drowned man cried. You show, he must, but who? The fire listened at a moment, but only the waves gave answer. Who shall be our king? The drowned men began to slam their drift through the castles, one against the other. Then fire, they cried, then fire, king, iron king, give us them fire. Aaron shook his head. If a father has two sons and gives to one an axe and to the other a net, which does he instead should be the warrior? The axe is for the warrior, Raza shouted back, the net for a fisher of the seas. Ah, yes, said Aaron. The god took me deep beneath the waves and drowned the worthless thing I was. When he cast me forth again, he gave me eyes to see, ears to hear, hear, and a voice to spread his words, that I might be his prophet and teach his truth to those who have forgotten. I was not made to sit upon the cistern chair, no more than Aaron crowds I. For I have heard the God who says, No godless man may sit my cistern chair. The Merlin crossed his arms against his chest. Is it Asha then, or Victorian? Tell us, priest. The drowned God will tell you, but not here. Aaron pointed at the Merlin's fat white face. Look not to me, nor to those of men, but to the sea. Raise your sails and unsheath your oars, my lord, and take yourself to all the weak. You and all the captains and the kings, go not to pike, to bow before the godless, nor to our low, to consort with the scamming woman. Point you your prow toward all weak, where stood the grey king's all. In the name of the drowned God, I summon you. I summon all of you. Leave your halls and the halls, your castles and your keeps, and return to Nagaza Hill to make a king's mood. The Malin gaped at him. A king's mood? There has not been a true king's mood in. Too long a time, Aaron cried in anguish. Yet in the dawn of days, the Ironborn chose their own kings, raising up the worthiest amongst them. It is time we return to the old way, for only that shall make us great again. It was King's mood that chose Urus iron food for Eid King and placed a driftwood crown upon his brows. Silaza, Flatnose, Aragahor, the older Kraken, the kinsmen raised them all, and from his, this kinsmen shall emerge a man 
to finish the work Kimbalan has begun and win us back our freedoms. Go not to Pike, nor to the Ten Towers of Arlo, but to Hold Week. I say again, seek the hill of Naga and the bones of the Grey King's Hall, for in that holy place, when the moon has drowned and come again, where we shall make ourselves a worthy king, a goodly king, he raised his bony hands on it again. Listen, listen to the waves, listen to the God. He is speaking to us, and he says, We shall have no king but from the king's mood. A roar went up at that, and the drowned man beat their cudgels one against the other. A king's mood, they shouted, a king's mood, a king's mood, no king but from the king's mood. And the clamor that they made was so thunderous that surely the crowd's eye heard the shouts on Pike and the vile storm god in his cloudy hall, and Herundon Fire knew he had done well.